Good evening and welcome to the February 8th, 2023 hybrid meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. President Rick Swig will be the presiding officer tonight and he is joined by Vice President Jose Lopez, Commissioner Alex Lemberg, Commissioner John Trisbina, and Commissioner J.R. Epler. Also present is Deputy City Attorney John Givner who will provide the board with any needed legal advice. At the controls is the board's legal assistant, Alec Longway, and I'm Julie Rosenberg, the board's executive director. We will also be joined by representatives from the city departments that will be presenting before the board this evening. Corey Teague, the zoning administrator representing the planning department. Matthew Green, chief building inspector with the Department of Building Inspection. Karen Leong, engineer with DBI. Chris Buck, urban forester representing the Bureau of Urban Forestry. Veronica Slattengren, program manager for the site mitigation program, environmental health branch of Department of Public Health and Ryan Casey, caseworker with the DPH site mitigation program. The board meeting guidelines are as follows. The board requests that you turn off or silence all phones and other electronic devices so they will not disturb the proceedings. No eating or drinking in the hearing room. Appellants, permit holders, and department respondents each are given seven minutes to present their case and three minutes for a rebuttal. People affiliated with these parties must include their comments within these seven or three minute periods. Members of the public who are not affiliated with the parties have up to three minutes each to address the board and no rebuttal. Time may be limited to two minutes if the agenda is long or if there are a large number of speakers. Mr. Longway, our legal assistant, will give you a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Four votes are required to grant an appeal or to modify a permit or determination. If you have questions about requesting a rehearing, the board rules or hearing schedules, <clears throat> please email board staff at boardofappeals at sfgov.org. Now, public access and participation are of paramount importance to the board. SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will have the ability to receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. SFGov TV is also providing closed captioning for this meeting. To watch the hearing on TV, go to SFGov TV cable channel 78. Please note that it will be rebroadcast on Fridays at 4 p.m. on channel 26. A link to the live stream is found on the homepage of our website at sfgov.org forward slash BOA. Now, public comment can be provided in three ways. One, in person. Two, via Zoom. Click on the Zoom link of our website. And then, or three, by telephone. Call 1-669-900-6833 and enter webinar ID 820-8699-8903. And again, SFGovTV is broadcasting and streaming the phone number and access instructions across the bottom of the screen if you're watching the live stream or broadcast. To block your phone number when calling in, first off, star 67, then the phone number. Listen for the public comment portion for your item to be called and dial star nine, which is the equivalent of raising your hand so that we know you want to speak. You will be brought into the hearing when it is your turn. You may have to dial star six to unmute yourself. You will have two or three minutes depending on the length of the agenda and volume of speakers. Our legal assistant will provide you with a verbal warning 30 seconds before your time is up. Please note that there is a delay between the live proceedings and what is broadcast and live streamed on TV and the internet. Therefore, it's very important that people calling in reduce or turn off the volume on their TVs or computers. Otherwise, there's interference with the meeting. If any of the participants or attendees on Zoom need a disability accommodation or technical assistance, you can make a request in the chat function to Alec Longway, the board's legal assistant, or send an email to boardofappeals.sfgov.org. Now, the chat function cannot be used to provide public comment or opinions. Please note that we'll take public comment first from those members of the public who are physically present in the hearing room. 
Now, we will swear in or affirm all those who intend to testify. Please note that any member of the public may speak without taking an oath pursuant to their rights under the Sunshine Ordinance. If you intend to testify at any of tonight's proceedings and wish to have the board give your testimony evidentiary weight, raise your right hand and say, I do, after you've been sworn in or affirmed. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony, testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Thank you. If you are a participant and you're not speaking, please put your Zoom speaker on mute. Now, President Swig, we do have a long agenda and expect a lot of public comment. Do you want to limit it to two minutes? Yes, two minutes, please. Okay. So we are now on item number one, which is general public comment. This is an opportunity for anyone who would like to speak on a matter within the board's jurisdiction, but that is not on tonight's calendar. Is there any member of the public who wishes to speak on an item that is not on tonight's calendar? Please raise your hand. I see one hand raised. One moment. Okay, that hand is down. So there's no general public comment. We'll move on to item number two. Commissioner, comments and questions? Commissioners, any comments, questions? I'd just like to say, looking, you can't see it on SFGov TV, but we have a full house tonight. It's probably the most attendees I've seen in this room since 2009. I'm glad everybody's healthy. I'm glad everybody's back. Thank you for coming uh, tonight. Okay. Is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. Okay, we'll move on to item number three, the adoption of the minutes. Commissioners, before you for discussion of possible adoption are the minutes of the February 1st, 2023 meeting. And note, Commissioner Lemberg reached out to me regarding item five, that's appeal number 22-086 at 737 Buena Vista, and thought we should include the last name of the speaker whose name was Joby, representing the appellant. His last name's Pritzker, and it was mentioned by the attorney for the appellant, so he would like to add that, and I agree with him. So we, we would need a motion to adopt as amended. Motion, commissioners? I'll move to adopt the minutes as presented with the suggestion from Commissioner Lumber. Okay, thank you. Is there any public comment on that motion? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any. So on that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries and the minutes are adopted as amended. Uh, we are now moving on to item number four. This is appeal number 22-090, William Weil and Iona Siri versus Department of Building Inspection, subject property 244 Hartford Street. Appealing the issuance on December 2nd, 2022 to Margaret Kashibi of an alteration permit, revision to permit application 2020-0921-4636 of third floor remodel, minor layout change, and add shear wall detail and correct existing joist span direction. This is permit number 2022-11-16-66-47. Note, on February 1st, upon a motion by President Swig, the board voted 5-0 to zero to continue this matter to February 8th so that the permit holder can have revised plans that are acceptable to DBI and the appellants. And since we asked the permit holder to revise the plans, we will hear from them first, and I believe Mr. Tom Tunney is here. Welcome. You have three minutes, Mr. Tunney. Hi, thank you. Uh, good evening, members of the board. Tom Tunney on behalf of the permit holder. Um, we believe we have um, addressed the concerns with the permit and have submitted revised drawings, revised calculations. Um, my understanding is that the engineers both agree um, that these changes are adequate um, and that DBI 
agrees, is ready to approve. Um, so for us procedurally, this is just a matter of how the board acts on this. And our request is that these be approved as a special conditions permit, which as I understand it from uh, previous hearings that that would actually be a granting of the appeal and then an approval of the special conditions permit. So that's our specific request. If there are any other concerns that come up from the appellant or the board, we're uh, available for any, any questions you may have. I'm, I'm here in person, but um, Ms. Kashibi and our engineer are available um, on the, by video conference. Okay, thank, thank you. you. I don't see any questions, so we will now hear from the Department of Building Inspection. Uh, good evening, President Swig, uh, Vice President Lopez. I'm Matthew Green, representing the Department of Building Inspection tonight. Um, just to remind you, the permit before you is a revision to a previously approved permit to remodel the third floor uh, unit on a three-story, two-unit wood frame building. Um, you asked um, last week I was willing to recommend a special conditions permit be adopted. Um, you asked it for what week uh, continuance to let the engineers come into agreement. Um, Engineer uh, Karen Liang has been in conference with the two engineers. They've come up with a plan where they all agree. Um, per uh, Commissioner Lemberg's request, uh, Engineer Liang is here if you have any questions. Um, I believe that the uh, solution, the plans that they've submitted uh, are, should be adopted as a special conditions permit. Please uphold this permit. I'm available for any questions or is um, Karen Liang. Thank you. I don't see any questions. Yep, me. Sorry. Oh, President Swig. On the draw. Uh, could I get Miss um, uh, Liang to the just just as a uh, formality, and and not to waste your time, justify your time being here. Uh, you've you've reviewed. Will you confirm you've reviewed the both sides' plans, and uh, and approved the the recommendation that is being made tonight. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, yes, I'm the engineer, uh, Karen Liang, and I reviewed the uh, revised drawings that, are, that is prepared by uh, Mr. Burr, the engineer of the permit holder, and I, um, and the drawings of Ms. Cole and addressed the concern of removing the shear wall of the 1985 permit. So everything's okay for you? Correct. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the appellants and welcome. Good evening, commissioners. Andrew Catterall for the appellants. Um, Mr. Tunney was right that they did um, submit revised permits and he's correct that it did address our engineer's structural um, issues with, with the previous permits. There's just um, one or two sort of outstanding issues that I think warrant um, us kicking this over and for an additional two weeks. One is that the revisions um, include work that's being done in the common area of the building, um, including work that's done right up to and touching my client's unit. This is, since this is the common area of an HOA, 
the proper permit holder in this case is the HOA and not the actual the permit holder, uh, Maggie Kashibi in this case. Um, and the second issue is with the revised permits is that um, according to our engineer, David Strandberg, who's um, here via teleconference, um, there is a more than 50% chance that the revisions um, as they're currently drawn, while he's okay with them structurally, um, ha will likely cause damage to my client's unit, which will you know, necessi necessitate a repair. My clients are okay with that, but they need to come to an agreement with the permit holder in the next couple weeks to, to work out how, that, how the repair is gonna be made. Um, the HOA needs to vote on the uh, revisions and the proper permit holder needs to um, be on the permit and I'm available as is Mr. Strandberg. Thank, Thank you. you. We have questions from President Swig and Commissioner Lemberg. <clears throat> my, my question is, is really gonna be directed to DBI and a clarification of the, the appropriateness of it, where the permit uh, should be issued. So probably uh, I'll defer to Commissioner Lemberg. Okay. Uh, Thank you, President Swig. I, uh, my, my question is, uh, you, you mentioned a 50% uh, figure of, of chance of damage to your client's unit. What, can, you, can you elaborate on that a little bit, what the actual risk is? Or, uh, I would defer to our engineer, Mr. Strandberg, um, on that. I can say that it's been told to me that there's likelihood of damage, but I wouldn't have the expertise to tell you exactly why or how. And I don't know if he's available. I, yeah. <clears throat> I'm here. I don't know if I can be heard, though. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know that there's any kind of percentage that uh, risk that could be put on that, but effectively, there's beams uh, framing that that is being installed in the floor that is snug tight to the uh, gypsum board ceiling of the client, and so I would guess that there is a minor cracking or you know, rip, uh, tearing of um, drywall um, joints. Um, nothing that can't be mudded, sanded, and repainted, but um, that would be my, uh, I wanted to prepare a client to address that. Um, similarly, possibly at the wall, a siding is being removed and um, hardware being installed in the exterior walls. You, you could also get some damage of the drywall in that location. And so just recommend that they work out what happens in that in the event that there's cracking in the drywall. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, we for, have a, do you I, have a further question? I, I, have, a, I have a further question. Um, so uh, in addition to that, so I, I think this is more for Mr. Catterall. Um, I understand that there would be need to be an additional permit drawn by the HOA. I, I, I definitely understand that concept, but how does that, in your opinion, uh, apply to the, the permit that's in front of us today, which is the work that needs to be done uh, on, on the permit holder's property? Does, is it, am, am I incorrect in thinking that there's a, there needs to be an additional permit drawn on, on commons area by the HOA. There needs to be an HOA vote, but that the, the work being done on the permit holder's property is still valid and needs to also be done. Well, the, the permit and the revisions that are, that are currently before the board um, include work that is on HOA property um, and needs to um, have the correct um, building owner as the permit holder. Um, so there's no, it wouldn't be an additional permit. It's the, the, at issue permit. 
Okay. But I, I mean, it is a private issue. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we have the the jurisdiction to be able to increase the uh, the scope of it to include common area property. So. Yeah, I guess our issue isn't. It already does include common area properties. The, our issue with it is that um, it. By doing so, it necessarily requires that the correct permit holder be named on, on the permit, which is the HOA, um, requiring an HOA vote. That can happen. I think it's going to take about two weeks to, to do so. We need to, we need to have an HOA meeting. We have to have a vote. Um, and probably, likely we have to have some sort of agreement where, you know, they, we can figure out how, you know, this work's going to be um, completed and repaired. Um, so I'd ask that this be put over two weeks. Okay. Thank you. We have thank a you. question from Commissioner Trisvina as well. Uh, thank you. Are the issues related to HOA from the revision or are they from the underlying work? There is was work being done in um, some of the HOA-owned walls upstairs in um, the permit holder's unit with the original permit, with the current revisions as I understand them. Um, it involves further work on the HOA um, common area within the walls down on the level of the appellant's unit and actually touching um, the plaster wall of the appellant's unit. Well, I, I don't understand. If, if it relates to the underlying permit as opposed, to, as opposed to the revisions which were created as of the, our, our extension, our continuance, mm -hmm. why didn't we hear about it before? This, uh, I, it wasn't, because well, first there was an HOA vote originally that, that approved the original permit. There's, there's objections with the, the, some of the structural calculations that weren't included with that permit, um, with the revisions and the extent to which they go into HOA property. Um, my clients have, our appellants have an issue with that. Okay. And is the HOA composed of more than Ms. Kashibi and your client? It's a two-unit HOA, two-member HOA. So is the answer yes or no? Oh, just those two owners. So we've got you both here. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't. Why? Why? Why would we need to delay this for? The, either the two of you agree or you don't. Because there's certain safeguards that my clients, as in, in terms of giving their approval for this project, they would like to see certain safeguards in place, in term, including if there's the likely, the damage that we think is likely because uh, caused by the, the work done pursuant to these revisions, that there'd be some sort of agreement that the permit holder pays for it. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Okay, thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. I see one hand raised. Anne Cervantes, are you here to comment on this item? Please go ahead. You need to unmute yourself. Ann Cervantes, you're raising your hand. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yes. Yes, I can um, hear you. It's not for this item, sorry. Okay, please put your hand down. Thank you. Okay. Is there any public comment for this item? Please raise your hand. Okay, I don't see any public comments, so commissioners, this matter is submitted. submitted. Um, so I'd like to 
um, ask DBI some te a technical question on that, and then I'd like to ask the city attorney or maybe as DBI uh, a further question. So, it, um, in whose name should this be? Does it matter? Number one. No, I think the work is included under this permit. The uh, dispute between the property owners is a HOA dispute. It's not under the building code. And, I, I would, and therefore, it's a civil a civil matter. It's not un, under our jurisdiction. Uh, I'll def deflect over to the city attorney for confirmation or or denial of that 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 statement. Yes, I agree with Mr. Green. Okay, so thank you. So it, so it doesn't matter what name the permits under and this this we're getting into civil world which and we're here to talk about the the integrity of this permit okay thank you for that clarification any uh, any commissioners want to have further comment or anybody want to make a motion i'll make a motion uh that we what are we doing? We're we're upholding the the appeal and gr granting the permit, the special conditions permit. Right. So you would be granting the appeal and issuing the permit on the condition it be revised to require the adoption of the revised plans and the revised demo calculations that were submitted for the hearing today. The plans are dated February sixth, and the demo calculations are dated February seventh. Once again, you read my mind. And okay. That's exactly what I was pondering. And on what basis are you making this motion? Uh, in that the, uh, the, 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 the permit, the permit has been the certified and approved by DBI. Maybe? That's all. I'm sorry, the permit? The permit has been certified and approved by DBI. Okay. Okay. So on that motion from President Swig, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Trisvina? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. That motion carries five to zero, and that concludes this matter. So we are now moving on to item number five. This is appeal number 22-079, Joshua Clip versus San Francisco Public Works, Bureau of Urban Forestry, subject property 401 Parnassus Avenue. Appealing the issuance on October 20th, 2022 to UCSF of a public works order. Approval to remove 28 street trees with replacement. UCSF will demolish an existing hospital building and the new hospital building will, re will require extensive health care specific utilities which will require removal of the trees. This is order number 207-226 and note on December 14th, 2022 upon motion by Commissioner Trisvina, the board voted 4-0-1, to zero to one, Vice President Lopez absent to continue this item to February 8, 2023, so that UCSF, Buff, and the Pellant could collaborate on a replacement tree plan. And as a preliminary matter, uh, Vice President Lopez? I thought you were going to say that part. Uh, so given that um, my wife is, is employed by UCSF as a pediatrician, and uh, thus my family has a financial interest in uh, UCSF, uh, there's there's a potential for conflict uh, uh, because of that, and so I'm going to recuse myself from from this item on the calendar. Thank you. We'll call you back when it's over. And uh, we also have a disclosure from Commissioner Epler. Yes, thank you. Uh, I am disclosing that I have in the past served on the UCSF Community Advisory Group, that I also serve on a nonprofit board that has a grant agreement with the university. I have discussed these matters with the city attorney, and it has been determined that I have no conflict in this issue. 
Okay, thank you. So uh, when we last met, we asked for a replacement plan, so it makes sense to hear from UCSF first. So Mr. Olson uh, is representing UCSF. Welcome, you have three minutes. Good evening, um, President Swig and commissioners. Thank you very much. I'm Ami Alden. I am UCSF's Director of Local and State Government Relations. Uh, and as Ms. Rosenberg indicated, uh, when we were before you at the prior hearing, uh, we heard you very clearly that you asked us to go back and work with the city on a plan to increase the number of trees that we would plant to replace the 28 that we are removing in order to build our new hospital. And we're very pleased uh, to report that we have reached an agreement with the city to do exactly what you have asked. Um, for the 28 trees that we're gonna remove, we plan to plant 56 on city property. And then in addition, we are gonna provide the city with a $242,000 in lieu fee so that the city can plant trees anywhere else in the city where the city finds the greatest need. And this will be for a total of 161 trees for the 28 that we are removing. It's a replacement value of almost six to one. This will allow UCSF to be responsive to our neighbors near the Parnassus campus, whom we worked with in a community process to ask them where they wanted trees uh, to be replaced in the neighborhood around our campus, as well as working collaboratively with the city to increase the canopy citywide. Um, we're very glad to make this commitment to the city and we really appreciate um, DPW and the appellant working with us on this. Um, I'll just wanna conclude by saying as you know very well, um, UCSF is not a private developer. We're a public agency with a public mission. We're building a hospital for the benefit of the public. The trees that we're planting are on top of the MOU that we reached with the city in 2021, uh, under which we have made a com significant commitment to greening the city. We have made a commitment to preserve um, all 61 acres of the Mount Sutro Reserve uh, and the five miles of trails that go with it behind our campus as a significant greening effort. We also have a park to peak plan to better improve trail access and signage between Golden Gate Park and Mount Sutro. Um, so we're very pleased to have made this additional commitment to the city, and I'm pleased to turn the rest of my time over to Charles Olson to provide additional details. But thank you again very much for the opportunity to come back before you and discuss the agreement we've made with the city for more trees. Good evening, President Swig. Commissioners, I'll be very brief. Um, we did what you asked us to do. We worked extensively with the city um, department, the city attorney, and the appellant. Uh, we presented to you the replacement tree program that the university came up with. 30 um, seconds. It exceeds the, uh, the city's interpretation of Section uh, 806 of the ordinance, both in terms of number of trees that will be, re be replaced as well as cost. Uh, the university also agreed to accept the city's appraisal of the trees, although it differed drastically from the appraisal that was done by our expert. So um, if the commission has any questions about how we reach this point, I'm happy to answer any questions, but Mr. Buck is here as well to speak about the commitments that the department made to the appellant. Thank you, that's time. Thank you. Okay, we have a few questions. President Swig, then Commissioner Trisvina. Most time we're supposed to make uh, questions, but in this time, 
I'd like to uh, take the initiative to thank you for listening to us. Uh, thank you for up, up, upholding your agreement with the public for their trust because you, uh, because USF is a uh, health and wellness organization, therefore protecting the health and wellness of, of San Francisco citizens and by your act to uh, be as flexible as you have been. Uh, to listen to us and, and plant more trees and fund more trees. Uh, for me, this is a, um, what makes UCSF a great institution. And I thank you for it. Thank you. Commissioner Chesina? Yeah. Uh, I, I wish to join President Swig in his, in his um, praise of your being responsive to uh, the past uh, uh, hearing that, that that we had, and, and it's obvious that you went to work and, and, and took these views under consideration. I appreciate it. I have a, just a couple of questions. Uh, you both have described this as an agreement for more trees. And is it your understanding that the in-lieu fee will pay for more trees, or will it pay for the city's commitment to have trees? So let me respond to that, and I think, um, Commissioner, um, the city... Uh, as well, uh, there was an email this afternoon talking about how the city would implement the in-lieu fee, uh, which is only a portion of it. Uh, you might recall back in December, we, uh, we the university had been working with the community on the, the 56 replacement trees. We wanted to keep that. The commission suggested that maybe we do something else above and beyond that, either with the in-lieu fee, so trees could be planted elsewhere in the city that needs them, uh, you know, where, where there's a real need for those tr trees. Uh, the intent of the in-lieu fee is to allow for uh, up to 105 replacement trees that would be handled by DPW. Uh, that will be done pursuant to a contract which Mr. Buck could speak to. Uh, it could be slightly more than 105. It could be slightly less than 105 based on the contract that's uh, ultimately issued. Uh, it's very important for UCSF as well that in making this con contribution, in lieu fee contribution to the city, that those trees be planted and, and that the, uh, that was very important to the appellant. It's also important to the university. All told on city property and at the site uh, where the project will be developed, there'll be about 206 additional trees that will be planted. Uh, and again, there's 52 more than the city's calculation of 806. Uh, and it's also a, a greater uh, monetary contribution. And I think uh, what the city suggested in their email today is that they could put their, uh, their plan for how to plant those trees, go out to contract, and make sure they're planted into the conditions of the permit that would be issued. Uh, does that answer your question? It, it, it helps. It, it elaborates on the trees that you have control over. They're going to be on, on Parnassus. Yeah. They're going to be on your on on your campus, and you've committed to having them uh, in in the neighborhood. Uh, I guess my perhaps my question is better addressed to to the city as to whether the city will have 105 more trees because of this, or will it just pay for 105 of the trees the city was already planning? Also, I'll I'll address that to the city at at the appropriate time. The other question I had related to uh, one of the documents that you submitted. It was at Chapter Eight. Uh, in, in, uh, it talks about the university's right to cancel and not award the contract to the nonprofit organization to, uh, to, um, uh, to plant and, and, and implement this, this, this part of the order, or this, part of, this part of the plan. And, I, and I'm, I'm wondering, uh, what if um, 
what what are the what are the accountability mechanisms for? Uh, I know there's reporting mechanisms. But what 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 uh, requirements are there for the trees to actually be planted? So uh, a couple of things on that, um, Commissioner. You're talking about the RFP for the 42 trees that will be planted in the community. Um, that RFP is out on the street. Uh, bids are due Friday. Um, it's the university uh, has at least four um, nonprofits have expressed interest in, in you know, going after the contract. We won't know until Friday. If for any reason, which we don't anticipate it will happen, but if for any reason there was not uh, a, a bidder uh, under that RFP, it's the university's intent that they could then sole source the contract, go out to one of the three or four nonprofits that expressed interest, and enter into contract to plant those 42 trees. The RFP has a start date of May, uh, and, and those trees will be planted this year. And the reporting mechanism is both that the uh, community-based group that would plant those trees under the RFP needs to report back to UCSF. UCSF and the city entered into an MOU back in uh, 2020 with respect to the work at, at Parnassus. That also requires periodic reporting on UCS activities at Parnassus Heights related to this plan. So the city will get uh, re reporting under the MOU. The university will get quarterly reports from the entity that accepts the contract and will be doing the work. And the backup plan would be the university will sole source the contract. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lambert. Um, first, I, I want to thank you for the, the, the clearly significant amount of work that went into this. I was uh, definitely fairly aggressive on my stance at the original hearing, and I, I admit to uh, being very impressed with this uh, with this new plan. Um, I did want to ask, uh, because I studied cartography in college, I wanted to ask about the maps of the uh, of the connections to the different neighborhoods, to the Inner Sunset, to Coal Valley, and Golden Gate Park, um, that imply to me, by looking at them, that the trees that we're talking about will be planted along these streets. Is that actually correct? Is my reading of that correct? Or are these just potential areas where the trees could be planted? Um, my, my clients in here and, and could perhaps provide more information on that, Commissioner Lemberg, but the, there were four uh, areas or alleys or corridors that were identified in the initial work that was done with the community and DPW uh, to look at sites that were actually viable. The one that is um, that has been uh, chosen as the most popular is it was was covered in, in the materials we submitted. Uh, I believe that the, the final uh, decision will be made as part of the final the community process, the RFP, and one of those four locations would be the site of the 42 trees that would be planted. Okay, so. So the, the green lines on the on the, the four maps that are provided uh, in the in the four rankings are just theoretical uh, areas of planting, but they're if if for example uh, the inner sunset connection is the one chosen via the RFP process, uh, there will not be trees being planted on the Golden Gate Park paths. Or I'm just trying to get some clarity on what that means. Yeah, the, the connection that was discussed in the uh, tree replacement plan was the one that was selected uh, after the uh, university surveyed community members. It doesn't mean that trees wouldn't be planted there, but they're not part of this RFP process that's in the tree replacement plan. Okay, thank you. 
Hey, thank you. I don't see any further questions. Thank you. We will now hear from the appellant. Mr. Clip, welcome. You have three minutes. Sorry, are you going to hear from Public Works first or me? I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Mr. Buck? Good evening, Commissioners. Chris Buck with San Francisco Public Works, Bureau of Urban Forestry. Um, yeah, typically we hear from the applicant and then the appellant, and then we come in to kind of uh, debrief about what we've done. It doesn't matter what order we present in. Um, kind of going back to where we left off, we were um, looking at doing the appraised value of the individual 28 trees. And that appraised value came out to, um, I believe it was $468,000 we entered into a bit of a review period with uh, UCSF in, involving Mr. Clip in that process. During preliminary feedback, there was a little clerical disagreement about how to count up uh, multiple stems. Not, not a disagreement, but a, a clerical error on my team's part. After we reviewed the feedback, we reduced the overall appraisal by $96,000 to $371,000. 371,271. The UCSF uh, counter appraisal, I wouldn't counter as a little aggressive, but they did their diligence and hired someone who's an expert in doing tree appraisal and is an expert uh, in the field in that. So he actually, Jim Clark provides training to those learning how to do appraisal. Um, that appraisal from Hort Science was 150K. So we had quite a gulf, 221K. Um, I will say that um, UCSF said we will just accept that. We're not here to, to just keep um, debating. They could have said, do we split the difference? Um, so that's one thing I want to report back in on. Also, certainly some bumps along the way early on. Uh, we had terrible storms. And I also was a little late in reaching out to our director, interim director, and legal advice. So things were looking dicey there. And I do apologize to the appellant for that rough start, um, but I was convinced that we could pull it off by this date. Um, and then also, just to provide some additional feedback, when we do the the appraisal of the trees, we also f determined that we couldn't do, we can do replacement value for trees replaced on site, but not for the delta of the additional trees. A long story short, a lot of meetings and uh, feedback. The essentially the UCSF revised plan is providing for, uh, I believe it's 52 additional trees beyond what the revised appraisal value is. So they're accepting a $221, $200,000 appraisal difference, and then our ultimate requirement from the public works through this process is about 52 trees shorter than what's proposed. Public Works. Thank you. That's time. I can answer questions about the contract uh, during follow-up. Thank you. Thank you. We have questions from President Swig and Commissioner Trezvina. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> throw a softball question. Uh, you are happy with the, the settlement that has been proposed, and you affirm that that's okay with DPW? Correct. Okay. Yep. Um, now I'm going to throw out a question that I'm looking into Mr. Clip's mind right now, and he's asking the same question based on our Tesla issue that we had a few weeks ago. Sure. Um, 
what what is your assurance and how is this board going to hold you accountable for spending not you sorry dpw uh what is this board's assurance and how is this board going to hold you your department accountable uh for for planting those trees which are now funded in the the places that you highlighted which were bayview hunters point and this and primarily the southern neighborhoods as i recall correct um i i hear your feedback um president swig we did have several missteps with how we carried out conditions for 601 van ness um i'm sensitive to that i hear that feedback we are a budget at Public Works Bureau of Urban Forestry of $19 million, give or take, and we have to be responsible with how that money is used. So beginning from the, the top down, that's, that's going to be our, our approach in general. Um, we are a public agency, um, share information, committed to urban forestry and following through on the conditions, conditions that are both from the Board of Appeals and, and also on Public Works letterhead. These are conditions issued by Public Works that we are beholden to, and so it, it doesn't reflect well on both Board of Appeals or Public Works if and when we do fall short. Um, assurances, so we will definitely publicize progress. Um, I've proposed perhaps on our website we highlight this as if it was it's uh, the way that public works projects are highlighted. Um, some of the feedback I received just in the last several days is about how long it would take to put a contract out to bid, get going, get bids on that. Um, I provided some information to both UCSF and, and Mr. Clip on that. We also want to deliver for UCSF, so of course the public first, uh, Mr. Clip um, specifically, but also UCSF. So there are a number of uh, folks we need to deliver for. Um, I know I've said this before that it's it's too public and too visible to fail. Um, so that is one reason why we're looking at issuing a, a single standalone contract specifically for the planting of 105 trees. That's the goal. If the bids come in um, where we can go beyond that, we will. If the bid comes in lower, we don't anticipate being much lower than that. Um, that'll all be trackable and related directly to the funds received from UCSF as part of this contract. Um, those, are, those are just an, a number of specific things that come to mind in terms of accountability. Um, but again, it's... We need to be accountable every day and, and everything we do. Um, yeah, we're I'm, always trying let me, to... Let me interrupt yeah, you sure. because you're rambling for me. Sure. And I, I get lost in the ramble. Sure. Uh, what I want to know is how many trees is it, how many trees is that supplemental settlement number going to buy beyond those which are which are replacement trees have identified been identified specifically as replacement trees around the Parnassus Heights neighborhood, and uh, how many how many trees incrementally are going to be purchased? Where are they going to go, and when are they going to get planted? And how is the Board of Appeals going to know and and going to be reported to with regard to accountability to us by your department? Sure. Um, UCSF is committed to 14 trees on site, 56 as part of the original plan in the surrounding community. 
those attachments that show a few different corridors are some of the options being considered. Um, uh, you're you're, you're well, getting, so so please, I'm getting Chris, there. Chris, you're, please give me a break. Okay. It's a simple question. There's two hundred and two hundred odd thousand dollars that has that you now have incrementally to buy trees for the Bayview and the southern neighborhoods based on your own direction last time. When are those tree? How many trees are going to be planted there with that two hundred odd thousand dollars? When are they going to be? When are they going to be planted? And when? When is this body going to know that you've done your job? It'll be done within three years from the Board of Appeals decision. The contract uh, will be entered into within eighteen months of the Board of Appeals decision. The goal is one hundred and five street trees um, in those areas identified by the urban forest plan that are well documented. Approximately 50% of those trees are beyond what was originally going to be required through our code. Um, You've answered my questions, yeah. and, I, and I appreciate the clarity about that, because this, this allows the public to understand what you're planning, sure. when you're planting them, and when they should be looking for those trees to be planted. So they don't come back three months from now, six sure. months from now, or nine months from now and say, where are the, the trees? They're going to come back in three years and say, okay, where are the trees? And hopefully they'll say, wow, the trees have been planted. And then we won't, they won't have to ask those questions. That's why I'm, I'm pressing you. Thank sure. you very much. Yep, thank you. Mr. Chisinau? I have, I think, a related question, which is, as a result of this agreement, if it's approved, will city residents see 105 additional trees than would otherwise have been planted by you? Or is this a budgetary matter where they're buying 105 of the trees that you're going to be planting anyway? It is 105. Um, the proposal you viewed back in December was uh, 56 trees, uh, 14 on site. 48 additional. So it's 105 additional trees based on the revised uh, requirement of our appraisal and the code we're, we're requiring in the 50s. So uh, UCSF has added 47% additional trees to what the code based on our uh, closer analysis of it with the council. Um, so it is uh, 56 or 52 additional trees beyond what was already proposed uh, back in December. Unfortunately, that doesn't answer my question. I, it, it would be, a, what I'm trying to get at is, let's say you're, you're a university and you're getting money for your buildings. Somebody comes along with an extra million dollars. Is that gonna be, an, is this, in this case, this extra 242,000, is this for more city trees or is this for the trees that the city was planning to, to um, have anyway. Just, it's, it's, it's a question about how the in-lieu system works, not, not, the, not in particular what UCSF is doing. They're, they're paying 242 no matter what. Um, so that 242 will fund trees that we don't have funds to, to plant trees. Um, we don't have that funding to plant 105 trees, they're going to pay us that money. It's $242,000 we don't have that we'll put in a bank account. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can, perhaps I should hand out 
some Excel spreadsheets on just sort of what our what our numbers were, um, or UCSF can come bail me out. But um, well, 242k is Buck, is what we were not going to receive back in December. So, um, yeah. 105 trees that were not going to be planted, and he answered the question by saying they are 105 trees that were not going to be planted and now can be planted. Is that correct? Sorry for trying to intermediate. I, I'm, 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 hearing, I'm hearing that as a possibility. Mm -hmm. I'm also hearing as a possibility that over the next three years, the city may need to save some money, and they may say, well, you got 242000 from UCSF. That's 242000 that doesn't have to come from someplace else. And that, that could be, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I just, want, I just want people to know that they can expect either 105 new trees or the same number of trees that the, that the city was planning on, but now UCSF has come to the rescue for that, for that amount of money. It's either a tree or a budget issue. Sure. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. And you know, just probably making it way too complicated than it needs to be. So, um, to answer the question, the two hundred forty-two thousand dollars that um, would be paid to the city and county of San Francisco would be received as in lieu fees. That fund would then fund a contract for two hundred forty-two thousand dollars, specifically with the goal to plant one hundred five. Uh, street trees and maintained for three years and established. So that those funds cannot be used for any other purposes other than satisfying this permit uh, condition with UCSF. Um, so it would be earmarked and could only be used in that manner. Uh, and Public Works will need to implement that and, and carry that out as a condition of the, uh, the permit that's granted. Okay. Well, we have a long agenda tonight. Um, I think this question for me will come back in later okay. meetings. But okay. Thank you. Thank you for no, no, your help. Thank you. Mr. Gibner. Thank you, President Swig. Just a couple points of clarification, maybe getting at both your set of questions and Commissioner Tresvigna's set of questions. Uh, the, just on the, on the location of the trees, I understand that, that Buff has a plan where, how they're going to use the funds. Uh, the Board of Appeals can't add that as a condition on the permit because the board can't direct Buff on where to, where to plant those trees. Uh, but I also understand that you're interested in, in feedback from Buff about how it's going. Uh, although you can't add that as a condition of the permit, uh, you could make a motion tonight to request Buff uh, to report back to you on progress on those plantings, say, at the one-year, two-year, and three-year period, if you choose to do that, or, or whatever time period you, you, you prefer. Uh, regarding your question, Commissioner Tresvigna, um, ultimately, the mayor and the Board of Supervisors set the budget for DPW each year. Uh, there's no guarantee that that budget will increase or decrease in any, any year over the next three, although uh, Mr. Buck has explained this money is, is, is targeted at, at the 105 trees that Buff will plant. Um, he can't commit now, and nor can this board direct, that, that the 
buff budget in future years will stay stable or go up because that's ultimately going to be a policy decision for the Board of Supervisors. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buck. We will now hear from the appellant. Welcome, Mr. Clip. Thank you. Um, I'm deeply grateful that this board deferred on denying my appeal and offered the grace of eight weeks to come up with a better replacement plan. But I want to be clear that we shouldn't be congratulating ourselves tonight because after two months of work, what we have is what Public Works should have conditioned its permit on in the first place. This is not a remarkable replacement plan. It just feels that way because of the remarkable amount of tree loss at this location. This unremarkable, unfinished plan was guided by constraint, not vision. It is nothing more than the value of the lost trees as called for by the code. It still results in a substantial loss of tree canopy and does not come close to what is called for in our climate action plan. What's more, this plan is the result of a bruising rather than cooperative process. For the first four weeks, almost nothing was shared with me. We had no meetings, no documents were exchanged, no appraisal was completed, and it wasn't because I wasn't asking. Four weeks ago, I sought a continuance because I honestly didn't know if anything was happening. In response, Public Works called me underhanded, and UCSF represented that my request was meritless because, one, the appraisal was complete, and two, the city attorney had interpreted the code. Yet neither of those things happened until last week. Additionally, UCSF has repeatedly expressed concern that Public Works is treating it exceptionally by requiring the equivalent replacement value. This is not exceptional. It is the law. If anything, UCSF's concern underscores that this law has not been adequately applied. On top of this, I faced denigrations of my intent and character. I recently learned that in an email to the interim director of public works, our urban forester wrote, quote, I honestly don't know how to do my job anymore, do my job when it comes to working with Josh Clip anymore, which is pretty rich considering that were it not for my appeal and this board's concern, public works would have walked away from around a quarter of a million dollars in tree planting money. I am not here on behalf of myself. I'm here speaking for the trees, the ecosystems, and the people too intimidated by this process. And tonight, I'm a very exhausted member of the public. To the department, I request that you please see public engagement as support for what we need you to do. To UCSF, you've reminded me many times that this hospital is going to save lives. I saw a program recently where one character said to another, how do you treat a tree with respect? And the other character answered, you start off by not thinking you're better than it. Trees are not the price to be paid for future healthcare services. They are a critical piece of those services. And I encourage you to demonstrate your global leadership regarding trees. 30 seconds. And to the board, I thank you for doing what you could in service of this result. I request that this plan be adopted and that the city's implementation plan be a part of that decision in whatever legal way possible along with public reporting requirements from the city regarding the use of the in-lieu fees. Thank you. Thank you. We have a question from Commissioner Lemberg. Um, my question's kind of a softball, but first I want to thank you, Mr. Clip, for your extraordinary service in bringing this appeal and others. Uh, I believe I referred to you uh, to a friend of mine as the, the Lorax of San Francisco, and I appreciate you very much. Um, I, I did just want to ask kind of uh, in the more recent weeks, uh, you, you had mentioned that the first four weeks after after our last hearing, uh, there was no um, no communication, and, and Mr. Buck acknowledged that as well. Uh, I just want to kind of hear your perspective on on what has happened in recent weeks, and kind of just check in with you to make sure that you are really uh, on board with uh, with this result, and that you have been consulted and uh, and collaborated with uh, in in this 
process that led to this revised plan. Anyone on this board who's seen me in action in the past knows that I am a creative and innovative thinker when it comes to uh, solutions to difficult problems, like the problem of an underfunded and shrinking urban canopy. Um, this was collaborative by definition only, meaning I was in the meetings, uh, but it really was more of a discussion uh, between uh, UCSF uh, and uh, the city regarding the code and interpretation of the code and also the um, the valuation of the trees and how that would uh, ultimately be parsed out. So I was part of it, but I would not uh, define this as a as a really outstanding result. I would define this uh, as a result called for by the law. And to that extent, uh, I support it um, mostly because I'm tired. Understood. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Trezvina? I'll, I'll be brief, and I'll ask you, Mr. Clip, the same question I've asked the other uh, speakers. Uh, from December to now, as a result of this agreement, proposed agreement, uh, should do you expect to see 105 more trees in San Francisco, or do you see this agreement as a way for the city to pay for 105 trees that are otherwise committed to be planted? Uh, this afternoon, Mr. Buck did send out an email uh, to uh, the UCSF uh, project manager and myself that I thought was a fairly detailed uh, plan forward, and I was hoping to hear him outline that for you uh, tonight um, in terms of how the, the, the contract would go out and the timeline and, um, you know, estimate a number of trees, sort of give or take 105, you know, more or less um, whatever so I, I guess I was hoping to hear more about that tonight. I don't know if that answers your question. I guess I got a little sidetracked. Uh, uh, no, my, my, my search for an answer will await another, another proceeding. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. We are now moving on to public comment. If you're here to provide public comment on this item, please raise your hand. Anyone in the room? Okay, uh, on Zoom, we see, I see one hand. The phone number ending in 5337. You have two minutes. Please go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Hi, good evening. Uh, this is Karen Duderstadt, and I live in the Inner Sunset neighborhood. I'm also a retired faculty from UCSF, and I'm calling in support of the UCSF tree, tree removal permit and replacement plan at Parnassus Heights area and Inner Sunset. I think I've been a long, long time member of the neighborhood and also of UCSF, and I think my feeling is that UCSF has acted um, well in working with the neighbors to address the needs and priorities of the surrounding community. And I think they've worked for the past two to three years on this tree, uh, on this tree uh, project. And so I do think that um, I'm in support of it, and I think they've acted in good faith with both the community and certainly with the city and the Board of Appeals. I do think that the $241,000, $242,000 is certainly a generous commitment for additional funds for the trees. I also support what the previous gentleman said about how critical the canopy is. We have some canopy in our sunset, but this will definitely contribute to it and other areas of the city, including the, the east side of the city. So I urge the San Francisco Board of Appeals to approve UCSF tree removal permit and replacement proposal. And I do think that um, monitoring over the next two, three years is a very good point. So I think that this will ensure definitely improvement of urban canopy while also avoiding delays in this project in terms of UCSS moving forward in the Parnassus Heights plan. So thank you very much for taking my comment. Thank you. Andrea J. please go ahead. 
Hi, I'm Andrea Jadwin, and I am a member of Inner Sunset Park Neighbors and a member of the public, obviously. And I am here to voice my support of UCSF's tree replacement plan in the Inner Sunset as part of the mitigation process against negative impacts of the new hospital build. But I wasn't planning on saying this tonight. Commissioner Lemberg's question about the maps of where the trees would be planted in the Inner Sunset presents kind of a head scratcher for me because I think like most members of the neighborhood, we assumed that when UCSF went out and asked us where we would like these trees to be, selected options one, two, three, and four, we assumed that that is where the trees would be planted. And now tonight, listening to the conversation, I'm getting that that may not be where they're gonna be planted. And I just would caution UCSF, when you make commitments to the public, they believe that trees will appear in those areas. And if they don't, that is a breach of faith that is probably not where you all wanna go. Uh, nonetheless, I do support this project and I hope that the Board of Appeals will support it as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. John Nolte, please go ahead. You have two minutes. You need to, yes. Yeah. There's actually three parts to this plan. First part is the trees being planted on, on the property of, of uh, UCSF. Second part is the neighborhood, immediate neighborhood, which is the RFP to the immediate neighborhood. And the third part is the additional 105 trees to the uh, Petrol Hill or Petrol neighborhood or some other neighborhood in San Francisco uh, with that contract. So there are three parts to this uh, to this uh, decision that's being done today, and I think people have to clarify that there are three different parts. And so um, my only question is that, uh, especially to the last one and, and the second one, because we have no really no jurisdiction over the first one, where where exactly it's UCSS property is the first part. The second part, the neighborhood, yes, I have concern about the neighborhood where those are going to be planted. And the third part where the, the Petrero Trail or some other neighborhood, 105 additional trees will be planted. So I will want accountability of part number two and part number three, especially since they are within the boundaries of the city. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Nolte, please go ahead. Uh, yes, Michael, N-U-L-T-Y, Nolte. Um, my understanding is that the city really doesn't have much money to plant trees to begin with. So um, to answer one of the commissioner's uh, questions, uh, this would be a pot of money to plant trees in San Francisco. Um, uh, people in the, in the community for years now have been trying to uh, get the city to uh, step up and plant trees citywide. We've gone through a bunch of storms recently and uh, we have a bunch of trees that need to be replaced. Uh, plus, uh, since uh, uh, the Bureau of Forestry has been implemented to deal with street trees, we've watched our canopy um, um, lose trees at least a couple thousand per year. Um, so uh, we're in a deficit and we're not catching up to what we need. So uh, I thank you, CSF, for uh, trying to do their part, but they could have done better in this process. And I think they kind of, uh, they wanted to uh, not pay up, pony up as much as they could have, um, but that, um, you know, I wasn't part of the negotiations, but it seems like we got something, but it could have been better. Um, and I'm a little disappointed. Thank you. 
Thank you. Is there any further public comment? Please raise your hand. I don't see any, so commissioners, this matter is submitted. Commissioners, anybody want to lead off? Uh, Mr. Trusino, I'll start with you. Do you have any? Thank you, thank you, President Swig. I appreciate the testimony from the uh, parties to this in the city as well as the members of the public. There's, it's all very enlightening and instructive. Uh, I will uh, support, uh, or, uh, support the uh, agreement uh, that uh, the parties have come to. Uh, I, I concur with Commissioner Trasvina. Um, I, I will admit to uh, liking Mr. Givner's uh, idea regarding uh, checking in, I guess, on, on the timeline that Mr. Buck told us, which was three years. So I would, uh, I would uh, support the granting of the appeal with the uh, issuance of the uh, revised plan uh, with the additional condition that we do a check-in in February of 2026 uh, to see what the status of this... Uh, okay, that can only be a recommendation. Uh, Mr. Givner said it's a recommendation, not a condition. Annual right, update. so I, I, would, oh. I would include that not in, not in the, the permit revision, but as a, a, an additional request outside of the permit to Apologies PTW. for only hearing half of what you said. Um, okay, with a recommendation then uh, <laughs> that we revisit this in February 2026. So, uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm in support. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank um, all the participants. Uh, certainly, I appreciate uh, the, uh, the university uh, coming to this, this outcome. Um, I appreciate uh, the Department of Public Works uh, fighting for uh, a, a better outcome than what was originally given to them on the table. And I, I, want, I didn't have a question for Mr. Clip, but I do have some empathy, um, having been in negotiations with developers in the city on various issues uh, related to our civic space. It can be very, very stressful and very tiring. And sometimes even when you win, you feel like you've lost. And I just hope that, and, and I know that you recognize this given the number of times in my short amount of time that you've been before us, but this is a long-term game. And this, uh, this outcome, even though it's not perhaps what it could have been, is significantly better than it would have been had you not been involved. And so, you know, thank you for your involvement here as well. I concur with my commissioners in the outcome. I, I will um, disagree in direction. Just just a comment, and I'm sympathetic uh, to Mr. Clip, and I, I also was aggressive in the, the first hearing, thinking that it was coming up way, way too short. And um, uh, two things. W one, um, we on this commission shouldn't have to force uh, feel like a dentist and forcing a, a tooth removal, which, which is synonymous with pain. Um, I, I would hope that in the future, um, that I, you know, this is idealistic, but that developers, be they public developers like UCSF or private developers, um, understand and be empathetic to the citizens of San Francisco with regard to the tree canopy, its, its shortage of 20 or 30,000 trees, and, and not try to shortchange the citizens of San Francisco. Likewise, uh, I, I would call upon um, DPW, albeit all the idealistic, and I'm trying not to be sarcastic, uh, with regard to understanding and being more entrepreneurial uh, in protecting the tree, tree canopy. And, and understanding that when you pull out the beautiful trees that are going to be pulled out next to 
that hospital on Parnassus Heights, which if you've ever driven down Parnassus Avenue, these are iconic in their own right. I know they're only trees to some people, but for some of us who were born and raised here, those trees have been here as long as I've been alive, and that's a long time. And they're beautiful, they're magnificent, and they're going to be gone. And so what's the trade-off there? Let's, let's go for the Gusto DPW and get a, get a fair uh, get a fair return on the loss of uh, of those iconic trees, and and second, secondly, that um, I'm extremely serious about this. When 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 you rep- when it is represented that trees will be pr- planted, and specifically, and you can look in the testimony uh, regarding this from our last hearing, that when we asked where were those should those trees be planted, what I heard was southern neighborhoods in Bayview. And therefore, and they were noted, and we pressed where the right places to plant these trees, and it was reaffirmed, Bayview and southern neighborhoods. So, uh, therefore, that's a subtle, that's a not-so-subtle hint. Plant them in the Bayview and the southern neighborhoods, and, and, and we want some accountability about that, I think. So, um, and, and if they're not, I probably won't be on the, the, the commission by the time they're, they're, they're planted, or maybe I will. But I, I would hope that the commissioners and the commission itself will have the institutional memory to go back and check on DPW, hold, you, hold DPW accountable for the planting of 105 trees in the southern neighborhoods, specifically the Bayview. So, on that, who would like to make the... Uh, the motion, Mr. Appler, you seem to have a, a good handle on it, or a commissioner, I don't I, care. I, I kind of already made the motion, so right. I'll just make it an actual motion. I move to uh, grant the appeal subject to uh, the adoption of the revised uh, tree replacement plan, uh, along with recommendation that uh, the Bureau of Urban Forestry uh, check in with us uh, annually. Uh, thank you. Uh, between now and 2026 uh, regarding the progress of the planting of these 105 additional trees uh, as well as the street trees in the neighborhood. Okay, and... Commissioner Ippler seems to have something to add to that. Okay. Um, I I, I request slightly amending that instead of saying until 2026, until the completion of the planting of the trees under under the plan. That is a friendly amendment that I agree to. Okay, and would the basis be uh, based on UCSF's commitment to plant trees for the city? Yes. Okay. Thank so on that motion, Commissioner Trezvina? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries four to zero, and I'm going to go get Vice President Lopez for the next item. Let me see. Um, no, we'll take a break and, uh, and uh, after the next hearing.
Okay, no, we're gonna start. Okay, we are now moving on to item number six. This is appeal number 22-094, Abinette Tiki versus the zoning administrator, appealing the issuance on December 22nd, 2022, to Abinette Tiki of a letter of determination. The zoning administrator responded to a request for a, a determination regarding the permitted building envelope for RH1 districts and how these may be impacted by certain state laws. More specifically, the requester had questions regarding height, rear yard controls, and local approval discretion and how these are impacted by state law. This is record number 2022-007996. And we will hear from a representative for the appellant first. Ms. And we're getting set up. And just as a reminder, the standard of review is error or abuse of discretion. Okay, um, uh, President uh, Swig, um, I think it would be very helpful uh, for the commissioners to have a copy of the slides on hand. Could you speak in the microphone, please? Sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I believe it will be very helpful. Um, there's a lot of dense information I have to fly through um, for the, the board. Sorry, I didn't speak on it. Will you distribute those to the commissioners as accepted? Okay. Thank you. Yes, I'll begin. Um, I have to move very quickly. Uh, there's one short. Do you have, can we get two, three more Thank up God. here, please? If you have three more, otherwise. I'm sorry, I had five. No, sir. Okay, we're fine, but um, they can share. Is that right? Okay. I apologize. No worries. Please, you can go ahead. You have seven minutes. Do you want to get your presentation up on the laptop first, or? Uh, uh, the laptop, uh, please. Yeah, there you go. Okay, great. Um, so I'll have to move quickly on each slide. Um, there's kind of like four matters and all wrapped into one. And this is a summary of the brief. Okay, um, so uh, these are the contested issues. Um, and uh, I'd like to start off first with uh, what we understand is the board's uh, standard of review, um, just to kind of uh, get on the same page. Um, we kind of expect a more likely than not um, evidence standard um, that uh, issues uh, we divided, uh, decided de novo wherever the LEZA likely erred or abused or didn't answer questions. Um, we're hoping uh, the board should overturn and modify inconsistent parts of the LOD to achieve the goals of the brief. Um, and uh, we're hope expecting, hoping a fair and balanced review of error, error and abuse um, before giving deference to the ZA. Uh, we also believe uh, to deny the appeal, uh, the board must fully agree with everything in the ZA's LOD rationale and reading of cited codes and reasonably disagree with um, appellant's reading of those codes or other codes. Um, and uh, we also believe that an appeal denial would set a very uh, bad precedent um, that uh, Section 307A would ban all ZAs from making LODs on how state laws affect any city codes. And uh, the city, uh, we believe, would risk uh, being sued for damages stemming from all such invalid prior LODs that were made. Um, and uh, we also believe that it would also mean that uh, no uh, future uh, city official 
uh, could uh, pr perform an LOD to the public um, on how if uh, state laws affect any city codes, uh, which seems to be clearly intent against the intent of Section 3307A. Um, we also believe that the board is competent to rule de novo uh, regarding HAA uh, matters um, in this case, um, based upon uh, Kate Connor's uh, briefing a month ago uh, to the board, and um, as the board has also done in the past, uh, past appeals um, uh, noted in the, in the presentation. Um, note that uh, Kate Connor um, in that uh, briefing uh, to the board, um, the, said the RDG is not um, an objective standard um, to, and uh, can be applied on the HAA, uh, which we believe is a clear error and abuse uh, by the ZA to not codify that in the LOD because we actually asked that question. Um, we we're kind of mystified. Um, here um, are top-level contested uh, technical, very technical and narrow issues uh, we asked the board to decide upon here. Uh, one is that the LOD was conclusory, conclusory and arbitrary um, and devoid of facts and, and code support. Um, the ZA, uh, we believe, is obligated to make determinations in interpreting uh, city planning, planning code uh, with respect to director bulletins and state housing laws. And um, we believe the 40X um, height bulk district is part of the master general plan. Uh, so the 35-foot uh, RH1 building uh, limits are not enforceable per the HAA. Uh, likewise, the 30% rear yard is not enforceable, and likewise, RDG setbacks are not enforceable under the HA. Um, so um, accordingly, we believe the issue is that uh, HAA RH1 projects having 40-foot height, 25% rear yard, and no RDG setbacks uh, may not be denied permit. Uh, you know, I'm not flipping. I'm sorry. I'm not flipping. Slides. <laughs> I'm uh, new at this. Um, sorry to everybody. <laughs> um, I'm on this slide and I'll do my job <laughs> going forward. Um, uh, reg regarding uh, 40x uh, height uh, issue, um, uh, we've um, come to experience that the ZA apparently has no expertise on uh, Section 260A, um, as demonstrated in an email exchange I had with the ZA. Um, that is, um, the ZA erroneously believed that Section uh, 260A set no 40X height limit, um, so the ZA um, is apparently not skilled to answer if the 40X is part of the master general plan. This is very esoteric, very old stuff. Um, because uh, the ZA is completely unaware about, also uh, because the ZA is completely unaware about Section 252, um, and Section 340. Um, uh, accordingly, we believe the board must decide um, LOD questions uh, 1A of the LOD uh, de novo, um, and uh, copied are the emails uh, below, which uh, are in this slide. Okay, um, and uh, key facts and arguments um, highlighted uh, from the brief, and with a few extra points, new um, is, uh, uh, per prior um, LODs, the ZA must um, make uh, LOD determinations applying how applying state laws effect on building code, bu building permits, and issuance and denial. Um, and uh, if you see Section 307A, um, where it says um, ZA shall respond to um, questions on interpretation and applicability, the key is applicability of the provisions of code. 
obviously the applicability of uh, city codes is subject um, to state laws. Uh, per, even per ZA prior LADs cited um, in the brief and exhibits B1, B2, and B3, uh, summarized below. Um, and, um, and if Section 307 intended uh, ex to exclude state laws um, from LOD determinations, um, it would have just stated that explicitly. Um, and, and it does not, because it's against the intent of that section. Um, and uh, the board also heard um, an appeal um, where the ZA uh, legally analyzed in great detail, I must say, um, state and federal law um, to argue city code compliance. So the ZA is very competent in state law and city codes. Um, so the ZA must answer if the 40X uh, height limit of section 280, 260A is part of the general plan um, because um, because, uh, sorry, I lost my part. 30 um, seconds. Yeah, I was making sure I was flipping slides and I got confused, sorry. Um, if the, is, is part of the general plan because the 40X uh, height limit zoning is in fact part of the general plan because the, those height districts were created in 1972 in section 252, which updated the 260A zoning map uh, with the 40X uh, zoning as part of the city's pre-1996 master plan. And then later on, Section 340 incorporated that master plan um, into the city's that's general time. plan. Is time. that 30 seconds? Uh, that's the end have, of seven have, minutes. Yeah, that's time. You'll have time in rebuttal as well. Oh, that was but time? We do have a couple questions for you from oh, peasants. Oh, wow. I, I lost it. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Uh, President Swig, did you have a question or you Almost. removed your name? Okay. Commissioner Lemberg? Uh, thank you. I, I'm. I'm a little lost, um, I'm sure. so I'm going to ask. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask a an, an introductory question here, and that question is: um, Who are you, and what is your interest in this matter? I, I'm a little confused why this is before us at all. Uh, okay, uh, well, you know, the, uh, I mean, who who am I? Um, you didn't even state your name on the record, so. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It, so, uh, <laughs> Uh, Julie had introduced me, so I thought that was it. Oh, oh. I, yeah. No, I'm representing the appellant, um, and uh, and uh, basically the 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 LOD is about RH1 controls and getting uh, determinations on uh, these different issues and how they apply, because obviously they they control and and, and limit uh, you know affordable housing development in the city. So we'd like to understand them, and the LOD you know is a great great vehicle to do that, because it's city codes that need to be interpreted. That's all fine and dandy, but what is the actual interest in, I mean, if, if you had gotten a, a different answer from, from the zoning administrator than, uh, than you did, if you had gotten different answers, what was, the, what was the goal in getting these interpretations in the first place? Because uh, as I read it, there's no attachment to any actual building project uh, there's not, not a single address of a building in San Francisco mentioned in any of the paperwork. Um, and all of these questions are meant to be in the abstract entirely. Um, and and I, I, I'm struggling with, with, the, with your argument that the zoning administrator erred in some way based on these abstractions that don't have any connection to any real building project. Ah, 
Ah, okay. That's a very understandable uh, uh, feeling about that. Um, let me ground it. Uh, these abstractions um, control the core of RH1 controls. Um, and as you know, 70% uh, at least of, of San Francisco are controlled um, of housing development um, under RH1. So that's grounded for you. You don't need one, one location. You've got 70% of the city of, of zoning. Okay, so that grounds it. So each one of these issues controls what affordable housing under the HAA can be done. So it is very important, you know, to future development. We might be interested, uh, appellant might be interested, um, you know, the, on these determinations. Um, so they are quite critical and grounded. Do you have an affiliation? Are you with a law firm? Are you with a group? Are you just here? <laughs> no. Un unaffiliated, oh, correct. Okay. Just uh, representing a pellet, and pellet has an interest in the matter. Okay, thank you. Thank you, President Swig. Uh, I have a question for Mr. Givner. Um, help me put some bumpers and context um, on a letter of determination, uh, especially when it is, as my fellow commissioner just stated. And in, in an abstract, um, we don't have a project here. We don't even have a bundle of projects. Uh, this is a general question uh, where, the, where the ZA was asked for a letter of determination completely in the abstract. How far? Or what should the letter of determination be expected to contain if indeed there's n no physical property, properties, neighborhood, region, district to, to hook that, that question to? Thank you, President Swig. I, th this is probably a question better answered by Mr. Teague because he has to struggle with, with actually resolving but the I'm questions. But I'm asking from a, a legal, you know, from a legal standpoint, you know, if the, if the, if you're looking for, uh, for a, a, I'm asking for some legal guideline on abstract and, and legal compliance and abstracts it's kind of like, for me, an oxymoron. You, you got to, you know, if you're going to get a ticket for doing 56 miles an hour, you got to have a 55-mile-an-hour zone, right? And so what is the a letter of determination? How is a letter of determination expected to behave legally in the context of something as abstract as represented by my fellow commissioner? Sure. The, the, the zoning administrator has authority to interpret the planning code. So a person could request uh, an interpretation, even if it's not tied to a specific project. But uh, as, as I think this, the Commissioner Wenberg's line of questions suggests, it's, it's more difficult for, for the zoning administrator to, to fully analyze a question without some kind of factual uh, underpinnings. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to attempt to ask a, a more legalese version of President Swig's question to you, Mr. Givner, which is... I'm uh, sorry for not no, being no, a lawyer. No, no, no. I apologize. I just, I, just want, I, I just want you to get the answer to <laughs> your question. Um, 
Specifically in Planning Code Section 307A, um, it says that the zoning administrator shall respond to all written requests for determinations regarding the classification of uses and the interpretation and applicability of the provisions of this code. Based on that code section, do you believe that Mr. Teague's letter of determination uh, appropriately answered according to that standard? Ultimately, of course, the, that's a question for this board uh, in this appeal. But, but yes, Mr. Teague's letter responded to the questions that he's authorized to, to interpret and did not and and correctly or appropriately told the the requester that there were certain questions that the ZA is not authorized to interpret in an LOD. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Trisvenia. There's some matters that can be submitted on the papers without oral argument in court, and I think here as well. Uh, in answer to your both of your questions, the way I view it is that, that the, the zoning administrator did answer questions. He, I, I, I believe he answered the better part of questions one, five, six, seven, and eight. Uh, the, uh, obviously, uh, the, the, the uh, member, member of the public didn't like the, the answers, he was dissatisfied, but I believe the questions were answered. On the question of is there, is there a place, um, can, can someone come forward without any proposed uh, uh, plan? Uh, we did that a few months ago. The zoning administrator insisted that, that he could not withdraw um, a letter of determination on a marijuana store that was no longer in the works. The tenant had left. The property owner said, I'm never going to do it, but yet insisted that he could not withdraw it. So I think we're stuck with this, these and other matters before us, uh, irrespective of how, uh, how distant they are from anything uh, close to going into the ground. So, uh, sorry for opening that, that can of worms this early in the hearing without hearing the rest of the hearing. So before we get into determining our result, I think it, uh, I apologize for opening this can of worms and I think we should move to the, uh, to Mr. Teague. Okay, thank you, you can be seated. We will now hear from the zoning administrator. Good afternoon, or good evening now. Uh, President Swig, Commissioners, Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator with the Planning Department. Um, yes, um, I think the, the brief clearly outlined kind of the situation at hand. The requester submitted a, a request um, that was pretty voluminous. Um, there were a number of questions that had sub-questions, and if yes, then, if no, then, sub, um, sub-variants. It was a bit of a challenge to kind of comprehend the full scope. <laughs> Uh, I spoke with them on the phone to try to gain a better understanding. Um, we exchanged some emails also to gain some understanding. During those communications, I did express to the uh, requester that there were certain aspects of the request that the zoning administrator simply did not have the authority to make a final determination on. So that was not necessarily a surprise. Again, to me, they were kind of, it helped me to group the kind of consolidate the questions into a few um, more general um, questions to kind of capture the full uh, range of questions that were asked. And they really boil down to three issues. Um, one being 
the consistency of the planning code or certain provisions of the planning code with various state laws, the other, the consistency of certain code provisions with the general plan, and the other was a question specifically um, whether or not a building permit that did not meet certain provisions of the planning code could be denied by the planning department despite those state laws. And so in my response, and I should back up a little bit, it, it is not that uncommon to get um, requests for determinations that are not site-specific or project-specific. They're topic-specific um, or they're really focused on a specific code section um, and the answer to that will impact a future development, right? So that in and of itself is not necessarily that uncommon. Um, in my response, I did try to make it as clear as possible that 307A you know, I am required to respond in writing, which I did, um, but my purview is to interpret the planning code. Um, I do not have uh, any authority or responsibility to interpret state law uh, and or whether or not the uh, city is meeting state law and that authority would then, uh, you know, transfer to you on this board on appeal. Um, we do not have that authority. Similarly, there were questions as to whether or not certain um, ordinances passed by the Board of Supervisors were consistent with the general plan. My response was that all ordinances like that are required to make general plan consistency findings, and basically the Board is determining themselves that this action is consistent with the general plan. And in both cases, if someone determines an action by the Board of Supervisors to not be consistent with the general plan or not be consistent with the, uh, with the state law, the avenue to address that is the court system and not necessarily um, the zoning administrator. And then I did confirm that a permit that did not meet the specified provisions that were called out in the code could be denied by the planning department because it was not consistent um, with the planning code. Um, there was reference to some other LODs in the past that have talked about state law. Um, and I can understand why that can be a little bit confusing because obviously we do have an intersection of state laws. The zoning administrator acts like those state laws don't exist. Um, but we do have a, two kind of parallel processes for that. That's why we have, you know, the zoning administrator issues bulletins as well. Those bulletins are about interpretations of the planning code. Our director also issues bulletins, and those bulletins are kind of administrative determinations for process, um, but also things that fall outside the planning code, such as interpretation of state law or how we're going to process projects pursuant to state law. Um, and so that's why we have separate staff like Ms. Connor, who was here um, a few weeks ago with that training. Um, part of her primary role is to help the department synthesize and organize state law and, and help us uh, coordinate that work at the department level to determine how we're going to interpret and implement those state laws. That is not a zoning administrator uh, function. And then last but not least, one of the questions that was raised in the um, request and the brief is this concept of whether or not the general plan is part of the planning code. Um, I have made the clarification that they are two separate distinct entities governed um, separately, um, clearly in a relationship, but they are separate uh, entities, the general plan is not part of the planning code. The planning code is not part of, of the general plan. Um, so I'm happy to go into any detail you would like. I do feel um, that the requirements of the zoning administrator was met. I did answer the questions, provide a written response to them, and I felt like the answers that were provided uh, were correct. But I'm available for any questions you may have, but I hope you deny the appeal. Thank you.
Thank you. We, President Swig and then Commissioner Lemberg has a question. Uh, thank you for your your testimony and um, and I don't have a disagreement with that testimony. However, um, we have a member of the public who obviously would probably disagree with me at this point. Uh, but uh, this member of the public really worked hard and obviously has a sincere commitment to understanding the, uh, the future, as, as he put it, of, of how some of our codes, laws, et cetera, um, affect the development of affordable housing. Um, and I think part of our job on this panel uh, revolves around the word empathy. And so, you know, I am empathetic that uh, this gentleman has put forth one hell of a lot of effort uh, and as, as evidenced by the task that he put you through with his uh, a tremendous amount of detailed questions. Um, how, how is this member of the public going to um, ultimately be satisfied uh, to understand the implementation of these codes, laws, et cetera, um, in, in, in this pursuit? Will it be, you mentioned the, the civil courts, that's, that's certainly one way, uh, or will it be through, as my fellow commissioner mentioned, uh, you know, where's, where's this going? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what is this? Uh, what is this line of question attached to? What specific project, projects, or whatever is this attached to? How will this member of the public, and I'm, I'm empathetic towards his, his passion and his uh, deep interest in getting answers to these questions, but how will this member of the public get some satisfaction right. if we uh, agree with you on the, the state of your letter of determination? Sure. Um, obviously, I can't speak to what ultimately would satisfy the appellant. I can speak to the fact that you're correct that, I mean, just through this letter process, there's been a pretty significant amount of time spent. Um, I do know that the uh, appellant has had conversations on similar topics with Ms. Connor multiple times, uh, with the director of current planning and with the director of the department. I, I do feel that the department has provided, you know, probably more than sufficient responses. Um, and we do issue, I mean, one of the reasons we have bulletins is that is a public facing document that does explain how we are implementing various state laws. So we have it in writing exactly how we're, as a department, interpreting and implementing that law. So it's, it's, a, it's fairly clear. Um, I think it's obvious that there's not satisfaction on the appellate, on the position that the, that the department and the city has taken on interpreting and implementing those laws. Um, so if that is the case, um, assuming those interpretations don't change, then it would be, um, the next step would be um, the court system, whatever process got him to that point. So your point of view is that at this point, the city uh, is using these, these things on either side of my head, listening, putting mm -hmm. out bulletins, trying to, um, Ref reflect your on an ongoing basis your interpretation of, of state law as of as it applies to city statutes general plan etc and um, absolutely yeah. and and you can't make everybody happy you can only try 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the department devotes a lot of staff time and coordination um, with the city attorney's office and others on our interpretation and implementation of state law. It's definitely not a, a, a trivial task when we develop and, and issue those bulletins. Okay, thank you. I'll defer to Commissioner Lindberg. Thank you, Mr. Teague. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, the first one is mostly just to satiate my curiosity. If not in the planning code, where is the general plan uh, codified? So the general plan is a separate document. It is adopted and is, again, kind of a separate and distinct document. We have it. You can access it from our website. Um, you can get hard copies if you really, if you really want. But, um, but yeah, so it is codified. It is adopted through, um, you know, the general plan was just amended with our housing element being adopted by the Board of Supervisors. So it is similar to the planning code in the sense that it is its own separate document that has different components or sections that can be separately amended. Um, is that adequate? Okay. Absolutely. Sure. Um, second question, and I, I'm going to give you an out on this one if you don't want to answer it. Okay. But, um, I, when I when I see an appeal like this one, my inclination is to try to figure out what's really underneath it. Um, do you have an opinion on what's underneath uh, this the the initial request for an LOD? Uh, what the uh, and what the appellants are trying to achieve here? Um, I've not spoken specifically with the appellant about it. My understanding from my colleagues in their conversations is that there is one or more uh, proposed developments that are either conceptual or there has been some application that are uh, that the appellant has received feedback as to how the code would apply and or how state laws would or would not apply, and that has not been kind of satisfactory. Um, there has been a request about a month ago, a new LOD request for a different, for a specific development proposal on a property in the city. Um, I don't know if that is the ultimate source or an additional, but it is my understanding, and you know, the, the appellant may be able to speak more to it, that there is ultimately a, a desire to be able to develop certain sites in a certain way pursuant to their interpretation of state law. Thank you. Sure. Commissioner Lopez. Uh, yeah, not really a question. I think it's it's more of a of an aside or suggestion. But I think clearly, you know, even based on our line of questioning this evening, uh, the fact that uh, you know Miss Connors, you know, really, uh, really, uh, you know, great presentation to us was very well received and appreciated by us. Clearly, there's a lot of complexity in this patchwork of you know, state, federal, local, uh, with exceptions, you know, all along that chain uh, in terms of what applies in which context. I think, I think we could do more to present, you know, at a very high level, you know, where, where the kind of Plinko kind of chips, you know, hit different, uh, you know, cascade along different jurisdictional uh, controls along the way. Um, I have seen really good and I can't claim to be an expert on the planning department's website, uh, but I have seen really good, uh, you know, collateral on on those, you know, types of frameworks with respect to like ADU uh, policy, for example. Uh, but but that's just and, and obviously that's not going to circumvent uh, or or address, you know, the potential needs for all 
possible appeals of this sort or LOD requests of this sort, but I do think that it's complex enough to where uh, we may be able to do more to, to just give people a high level, you know, overview of, you know, who, who controls what, where you can go for, you know, bulletin guidance on what, and, and just give people, um, you know, at least a, a brief roadmap to, you know, the road, the rabbit hole should people decide to, to dive in. Sure. Thank you for that suggestion. I think, I, I think that's what we are, we attempt to do with the bulletins and our website. Um, I, there's no escaping the complexity. You're absolutely correct. Um, the preferred method is that when a state law is passed and we need to implement it, that we uh, amend our planning code to be consistent and so you don't have two separate right vehicles to go where you need to go. That takes time. Um, also, state laws keep getting updated sometimes faster than we can update, uh, do local revisions. Um, so that's why we kind of have this two um, parallel track. Like the planning code is essentially, it applies to the, unless there is a, you know, a bulletin about state law that says in these situations it does not apply or it applies differently. So that is definitely like the source. We rely on the planning code first and foremost. That is the foundation. And the bulletins are designed to layer, layer over that. Um, and we try to provide that information as kind of concisely and as easily to digest on our website as possible. But absolutely recognize that's a challenge just based on the volume of state laws and the complexity and the way they intersect uh, let alone how they intersect with the local code, but how they intersect together. So it's definitely a challenge, and I, I hear you on that. Okay. okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. I don't see any public comments, so we'll move on to rebuttal. So, Mr. Talila, sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was kind of hoping a lot of technical legal discussion on the points of the codes, you know, these codes that I've laid out here point a logical legal chain that rebuts everything that was just said by the, the ZA. Uh, and if you read the LOD questions, uh, this, the ZA's characterization is not the LOD questions. Um, for example, you know, um, just off the top, the LOD was not asking about consistency between the general plan and the height bulk thing. It was asking if the 40X height bulk was part of the general plan. And then I map out for the board that section uh, 350 created in 1972, the 40X height bulk. No, no response. Then I, then I point out that section 340 actually says the master plan, which that section 42 with the 40X high bulk, that master plan was hereby incorporated and created into this new general plan. All this stuff is in the code. Section 307 says the ZA is responsible to talk about however those things can apply. Those are all in the code. So I'm asking about 40X high bulk is part of um, the master plan, which became part of the general plan. Um, and Mr. Teague says, oh, I don't have to answer any of that, but section 307 says he does. Same thing with state law affecting local process. 
So if we ask, hey, how would this affect local process if the general plan um, is picked over a specific plan, and if that thing's part of general plan, how does that pan out? We have to know, um, you know, under the HAA. Um, there's no bulletin on the HAA, by the way. It's maybe one paragraph in Bulletin 7. Um, HAA is a lot more complex than that. And there's no bulletin on this 40X height bulk. Um, and bulletins also are not um, interpretations that are binding, and they are flawed. Um, and they interpret city code. I can go through and show you bulletin doesn't track city code. I mean, doesn't track state law. Um, and those should be contested. If the ZA is not responsible for answering um, to state law and how the, that affects um, city code interpretations, then nobody is. And the public, then the intent of Section 307A was to give predictability to the public of what they can get um, approvals or not for interpretations of code. Then we're left blank. That's the big problem. I'm very, unfortunately, disappointed by that. Sorry. Thank you. We have a question from Commissioner Trisvenia. Thank you. If I could ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first, I, I, I appreciate the, the, the interest in the subjects and, and the bona fide nature of your inquiry. Uh, I, I do worry about the use of the letter of determination process. Uh, within the, and within the um, letter from, 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 from the zoning administrator, uh, he refers some of your inquiries to determinations made by the Board of Supervisors. Have you inquired with your member of the Board of Supervisors uh, on any of these matters? Okay, uh, so that is an unpertinent uh, response. Um, the question, as I mentioned just earlier, well, so, oh, let me mention me, why he- I'm, 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 my, my question was, let, have you let me asked clarify. your member of the Board of Supervisors? I, I don't want to get into a debate. No, on. that's not relevant because the reason if you read the, it's a yes or no question, sir. Uh, it, it, there's no consistency question which only the Board of Supervisors can answer. I'm not asking, we're not asking consistency questions. So, no, there's, okay. no, so, there's no reason okay. to go to so, Board of Supervisor. The ZA so is the very, one very, who answers very, what the city code contains. Very good. Have you gone to your district supervisor or any other supervisor uh, seeking your help in, uh, seeking their help in getting an answer from part of the bureaucracy in this matter? Um, as far as uh, plain reading of, no, okay. 3307A says ZA answers planning code interpretations, and that's all we're asking. So Thank nobody you. else would be logical to go to. Okay. Thank you. We will now hear from the zoning administrator. You can be Thank seated. You. Thank you again, Corey Teague, Zoning Administrator. Um, so just to be clear, the general plan does not establish the height districts for the city. Um, it has general guiding principles on appropriate heights and urban other like built form and urban design elements for the city. Um, height districts are established as part of the code. We have height maps or the, um, we have zoning maps and height maps. They are part of the code. Um, and they map the city and clearly establish what the height districts, height and bulk. So whether it's 40X, whether it's 120A, whatever that may, may be, those require separate legislative action from the board to adopt or amend. So that's where our height maps live. There's, that's how our height districts are created. Article 2.5 regulates how we deal with height, how we measure height. 
um, how bulk applies, et cetera. Um, in terms of what the options are, are that are available, you, we have plenty of uh, litigation that we're dealing with right now. People use the courts if they think the city has taken action that is not consistent with state law. That is the appropriate avenue to do that. Um, it's not uncommon and people do that and that is available. In terms of just the nuance of the language of 307A, um, in terms of the ZA's responsibility on interpreting the code and the applicability of the code, um, not to be too nuanced, but like the responsibility of the ZA is to determine the applicability of the planning code, not the applicability of other state or federal laws um, that is a separate type of applicability. And it may be that a state law, as applied, would render certain parts of the planning code moot. Um, but again, the zoning administrator is only tasked with the applicability of the planning code, not the applicability of those other laws. So um, I hope that helps answer some additional questions, and I'm available for any questions you may have. Thank you. We don't have any questions at this time, so commissioners, this matter submitted. Mr. Trisina, you asked most of the questions, so you want to start it off? How's that for rationale for calling you out? <laughs> thank you. Well, I th thank you, Pre President Swigand, and I want to thank the uh, member of the public for, for presenting this to us. And I am sympathetic. I am sympathetic yeah. to um, his quest for information, his quest for working working through the bureaucracy. Um, but as we, as if we are, if the standard here is abuse of discretion. What I see in the materials, and as I said earlier, the written materials could, what comes through from the written materials is not an abuse of discretion, but a good faith effort on the part of the zoning administrator to understand and, and, and his staff that understand the questions that have been presented uh, and, and attempt to answer them. And, and as I said earlier, I believe he, the, the LOD answers questions one, five, six, seven, and eight. So uh, I would encourage the mem members of the public. Uh, when I was a deputy city attorney, we used to have the deputy of the day, and members of the public would come to the front desk at, or at the city attorney's office and would ask a question about the bureaucracy. And the most junior members of the, of the city attorney's team would be selected to answer those questions. Whether it is that process or whether it is, uh, whether it is your, your member of the board of supervisors who can help get questions and answers from the, from the bureaucracy, uh, I would encourage you to take other steps other than the letter of determination. But on this letter of determination, I would say it, it was uh, appropriately, uh, appropriately uh, issued, uh, and I would deny the appeal um, based, on, based on its, its correct uh, issuance. Would you like to make that motion? I will move to, uh, is, it, is it upholding the letter or well, is it denying the appeal? Well, you would be denying the appeal. the appeal and upholding the LOD on the basis that the ZA did not err or abuse his discretion, and it, the LOD was properly issued. I so move. Okay, perfect. Any commissioners have any further comment, or should we move to vote? Move to vote. Okay, so on that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries five to zero, and the appeal is denied. Thank you. We are now moving on to item number seven. This is appeal number 22-092, Mid-Sunset Neighborhood Association Incorporated versus Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval. Can we take, uh, this is going to be a, 
a long session. I have a sneaking suspicion. Could we take a five-minute biological break for the benefit of the commissioner? Okay, why don't we take a 10-minute biological break? All right, 10 minutes. <laughs> so we, everyone can relax a little bit. We can come back. Thank you very much. I okay, thank it. you. So, um, but... Yes, that's fine. That's fine. Yes, 10-minute break. Thank you. We'll be back at um, 7.05. Thank you for your patience. SFGov TV, San Francisco Government Television. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Okay, welcome back to the February 8th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Appeals. We are now on item number seven. This is appeal number 22-092, Mid-Sunset Neighborhood Association versus the Department of Building Inspection, Planning Department Approval, Subject Property, 2550 Irving Street. Appealing the issuance on November 18th, 2022 to the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation of a demolition permit. Demolish a two-story, two-basement office building. This is permit number 2022-06-27-7192. And I would like to announce that we do have a Cantonese interpreter available if anyone needs assistance. And President Swig, a disclosure to make? Oh, sure. Uh, I have um, uh, used uh, the firm of Ferrella Martel been involved with the firm of Forella Martel in various actions over a very long time. Uh, however, my use of them in unrelated matters will have no impact on any uh, decision that I will make tonight. Thank you. And President Swig, you did want the Deputy City Attorney to make an announcement regarding... Uh, yeah, and then I'll, I'll make one more statement with regard to the, the, the protocol of tonight's hearing. Um, there are approximately 25 people. Uh, what, would would you raise your hand if you're here to uh, do public comment tonight, just in this room? Good. So I'm going to make a truthful statement. Uh, there are approximately 25 people uh, sitting in this room who are intent on making public comment, which we invite and cherish. Uh, there are currently uh, 60 or so people uh, that we can't see virtually online that wish to do the same thing. Uh, we want to hear from everybody, but um, in the the issue of time, in the issue of this panel's, uh, um, the, the, the staff, the panel, and also fellow citizens, um, I'd like to limit public comment, please, to one minute, and also, uh, if you find during public comment that your point has been made um, uh, and that uh, you don't feel the need to be redundant, uh, you, you don't have to uh, comment, and that will um, shorten the, the, the activity, uh, get us to the same resolve, given that your comment will have already been made. If you want to be redundant, we love public comment. We want to hear from everybody, so have at it. But I just thought I'd make that statement, given uh, you know currently our count is 85 people who want to make public comment tonight. Times one minute. That's a long time, so you can understand. And I, I talked about empathy in the last hearing. Empathy, please, <laughs> to everybody. Uh, Mr. Gibner, could you help us out too with uh, some guidelines and some interpretation? Thank you. Sure. Thank you, President Swig. Um, uh, before this, before this item, you asked if I could give a brief overview of the the board's jurisdiction here and the specific legal question before the board. Uh, so, as as some of the papers indicated, uh, this project is subject to a state law called SB 35, um, named after the the bill number. Uh, SB 35 requires the city to ministerially approve affordable affordable residential housing projects that meet certain standards, uh, objective standards and criteria. Um, because SB 35 requires the city to ministerially approve qualifying projects, this appeal isn't subject to the board's usual discretionary standard of review under Business and Tax Regulations Code Section 26. Under SB 35, the city's review of a project is limited to determining whether the project meets the criteria for an SB 35 project and any generally applicable design standards. In this appeal, 
based on the papers, the parties don't question whether SB 35 applies, and the appeal doesn't involve questions about design standards. But SB 35 also has specific rules about subsequent permits required to complete a project, like a demolition permit. For those permits, SB 35 says three things. One, the city must issue the permit if the application substantially complies with the development as it was approved. Two, the city can't impose any procedure or requirement that is not imposed on other projects that aren't subject to SB 35. And three, the city's review of the permit application must not inhibit, chill, or preclude the development. So here, the board can't impose any conditions on the demolition permit that the city doesn't otherwise impose on non-SB 35 projects. I don't have a list of those usual conditions, but the, uh, it may be helpful if the, board, if the board wants to inquire more to, to ask either the parties or, or more specifically DBI or DPH, who I understand both have representatives here, about the, uh, the, the types of conditions that the city does apply on, um, on demolition permits. Uh, and to the extent there are any conditions on the permit, uh, under SB 35, those conditions can't inhibit, chill, or preclude the project from moving forward. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the appellant first. And Mr. Wang, welcome. You're the attorney for the appellant. Yes, thank you. Have, you. Thank you. You have seven minutes. President Swig, commissioners. If you could adjust your microphone, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Just if you put, pull it up so we could hear you better. Thank you. President Swig, uh, commissioners. Enoch Wong, uh, I'm here representing the appellant Mid-Summer Sunset Neighborhood Association, also referred to as MSNA. It's a group of residents that live in very close proximity to the subject property that is uh, proposed to be demolished. Uh, I also, at this time, want to introduce uh, Don Moore, professional geologist, our expert witness uh, on the PC contamination and best practices for protocol for uh, during demolition, and Paul Holzman who lives uh, very close to the subject property and is our environmental liaison. Uh, so the first thing uh, I really want to address is the, uh, this board has jurisdiction uh, to uh, grant the appeal and uh, issue very limited conditions. These conditions um, are not conditions that wouldn't be imposed on other properties, and they wouldn't inhibit or chill uh, the progress of this development. Uh, they're very simple conditions uh, that we are requesting that are absolutely vital in light of the new findings that have been ignored by the permit holder, both in its site management plan submitted November 2021 and in its demo permit application submitted June 2022. The conditions are such. We're, they're feasible. They're inexpensive. We want to have professional geologist supervision to collect soil and soil vapor samples during demolition and test them for PC. Because the uh, new findings in 2022, which have been ignored, indicate that uh, not only is there a Cortesi list uh, site just south of the property, which used to be an Albright Cleaners, uh, there's contamination source also to the north of the property, which used to be Miracle Cleaners. That's part of the subject property. It used to be Police Credit Union. It's 2520 Irving, and uh, that uh, needs to be investigated. And uh, during demolition, there's an absence of this uh, testing in, in the plans, and uh, this is feasible, 
and uh, if it's not done during demolition, there's a significant risk that evidence will be destroyed, and this will have very significant consequences in any remediation plan. Uh, Supervisor Joel Ingardio, recently elected, has strongly supported this appeal and the issues of conditions, and you'll hear about that later. So I'm going to yield my time at this point to uh, Don Moore. Hello, everyone. Don Moore, um, pro bono expert, uh, environmental consultant for MS MNSA. Overhead. 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 Uh, this map on the screen shows that 2550 Irving Street is a source of PCE contamination from former Miracle Cleaners and is the likely source of PCE vapors in homes adjacent the property at unacceptable levels. These are, this is a soil vapor contour map, contoured to the T DTSC residential screening level. Um, there's one point uh, in the center that Paul's pointing to that is actually 100 times above the residential screening level. Um, and this is also, it's important to note, this is a, a location of a PCE soil matrix detection where there's actual PCE, um, not just vapors, but actual PCB, PCE in the soil. Uh, the indoor air levels in the homes range from above two times the ESL to four times the ESL. And the ESLs are um, health-based derived screening levels based on cancer risk. Um, a source investigation on this property remains a significant data gap, and the site management plan for the demolition process needs to be amended to include this investigation. If you look at this figure, um, it, it shows that there's actually been no sampling on this property other than a half-foot soil vapor sample um, on the northern part of the property. So. Uh, uh, we'll point to this later, why this is such a significant data gap. Um, the SMP should also be amended to include details of proper demolition oversight and assurances that the DTSC provided the Mid-Sunset Neighborhood Association on November 4th that are not currently in the SMP. Um, the TNDC uh, appeal responses are based on a faulty premise that the DTSC has provided adequate oversight on this project. They have not, and the DTSC is failing to achieve their stated mission to protect human health by cleanup. Based on inexperience and poor supervision, DTSC made mistakes in 2020 and 2021 by not requiring the police credit union to conduct an appropriate investigation in approving the TND See response plan contrary to two DTSC guidance documents. In 2019 and 2020 reports, All West, the consultant for the police credit union, created a false narrative that Miracle Cleaners was not a significant source of PCE based on zero data and pointed across the street to former Albright Cleaners as the primary source also with zero data. In a 2021 report, Path Forward, the consultant for TNDC, without collecting any new data, adopted the All West false narrative, but took it a step further with no mention of Miracle as a possible source and pointed to Albright as the only source. I have these report ex excerpts and I can read them, but in the interest of time, uh, we, can read them, we can read them later. Um, Finally, in, in 2022, what Enoch pointed out is they sampled, finally sampled at Albright and showed that it was not the significant source that everyone had hoped and speculated. 
Um, this piece, th this figure is a DTSC figure. It shows um, the sampling that was done at Albright, six locations, um, showing an adequate source area investigation, multi-depth sampling, both soil and soil vapor, focused on key features, dry cleaning equipment, sewer laterals. Um, this highlights the lack of data that Paul's pointing to right now. So the footprint of former Miracle Cleaner has, a, has actually had, had no data. Um, even with their false narrative, All West, as any consultant would, acknowledge that Miracle was a source based on the PCE soil matrix samples at that location. Um, this last figure shows that this this is not a complicated problem. It's a commingled soil vapor plume, 35 times above the DTSC commercial screening level, 160 times above the residential screening le level. Thank this you. That's time. Thank serious. you. You'll have time in rebuttal. Okay. Thank you. We do have a question from Commissioner Lemberg for you, though. Thank you, and uh, and and. And please be advised, I will be asking tough questions of, uh, of a lot of different parties here tonight on this project, uh, considering the uh, depth of documents that were submitted by both sides. Um, uh, this is actually a question from Mr. Wong. Uh, so I, uh, the first thing I want to do is ask, uh, and I wouldn't, we wouldn't have even known that there was a previous uh, court proceeding on this matter had the uh, TNDC not submitted a declaration from the preliminary injunction motion. Um, so uh, first question, did you represent the MSNA in this court proceeding? Yes, I'm their counsel of record. Okay, thank you. And can, can you kind of describe what, those, what happened in the previous court proceedings for us? So the uh, main uh, causes of action are based on, on not on uh, what's going on here, although that uh, in our amended complaint, there is a, there's some environmental um, uh, issues that have been brought into an amended complaint, but the, the primary is um, there was a, a resolution passed, a different, a different resolution than the, there's an environmental resolution that was passed last year, and there was there was a resolution that was passed um, uh, sub earlier uh, to that, which um, uh, urged uh, TNDC to uh, find a compromise on height and scale. And uh, and so we we said uh, based upon um, legislative history, based on uh, contractual uh, interpretation and extrinsic evidence, that that uh, that was a requirement. It was an optional. And so we, uh, we brought this in San Francisco Superior Court. Um, uh, the, the judge uh, of, the, of the real property department, uh, after TNDC filed a uh, demur, well, first they filed a motion for uh, judgment on the pleadings. They filed a demur. We, we, we amended uh, a couple times. They uh, were demur was granted, sustained, without leave to amend. It's now in the Court of Appeal, First Appellate District. We also appealed, we sought a preliminary injunction early on, and that was denied. Uh, those two appeals just got consolidated. In the, uh, we completed briefing on the uh, injunction, and uh, that it, they've been consolidated for oral argument. Briefing has yet to begin on the, on the demur. I mean, we believe we have a strong case. I mean, we have mul multiple causes of action, and it's breach of contract. We've pled uh, the ter elements of contract 
uh, above and beyond. So that, that's in, in a nutshell. Can you help me out with the timeline a little bit when the preliminary injunction motion was filed and, uh, and when it was denied and when the appeal was filed? Um, so um, I'm... I, I want to I want to be uh, be accurate because I, I didn't I prepared for this uh, and I I ha it's been a while but I, I want to say that that in that injunction we uh, we filed uh, the complaint in um, in December 2021 we uh, we um, uh, then at the same time filing a verified complaint we filed a, a motion for a preliminary injunction that was heard in. Um, January 2022, uh, it was denied. We appealed in February 2022. We fully briefed it. The briefing was completed uh, sometime in 2022, um, and then, it mean, you know, sort of parallel track. You know, it's sort of unusual. We we, had, we were facing challenges to to the sufficiency of the complaint uh, from um, TNDC, and so that was uh, there were uh, two three rounds of that. Um, you know, the, the, uh, that was 2022. The um, order sustaining the demur without leave to amend uh, was December 2022. We filed an appeal right away in December 2022. So that's, that's where it sits. So based on the timeline you just described, um, the report from the DTSC regarding the, uh, the cleaners on the south side of Irving Street, I believe, was already available to you. Is that correct? Um, you're talking about the south side, the Albright uh, uh, 2511 is on the south side. That was made available, um, the, it was put on the Cortesi list in October 2021, Im imminent and substantial endangerment order. Um, it was October 2021. So that was, uh, that was available to the public, and it, it, it was right before the SMP, the site management plan, was submitted by permit holder. So they, they didn't mention it, right? It was not, it was kind of ignored. And so then, um, so that, that's, uh, that's for the, the South property, the Albright. That's what you asked about, right? Yes. Yeah, so yes, it, it was available, but it, but it's, it, it should have been uh, acknowledged. Uh, it should, there, there's, it, the site management plan should have addressed that, and so should the demo permit and the demo plans, which we, we got today, they're dated June 2022. So that they, they aren't. It doesn't address that. That's, right. That's June. Yeah, June 22. June 2022 is when the Albright data became available. That's the dry cleaner on the south side of Irving. Right. So that's the imminent. Uh, Mr. Moore made a very important uh, clarification because uh, the imminent, the uh, uh, imminent and substantial endangerment ISE order issuing in October 2021 doesn't mean that the data is available. Right. So Mr. Moore said that uh, the data did not become available until June. The testing, the further testing about that being a source. Uh, so that didn't become available until June 2022. That, that's a very uh, good clarification. OK, um, so based on that timeline, then. Uh, so the what was the basis of your preliminary injunction argument, uh, if not the DTSC report, which was not issued for months after the preliminary injunction. That uh, has really little that the complaint that was heard on the preliminary injunction had to do with uh, with the resolution um, and the height and scale uh, um, requirement 
for uh, TNDC to, to negotiate in good faith to find a compromise on height and scale with the nearby residents. That does, doesn't mention in the environmental, that's the, the basis of the preliminary injunction, the basis of that had nothing to do with the, the environmental. Okay, so then here's the important question. Why was a separate lawsuit and a separate preliminary injunction not filed once this new information was uncovered? So, you know, we, uh, by we, I mean uh, the, the uh, MSNA, uh, the neighbors don't don't really look at litigation as a last resort, right? The the, it, the environmental this issue that's squarely before the board tonight is an issue that we believe is properly dealt with through the the process uh, of the uh, DBI and and it, and the board of appeals. I mean, we we didn't want to bring something. We, we used the court as a last resort, and that was appropriate because it was a resolution. They were the the um, uh, imminent harm, the irreparable harm came from the fact that if you if if they didn't compromise with us and sit down and negotiate the the, the number of floors uh, down. Um, as they should have, that, and they, they go forward with the process that there's going to be irreparable harm. It's going to be hard to, to undo, right? And so that was the basis of that injunction hearing. We, we don't, we don't want to go to the courts, right? We want to, this, is, this matter is appropriate for, for this tribunal. I, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with, with your response because on one hand you're saying that the, you want to use the court as the, as, as the last resort, uh, but on the other hand, you, the first thing that you did was file a lawsuit um, as soon as facts became available. So I'm, I'm having a hard time kind of aligning those two answers in my head. There, there's apples and oranges. The, the, the lawsuit was filed on the basis of a, a resolution that uh, asked TNDC to negotiate in good faith on height and scale. Um, that the, the facts were very abundantly clear that they were ignoring us. They weren't going to listen. They had, it, it was, the, the trigger was of our filing in that case was them uh, submitting their application to planning. And because the expedited procedure, if, if it got pushed through planning, uh, it, you know, there's uh, the, the risk of um, irreparable harm. I, and that's, that was the basis for the injunction. So that, that's, you know, different from, from what we have here, which there's uh, the, the environmental, the, the PC contamination, which um, at that point, you know, I would say in December 2021, we, we don't have the facts that we have today. 2022 was, was really a watershed year, and that, that's something that's ignored by the permit holder. Sure, um, but we are dealing with the same SB 35 preemption issue on either the height and, and bulk issue that you wrote the preliminary injunction on or the current uh, demolition permit issue. And so why did you not appeal to this body when the permit, the initial plans were issued, to, uh, were issued to plan, uh, from planning? Um, well, the, uh, we, we've tracked uh, planning very closely, and we didn't. Uh, that we, we weren't going to sue the planning department. I mean, that's they. They followed, uh, you know, as I as I believe, they followed uh, the rules. They were very responsive. Um, so we it, we didn't. It wasn't. We weren't challenging the, the lawsuit. Has nothing to do with. Is not naming the city or the planning department. It names the developer, 
And so on the basis of its failure to comply, it's a breach of contract, primarily a breach of contract uh, case on the basis of a failure to comply with, with the resolution. Um, and so the, um, and so that's, it, it's different in, 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 when you say there's SB 35 issues here, and I, and I really want to ref, uh, refer to um, what uh, Mr. Gibner said in the beginning. I mean, the important criteria, that there's three th criteria, the important criteria is really the, the second one, that you, you're not being asked to impose conditions that you wouldn't be imposing on anyone else. And the third one is also important that the conditions are very limited, they're very feasible, they're not expensive, they're very discreet, and they're not going to inhibit or chill uh, the, the uh, process. We're just asking them, well, really, I mean, to ask them to either do it themselves with our supervision or to have us do it to collect soil samples at certain specific locations that we've outlined, that uh, Mr. Moore has outlined during the demolition process. There's, uh, there's cer certain very specific areas that if you don't collect soil there, you don't, uh, if there's, there's a strong possibility there's sewer lateral pipes. If you don't uh, collect the evidence there, it's going to be destroyed. And then it makes it that much harder to deal with a comprehensive remediation because DTSC is on board. They, these two gentlemen um, and others, and the supervisor at that time was present in the meeting with DTSC in September 2022. DTSC agreed. I mean, this, this is new information, not considered, and it really, I, I want to say ignored by the permit holder, um, and, and there, in, in terms of the North being a, uh, a source and the necessity of collecting uh, soil there because it hasn't been collected, like it hasn't been studied, like the, the South site, uh, Albright. So it, there's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's critical. It's critical to do it during demolition. If you wait, you don't do it during demolition, you, it, there, there's, you're going to destroy the evidence, and it's going to make it that much harder. I'm still struggling a little bit with, with your argument because what you just said sounds like a great basis for an injunction for me, uh, to me. If, you know, if all of these environmental hazards are real, uh, as, as being described here, that sounds like a great basis for an injunction for me, but instead the injunction was done on a breach of contract case uh, it's uh, about height limits? Height, height and I mean, scale. Okay. And, and that's, a, that's another, that's a totally different resolution. I mean, we, like, like I said, we don't, uh, if we don't want to sue. I mean, that's not the, the that's, it's a really a last resort. This, this is the process. If the, if the permit gets granted, we appeal. And that, that's, it's not the courts that, uh, that are the arbiter of this. This is, this is within, uh, I mean, it, this is de novo. It's within um, the jurisdiction of, of the board to, be, to, to, to consider demolition. And if there, if there are public health issues, which there are, it, it's undisputed, there's public health, health uh, hazard to, uh, to impose um, limited conditions to address that. It's, it's, it's very, they, they haven't challenged that this is feasible. They know that they can do it. It's very, very easy. It's best practices. You know, I've talked to a number of geologists in addition to our expert. It, this is done all the time. Just collect the soil. There's like a half a dozen places. You collect the soil, you ship them out, you test them. And that's it. If, if you find higher than cert, uh, above a certain baseline, that triggers the next step and that informs your, your, um, your, your remediation plan. Okay, thank you. And, and, and rest assured, I will be asking those questions of TNDC and, uh, and other parties present here as well. Okay, we have one more question from Commissioner Trisvina. Mr. Wong. Uh, thank you, and, and I, I welcome you and all of the members of the public to, to the proceeding. I think you are 
I think this matter is appropriately before us, whether there's been other litigation and restraining orders, et cetera, I, that's, that's fine, but we have before us uh, the, 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 the permit. Um, I wanna ask you just a couple of questions and also a question for, uh, for Mr. Givner. Um, the tetrachloroethylene, can you describe, uh, I understand the EPA calls it a, a potential, uh, uh, car likely carcinogen. Can you describe the health impacts on future residents, current neighbors, and workers? They're, they're substantial. We, we had, uh, I, and I want to defer that question to uh, sure. to Mr. Moore because he's uh, um, done a lot of analysis on PCs. Right. So right. there's, I, I, there's. I want to know what's at stake here. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's substantial. Yeah, to finish what I was going through earlier, the PCE in vapors in the homes is a serious health risk. This is confirmed by multiple experts. I'm one of them. I've consulted with others. This is a residential setting with decades of exposure to PCE to San Francisco families above the ESL. Higher historic levels were undoubtedly present this includes you know, exposure to children and elderly. And this is a situation we're really questioning where you know, DTSC is, is applying very questionable risk modeling. And um, the demolition process really offers, like Enoch was saying, the best and last opportunity to address this significant data gap to inform decisions moving forward. And that is appropriately, appropriately part of the site management plan that, that is coupled with the demolition process. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a serious health risk to existing residents um, adjacent to this, um, but new state guidance that just came out from the water board states that the vapor mitigation system that's being proposed by TNDC is only an interim measure and only should be used after active remedial methods have been explored and used to the extent feasible. So their, their response plan is in contrary to, to DTSC water board guidance. I, pre I appreciate that this is a neighbor's coalition, but the health risks apply equally, if not more so, to the workers building this and to the residents of the property itself, correct? So, yeah, I, I don't believe the level of exposure to the workers during the demolition during that short exposure period. But, yeah, there's exposure to future residents because the DTSC, well, the, the guidance, the, the guidance regarding vapor mitigation um, says these are interim measures. So they don't last forever. Okay. If they're not maintained, the future residents, like I said, there's one location that's 100 times above the residential screening level where this affordable housing project is proposed. And this vapor mitigation system, you know, could fail in 10, 20 years. Um, and, and, and based on our, based on the, pub, the public testimony that we've received over the past few days, uh, am I correct to understand that there are known uh, elevated PCE levels as well as unknown? That's correct. There are known levels in above the screening level in four of six homes that had been sampled. But if you saw that PCE plume that, or the figure that, that, that came up late shows the extent of this, it's beneath 40 different residential and mixed-use products on the 2500 block of Irving. And, and, and it, I will ask the city this question, and maybe perhaps you or your colleagues will, will know this, is 
how often or how frequent is it for a demolition permit to be issued when with this kind of environmental situation without the, without without a without a site management plan yeah it's it's um it shouldn't be, it's not common and it shouldn't be common because there's a significant data gap on this property that, as I said earlier, there's been sort of a narrative established by the consultants for the two property owners, originally all west for the police credit union, where they created this narrative with no data that Miracle wasn't a source. Everyone, it was convenient to point on the south side of Irving. We've le learned that that is not a significant source. We know there's soil matrix data adjacent to the footprint of former Miracle Cleaner that represents a source, a release of PCE happened near that location. So you can only assume that if you actually sampled beneath former Miracle Cleaners, which has not been done adequately, you're going to find higher concentration of both vapors and soil matrix. Okay. Th th thank you. And, and if I, I, I appreciate your, your answers. If I could ask uh, Mr. Givner, um, the, there's a resolution that the Board of Supervisors passed regarding this uh, development. Uh, do you know whether that was passed before or after the, the uh, uh, enactment of SB 35. The, the Board of Supervisors has adopted two resolutions regarding this project. The first one to authorize a uh, loan to TNDC. Uh, I believe that was a 2021 resolution. Uh, and then the second resolution in 2022 uh, urging uh, evaluation of the environmental risks. SB 35 passed before both of those both of those resolutions. And as a general matter, do Board of Supervisors uh, approved resolutions and laws enjoy a presumption of being legal? <laughs> um, the, when the Board of Supervisors uh, seeks to adopt a law that will bind a city department or bind third parties, it acts by ordinance. Mm -hmm. um, when the board approves an agreement, like a contract or loan, uh, it acts by resolution. The board also acts by resolution to make non-binding statements of the board's opinion or to urge departments, including state departments, to do things. So here, the board's resolution in 2022 uh, was a non-binding uh, request. Is that, does that answer your question? Uh, for, for, for now, it does. Thank you. Thank you. We have a question from Vice President Lopez and then Commissioner Lemberg. Uh, this one might be for Mr. Wong. Uh, I just want to make sure, just given the, the volume of, of briefing and, and public comment and reports, I want to make sure that, that we're all clear uh, on, on some aspects of your of your testimony, which I thank you for. Um, there's, you know, you made the statement that uh, that uh, the permit holder has ignored the contamination findings. I also heard you say that at least in the September 22 meetings, they acknowledged uh, the health risks that, that were discussed then. Uh, so is it essentially that uh, you know, those, those health risks, which it sounds like we're acknowledging that conversation, 
did not make it into the SMP, and that's kind of the basis for the statement that that those findings were ignored, or or, or what exactly is the 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 underlying basis for for that statement? Um, it. It's a combination, uh, so the chronology here is important. It, it was, uh, there, were, there were findings that were either uh, ignored and, and that should have been addressed. There were also subsequent findings, like the September 2022 was after um, both the SMP, which was submitted in November 2021, and the demo permit application and, and the corresponding drawings, which was submitted June 2022. But that's the only, and there was data that was being generated concurrently in, uh, as Mr. Moore said, in June 2022, uh, specifically uh, with, uh, with Albright, that perhaps the permit holder didn't have access to when it was doing, completing a demo permit application. But there were other things they plainly knew. Uh, the, uh, f for instance, the ISE order uh, was um, October 2021. They had access to that. The SMP was submitted at the end of November, November 24, 2021. They had access to the ISE. That's that's extremely serious, right? You have a, a property directly to the south. It's put on the Cortesi list. That that has to be addressed. That wasn't addressed. That's that sort of you know uh, fits into what I say. They ignored um, there, and then uh, the. The resolution was uh, that uh, Mr. Givner was talking about. The latest resolution dealing with was um, July 2022. Again, that sort of postdates the demo permit application, um, so it's right around that same time. But uh, but uh, there's also another context of when I say they ignore. They ignore um, the permit holders' briefing ignores it. They they ignore that there's new evidence. Uh, in they don't. They, there's an, another aspect I think they're they're aware of that they didn't mention at all, which is that the indoor air sampling in in the fall of 2021. They had access to that before their SMP. They they although the results might not have been in because the results usually take a few months. Um, the March 2022 indoor air sampling. They definitely had access to that before they did the demo permit application. They ignored that. Um, and, then, and then, you know, last Friday they did another round. We won't have those those results right away. But again, that you know, it may take a few months. But those are all really critical data points. Um, but but the, the you know that latter aspect of ignoring, um, I I, uh, I mean, in the process of their briefing to this board. Got it. And then a related question. Um, I think it'd be helpful to understand the the state of play in terms of communication between the parties on. On these topics, so have there been, you know, uh, subsequent conversations, uh, you know, between the parties and their their experts since September 22? Um, since September, um, no. Um, you know, we we in in full uh, disclosure. I mean, um, you know, because I, I think it's important to be transparent. It, it's. Uh, we have discussions uh, through council, uh, but they're really, they've been focused on the, the litigation, not on this piece, um, you know, and so uh, since, no, not since September 2022. I mean, they reached out to us when we filed the appeal, but, you know, nothing, nothing really happened, so. Got it. Thanks. Thank you. Question from Commissioner Lemberg. This, this may be better suited for one of the uh, other representatives. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of follow on to something Vice President Lopez said uh, regarding the 
the September 23rd, 2022 meeting with the DTSC and uh, Supervisor Marr's office and uh, also representatives of the Neighborhood Association. Um, you know, there it obviously was quite a lengthy meeting. They made quite a few findings. They, it sounds to me from reading it like they made quite a few promises. Have there been any, has there been any progress made since September on that plan uh, from your perspective and the Neighborhood Association's perspective uh, on, on such a plan? And I'll be asking each of the parties this question, but uh, I, I just want to hear your, you and or your client's position on this. Yeah, uh, Mr. Moore. Um, yeah, we we had, we met with uh, Nalene Coble, who's the um, Northern California cleanup supervisor for the DTSC, and then uh, Meredith Williams, she's the director of DTSC. Um, they told us that you know this this isn't there's an ongoing investigation in this area, as you know, as, as Enoch pointed out, there's more more data being collected right now in the homes. Um, and that this area, if you look at that map, this is sort of a commingled, you know, soil vapor plume that's, you know, discharges from two dry cleaners into the sewers, um, a spill likely on Miracle that is not yet uh, identified. Um, but yeah, Meredith Williams did tell us that um, this situation be, should be protected. People should be protected to the maximum extent possible. Um, we followed up with some questions uh, on that meeting. We still have not heard back um, from Meredith and, and, and Nalene, but we have some questions that are outstanding um, that, that we feel like we're going to be able to address with them soon. But in other words, this is an ongoing investigation. There's still many data gaps. As I said, there's 40 homes that this plume is above. Only six of them have been sampled. There's other, the whole south side of Irving um, there's a number of homes where, based on what we're seeing on the north side, there's going to be PCE in those homes as well. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think the Neighborhood Association, you know, wants a comprehensive cleanup consistent with Supervisor Mars' resolution that was that's further endorsed by our new supervisor, Joel Engardio. Um, yeah, and, and in fact... Uh, we submitted um, an alternative response plan um, that showed that soil vapor extraction and actual active cleanup technology was actually less expensive than the vapor mitigation system that, that is being proposed by TNDC. And the benefit of vapor extraction is um, in this situation, I've consulted with multiple experts about, about soil vapor extraction. It, it can reach you know, from the subject property into the neighborhood. These are dune sands underlying this property. Soil vapor extraction could have a reach of 30 to 50 feet radius of influence and not only clean up the subject property, but clean up beneath the homes that are being affected right now. Okay, thank you. And then I, I, I apologize. I want to go back to Mr. Wong for a, diff, a different question. Um, we are uh, kind of presented with a challenge here. We have the SB 35 preemption issue that Mr. Givner's already spoken on, uh, but we, al we also have uh, another state agency involved here, the DTSC, that has the ability to make orders, and clearly they have uh, on this very block. Uh, 
uh, in recent years. Do, do you have an opinion on, uh, and, and I, I will acknowledge I asked Mr. Givner this question and he said he would not be able to give me an opinion on this, so I'm gonna ask all the parties instead. Uh, but what your position is on kind of the dueling state preemption issues here and how we should uh, interpret that and, and act on that moving forward in making our decision. So um, I, I definitely uh, um, believe that the law is, especially the, how it was framed by Mr. Givner, those uh, two areas, uh, of this, is, this is a condition that's um, not going to inhibit or chill. It's not something that you wouldn't impose on anybody else. I think that addresses that, you know, it, it's not going to run afoul of SB 35. With regards to DTSC, um, the... Uh, this board has, uh, for lack of better word, concurrent jurisdiction um, over this matter because it, if it affects public health, um, and, as this does during demolition, um, in, in, you can impose limited conditions such as this, which is really only uh, soil uh, and soil vapor uh, collection during the demolition process and, t and testing, um, and that uh, the. Um, and that's concurrent with DTSC. I mean, DTSC uh, is is looking, um, you know, globally. They're looking at uh, other things. They're looking at the uh, eventual cleanup. But you know, in terms of this piece, this this uh, demo permit, um, it's it's critical and it's squarely uh, within the province of of this board to impose a condition like that. And I think it was asked, well, what, what about other other. Uh, Properties, yeah. I mean, if there was other properties that had this level of PCE, absolutely. I mean, this is this would be it would be imposed. It would, it, you know, it's it's just collection, and uh, and you take those soil, take that soil vapor, you test it, you get the results back, and it 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 helps everybody. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm going to ask a slightly different version of the same question, which is, do you believe that the DTSC has exerted its jurisdiction in any way that should influence our decision here tonight uh, as to this demolition permit? Um, I think in a way uh, it, it's, um, it has, uh, in, in terms of to date, it, it, that, that, uh, those meeting minutes that we submitted, I, I think are very, very important because like you, you, you said, it's, uh, you know, they, they said that, that certain things will need to be done and they were very uh, um, direct about it. And so I think that's sort of it, like, in a way exerting, it, it's, uh, it's sort of um, suggesting. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, and this, Again, with demolition, this is something that, that is dealt with here. And I think uh, the, this board could look at that and, and, uh, and borrow some, some guide, at least guidance from that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the permit holder. I believe Mr. Higley is representing the permit holder. Welcome, you have seven minutes. Good evening, uh, President Swig, members of the board. My name is CJ Higley. My law firm, Forella Brown and Martell, represents the permit holder TNDC. <clears throat> so despite the various technical claims that Appellant has raised with respect to environmental contamination at the project site, the issues before you on appeal we think are really pretty straightforward. Um, as an initial matter, and I have to say, Mr. Gibner stole some of my thunder here, uh, I'd like to point out that the demolition permit under appeal here was issued in connection with an SB 35 project. And as you uh, probably already know, and as Mr. Givner has already, uh, has already told us this evening, 
SB 35 projects are exempt from environmental review, but the state law also imposes significant limitations on a city's ability to deny permits that implement the SB 35 projects. SB 35 very explicitly says that, the, that a city shall issue permits, including demolition permits, to implement SB 35 projects so long as the permit application is consistent with the project approved by the planning department in its initial determination of eligibility. The statute goes on to say that a city's review of such permit applications shall not inhibit, chill, or preclude development. This board faced a very similar circumstance on March 24th, 2021, when neighbors appealed the demolition permit for an SB 35 affordable housing project at 4840 Mission Street. In that case, the board recognizes that it recognized that it does not have jurisdiction to exercise independent discretion over demolition permits for SB 35 projects and correctly declined to uphold neighbor's appeal. And as I said at the beginning of my remarks, this is largely what Mr. Gibner uh, recited at the beginning of this hearing. Just like in that case, overturning the demolition permit in this appeal would violate state law and would put the city in legal jeopardy under SB 35 as well as the Housing Accountability Act. But even without the benefits of SB 35, the appeal in this matter has no merit. The appellant's entire argument hinges on its assertion that DPH erred when it marked the permit as not applicable, as NA or not applicable. As we pointed out in our brief, DPH does routinely review demolition permits for compliance with the city's requirements uh, for a, a site-specific dust control plan under the dust control ordinance. But the ordinance's requirements only apply to project sites that are larger than half an acre. Here, because the project site is under half an acre, the requirements of the dust control ordinance do not apply, and DPH has no jurisdiction to review the demolition permit, hence the not applicable notation uh, from DPH. And none of the supposedly new information that appellant claims DPH must now take into account changes the fact that DPH doesn't have a role in reviewing the demolition permit that's before you. Although the legal issues here, we think, are, are fairly cut and dry, uh, we want to assure this board that TNDC has actually received all of the approvals related to environmental contamination, including from DTSC and uh, DPH, SFDPH. Appellant's fears, which I think are understandable, um, are nevertheless not supported by the fact, not supported by the facts of the approvals that have already been received and the data that has already been collected. Um, and at this point, I'm gonna turn it over to the project's environmental consultant, David Grunat, to explain the environmental vetting process that the project has already undergone. Hi. My name is Dave Grunat. I am the president and founder of PathForward Partners. I'm a California licensed professional geologist. I'm also a certified hydrogeologist. I've been uh, the professional geologist overseeing all aspects of the environmental conditions uh, with respect to the 2550 Irving Street property on behalf of TNDC since October of 2019. I'd like to assure you that the project's site environmental conditions, including with respect to PCE, have been thoroughly and adequately characterized consistent with environmental best practices and to the satisfaction of the California Department of Toxic Substances Control and the San Francisco Department of Public Health. They are the regulatory agencies with relevant authority and expertise. <coughs> the potential risks associated with PCE at the project site will be fully and adequately mitigated in accordance with approved response plan and site management plan. 
The DTSC has confirmed both in writing and during public meetings that no source of PCE has been identified at the project site and no PCE source is likely to be present. This is further supported by the fact that PCE may never have been used on site based on the limited time frame when PCE was in use and when the property was identified as a potential cleaners. The DTSC additionally confirmed that redevelopment of the subject site would not preclude or prevent the further characterization or potential remediation of PCE observed off-site in the neighborhood. Although source is unlikely to be present, the site management plan was specifically developed based on the presence of PCE observed in soil gas. The SMP provides provisions for conducting dust and VOC monitoring to assess risk to the community during redevelopment and defines protocols should an unexpected source of PCE or other contamination be encountered, including providing proper notifications. The site, management will be the site management plan will be implemented during all phases of redevelopment, including demolition. The project site has received all necessary and appropriate environmental approvals from applicable agencies, including DTSC and SFDPH. And as stated by the SFDPH, their listing of an NA in the review of the demolition permit was not made in error, but instead it conveyed that SFDPH's review of the application for compliance with the dust ordinance was not applicable due to the project size. However, the entire redevelopment, including demolition, has been fully reviewed by SFDPH for compliance with the Maher ordinance, and they have confirmed by email in response to this appeal that the site redevelopment remains in compliance and thus is protective of public health. In conclusion, I'd like to emphasize that the claims presented by the appellant are inconsistent with the extensive environmental data generated at and around the project site and contradict the findings of the DTSC and SFDPH. And again, they are the regulatory agencies with relevant authority and expertise to these environmental matters. Thank you. Thank you. We have a few questions from sure. Commissioner Lemberg and President Swig. Thank you. Um, it won't surprise you that I have lots of questions for you as well. Um, uh, first of all, uh, I, I want to say uh, to Mr. Higley, I, you had acknowledged that Mr. Givner stole your thunder on the SB 35 preemption issue, uh, but it, to my understanding, that actually wasn't brought up in your briefing at all, which is why Mr. Givner uh, made those assertions at the beginning of the hearing. Can you speak a little bit as to why SB 35 didn't come up in your briefing? Well, I acknowledge that I probably should have included it in my brief. Um, but uh, nevertheless, we were responding directly to the uh, claims made by the appellant and specifically the jurisdiction um, that DPH had, which is really, I think, the, the crux of, of their claim. Um, so yes, acknowledge that the SB 35 arguments ought to have been in, in the brief, but you know, they, yeah, I, I'm raising them at this hearing and they do remain in the state law. Um. I, I, what you said is, is a good segue into my next question, which is uh, I, 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 acknowledge, I, I acknowledge your point as to the NA denotation as to, the, uh, as to DPH's responsibility here. I personally think it's a little bit of a red herring. Um, I, don't, you know, I, I don't think that's really the crux of the issue here. The crux of the issue here is that the appellants are bringing uh, to light Clearly, you know, very well-researched, well-funded evidence showing block-wide contamination of PCE from two different sites, uh, two different sites of former dry cleaners from the first half of the 20th century, um, 
and, and you're saying DPH didn't have a role, maybe they didn't have a role in the direct approval of this project, and I'm not gonna argue that point, I don't think it's worth arguing, um, but is it your alt position that DPH doesn't have a role in supervising the block-wide um, environmental hazards that may be present here based on fairly compelling evidence? No, that, that's not my argument. They, they didn't have a role in reviewing this demolition permit, the permit that's, that's under appeal. Um, th they did have a role in reviewing the site management plan, which, which they approved, which they reviewed and approved. So, and that's an, under you know, a separate, the Maher ordinance, which is separate part of the process from uh, the issuance of this demolition permit. How do you respond then to the appellant's contention that new information was uncovered after, uh, after the site management plan was issued um, that puts into question the, the environmental feasibility of this project? Yeah, I, I'd like to in, invite Mr. Grunant to address that question. Sure. And, and so we don't believe that there's any new information that actually changes what we would have put into our site management plan or the findings of the response plan. We've been in constant communication with the DTSC. We've spoken with them uh, after September. I know for sure we had a meeting in November, and I believe also in December. And at, at, during both of those meetings, none of this information came up as a concern. The, and this was described in our brief that the responsibility of, of the permit holder in this case, um, from the DTSC's perspective, is protection of the on-site occupants, and that comes through the CLARE agreement that was entered into the D with the DTSC. There are other responsible parties that may, uh, that are responsible or may become responsible um, as further investigation goes on. However, that, that responsibility does not land in, in the permit holder's realm. And the DTSC has also confirmed that through the redevelopment of this property, it won't inhibit that either the further characterization of the plume that's present in the neighborhood, or if, if remediation is required, that remediation from taking place. So in, in, in my view, the, the, the crux of the appellant's argument is that this is a, a block-wide issue, that the, the environmental hazard is a block-wide issue that cannot be addressed on a site-by-site -site basis. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I've I read all your briefing. I spent all weekend doing it. Um, it's you know, the question to me isn't really whether you've complied with the laws here. The question is whether there's a really serious hazard to the neighborhood if this demolition moves forward. That's the crux of this issue to me. And if that is the case, I, I, I want to hear evidence that shows why that isn't true. Why there isn't a serious environmental hazard or a risk of an, a serious environmental hazard if this demolition moves forward without remediation taking place first. That's, that's really the crux of this to me. Sure, and again, I think it gets back to, we don't believe, and the DTSC has also stated, that our site is not the source. So doing demolition or redevelopment of the property isn't going to change the conditions in the neighborhood. And so it doesn't, it's not gonna create additional risk to the neighborhood. It's not gonna prevent um, the risk that does exist you know, on a block-wide basis from being dealt with. And so really the demolition isn't going to exacerbate the problem. Um, in fact, 
the concentrations that are observed on this property um, it, you know, that are trapped in soil gas are trapped by a hardscape barrier. And so once demolition occurs, that'll be able to naturally off-gas. And through the future response plan implementation, which includes a vapor mitigation system, it, it will no longer be an impermeable hardscape. It will be a vented system that doesn't allow for the buildup of those gases. Isn't natural off-gas the exact problem that the Neighborhood Association is trying to avoid? Not exactly. So th these types of systems are common on uh, urban infill redevelopment projects because the types of the contamination that we see are extremely common. The concentrations are not at a high enough concentration that would, that would uh, drive for an active remediation system, but uh, are easily mitigated through uh, these sorts of mitigation systems. And so this is a very common and industry standard practice. In, in your professional opinion, the map that the expert for the appellants presented the, with the wavy lines all across the block mm -hmm. showing the different concentrations of PCE, uh, which was presumably gathered through actual site testing uh, mm -hmm. at numerous individual homes and other properties on the block, is, I mean, it, I'm not a toxics expert. This is not my area of expertise, but seems to me that this is a, a permeable substance that travels, that moves around, that would potentially be dug up by a demolition project on the block. Um, and there's, you know, I mean, the DTSC clearly issued an order as to one of the sites, admittedly not the site that your client is working on, but uh, it's very, it's, it's close enough by that the, it, it, it just seems to me that it, if, if that, it, unless the appellant's drawing showing the different contamination levels on the block is erroneous in some way, um, I, you know, I, I just, I can't see a situation as to how a demolition c wouldn't cause this uh, PCE gas to permeate the entire Sunset neighborhood. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I, I first want to talk, I know there was a discussion about the order that was issued across the street. And I, I just want to be clear, and, and this was communicated um, by the DTSC to the, um, to the appellant, is that the, the reason an imminent and substantial endangerment order was issued was based on the fact that the, the responsible party who owned Albright Cleaners ent submitted a voluntary application and then became unresponsive. And so it wasn't issued because it was um, you know, worse than every other site. It was, it was only issued to give the DTSC enforcement ability because a party was unresponsive to be able to respond. And the DTSC went further in this letter to state that the site was giving a priori priority tier two um, designation indicating that it wasn't an immediate health risk. Um, and, and so I, you know, it's been, brought forth that this imminent and substantial endangerment order is a sign of how grave the, the issue is. But really, it just comes down to, um, you know, on our site, there are parties that are available. Um, you know, we've taken responsibility for the on-site. There was a party that was responsible, responsible for the contributions off-site. DTSC is continuing to communicate with them. And, um, you know, just because there was an unresponsive person across the street doesn't make the issue worse. So I just wanted to clarify that. But then to get to your other question about the, um, the permeation, 
you know, it really comes down to what is the source of the PCE. So if you dig into the site, our site, and there's no source there, all you're going to do is release that material into the atmosphere and it's going to immediately dissipate. These are relatively low concentrations for the types of sites that we deal with, and, and it wouldn't cause any sort of spreading. In fact, it would uh, prevent spreading because those concentrations, instead of making it all the way to the homes from wherever it's coming from, would off-gas. So that, that's number one. Number two, you know, with, with no source present, the act of digging isn't going to push anything. It's not going to move anything. That's just not how it works. Um, and the third thing, we talked about the permeability of the soil. Um, it was mentioned that this is dune sands. That's absolutely correct. This is very, very permeable dune sands. And so the concentrations that we see based on the data that we have is very representative of what's in the soil. And this is the basis for the DTSC saying there's no source on site and that they've agreed that our site is adequately characterized. So again, I, I, I want to go back to something you said about the DTSC order for the, the across the street project, that they were saying it's tier two, it's not high risk of, of imminent failure based on what is going on at that site, which to my understanding is nothing. Nothing is going on at that site. Is that accurate? That, no, that's not correct. Okay. Um, the concentrations that were observed on that site were similar to the concentrations that were observed on our site. And so at no point has the DTSC come out and said that that site is not a source or that site's not responsible. And one of the things that we pointed out in our brief was there's a very, very short period of time when PCE was in existence at our property that, and, and, and was in common use that our site was actually identified as a potential user, as a cleaners. Um, so so the, the likelihood of PCE ever being used on our site is very low, while across the street at the Albright Cleaners, they've been using it for you know, 35, 40 years. So DTSC continues to investigate that, that site. Um, I've not seen any evidence that they don't believe that it's the source. Respectfully, that wasn't my question. My question was, is there any like construction activity going on? Is, th is there any reason that PCE would be being brought up into the air at the Albright Cleaners across the street currently? Or is it yeah, just it, a it, lot sitting empty with nothing going on there? It, my understanding is it is a vacant lot, um, but the construction activity is not the cause for the vapors. The, the vapors are caused from a long you know, use of the property or other properties in the area that have released PCE potentially to the sewer. Maybe the sewer leaked. You know, we're not really sure what the exact source of the PCE is in the neighborhood, but you know, it's not the construction activities that are driving the vapors. What do you mean when you say driving the vapors? Uh, I mean, I, I, I understand the construction's not the cause of the vapors. The cause of the vapors clearly was the existence of dry cleaners on these sites 75 years ago. I'm not questioning that. Right. Um, but what, what is the, I mean, the concern is that the construction activity on 2550 Irving, the actual project we're talking about here, is going to stir up things that are caused from the site across the street. Sure. That it has gone under the street. And again, we have these drawings showing the concentration levels at you know, every part of the block. And it was seemed to me that it was higher than the residential guidelines in every part of the block, sure. pretty much. 
So I, I think I understand your question now, and I apologize for misunderstanding, but the different, or what we have in place is a site management plan, and that site management plan is specifically designed to inform the construction workers of the chemicals that may be present in the subsurface, provide measures to identify if there are other chemicals that we weren't expecting or such as a PCE source that nobody expects on the site. And three, it provides provisions for monitoring the air during construction to confirm that dust and VOCs are not being emitted. So we have specific controls in place that have been reviewed by the SFDPH in order to ensure that the construction, is, uh, the construction occurs in a health protective way. So I, I hear that point, and, and yet, again, it doesn't really address the appellant's argument, which is the risk to the rest of the neighborhood. I, you know, I, I, I don't question the, you know, the OSHA requirements, the toxic hazards to the workers, and, and I believe that the plan you've presented, at least from my reading of it, does sound like it is sufficiently protective of the construction workers and the other people who are involved in the project itself. The concern is that it's going to stir everything up in a way that is currently unknown because of the high concentration of the substance under the street and uh, in surrounding areas. You know, it, it's no secret that the sunset's built on, on sand dunes. The whole neighborhood is sand dunes. Um, and that sand is going to shift during construction, no matter what. I, I'm not a construction expert, but I know that much. Uh, sand shifts. Um, I, I've, I, I played in the playgrounds as a kid. I, I just don't see how it's not a risk to the neighborhood here based on, on, on what we're seeing. Well, I'll, what I can say, unless you want to... You go first. Yeah, so, I mean, what I was going to say is, you know, my specialty is redevelopment of contaminated properties. And I've developed, you know, many, many sites all over California, all over San Francisco that have these issues. Typically, the issues are significantly worse than what we see here. And what we do not see is an exacerbation of, um, you know, or spreading of soil vapor concentrations when shallow uh, surface soil is disturbed. You know, if, you know, if the site included something like deep dewatering that can pull contamination, you know, we do sometimes see that and we take specific precautions in order to prevent um, the spreading in that sort of situation. But the redevelopment that's planning to occur on this site will not have activities that are expected to disturb the soil gas plume. Okay, uh, and I have one more question before I'll pass to President Swig. Um, the, the appellants have, have uh, encouraged soil vapor extraction as, uh, as a possible alternative. What, in, in your view, is why is that not a good option or the best option uh, for this project moving forward? Considering, I mean, again, based on what I know here, that that method would actually remove the contaminants from the street and prevent this issue altogether. Sure, and, and you know, the request for soil vapor extraction is something that goes all the way back to when we developed our response plan, and it was evaluated by the DTSC, and in all of the public meetings has been brought up, and the DTSC has also um, included, you know, their comment on why it's not appropriate. And it really comes down to soil vapor extraction is, is useful when you have a source of material that you're trying to clean up. So concentrations that are 100,000, uh, 10,000 times higher than what we see on our site. You, trying to install a soil vapor extraction system to clean up when there's no source present will not fix the problem. In fact, many soil vapor extraction systems are shut down long before you reach the kinds of concentrations we have on our site 
and, and are deemed a success. So just based on the low concentrations we have, that type of technology was not appropriate. But are there not two active identified sites that are the sources of it's, the it's not it's not it's not the historical land use when I say source I mean highly contaminated soil that is acting as the source for those vapors to be generated so the vapors as the DTSC has, has, has characterized it in their meetings is really a diffuse uh, soil vapor plume and they haven't figured out where that material is coming from and so when, we, when I say source, I don't actually mean like a business or a person. I actually mean highly contaminated soil that the soil vapor extraction system is designed to clean up. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And a question from President Swig. I have to recover from the last line of questioning before I move forward. So <clears throat> basically what you're, what you're saying, um, seeing here as a non-engineer, non-specialist, and and soil stuff, but having had to do due diligence on 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 buildings that once were built on uh, repair shops, gas air, automobile repair shops, and gas stations, is that uh, the, the the damage that has been done to the neighborhood has been done to the neighborhood, and you can't you can't that's that that's done. It's the ship has sailed. That that's it, and that the focus really sh should be on the uh, on the site, and in part as part of the demolition of the site, um, by the actions you will take during as part of your demolition plan, um, uh, there will be even further uh, protections uh, from if there are. Any PCEs that are dangerous, uh, there, there will be f further protections that will prevent further spread. Is that what I'm getting from this, or not? Well, from the beginning of your statement, I, I don't necessarily agree with how you phrased it. We don't believe that it, that further action on the subject property is is going to fix the problem. Right. So, um, so we're not was, saying that there's other areas of the neighborhood that could be addressed. So we don't want to say that the damage is done. There's nothing you can no, do. No, 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 no. But, 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 the 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 assumption. Then we saw the maps with mm -hmm. the the spread. There's there's been damage done. You can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. It's been done. But the the subject today is whether it is a dangerous activity to go into that soil because, and do the demolition, because it will exacerbate the problem and cause further spread. That's kind of what I was hearing from my fellow commissioner as his worry. You touch the sand, zoom, it spreads even further. Mm -hmm. So your, your point of view and what you're trying to communicate to us is that uh, the, 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 the spread has happened uh, and what remains at the site is containable through the demolition process or through the demolition process there is the ability to contain what might be other PCs or PCE or, or they might not be there at all or if they are they might be minute. Is that yeah, what I, I'm I getting at? Yeah, I think that at? that's correct and you know when we look at modeling how soil vapor 
and I'm, tr I'm going to try to be not technical as much as I can, but when we look at modeling how soil vapor transports in the subsurface, it transports through a diffusive flow, diffusion, right? And that is a very, very slow process. It, when we look at, and I'm just going to try to use an example, digging out clean dirt over a contaminated groundwater plume or, and putting you know, clean dirt back in, it can take up to a year to start seeing soil gas concentrations migrate back through. So, you know, during the duration of the demolition and the redevelopment, you know, the soil gas isn't going to change. It's not going to move very far. You know, we're talking maybe an inch. You know, it's, it's a very, very small distance. Because it took a long time for this to happen. In the first it's, it's a diffusive process. It's not advective flow. Right. Uh, counselor, I got a question for you. Uh, you mentioned the the uh, the case that we heard on in in, in the Mission District. Yes. Um, were you the, were you the council? Were you? I, I was not. All right. No. So, um, <coughs> did you study the case? I, only as to this narrow issue, um, you know, which oh, is okay. to say that it's something yeah, that, that the board has seen right. before. And then you're at an unfair disadvantage. Uh, I was here. <laughs> I heard the case. Um, that that was a case related to um, disruption of the neighborhood, uh, and and again invaded the areas that Council uh, Mr. Givens was Givener was talking about. You can't put a. Uh, it, it basically, SB 35 protected it. But I don't think, in this case, what we're hearing, I think, is, and I'd like your opinion on it, please, uh, is that this is a health issue, this is a safety issue, this impacts the, the neighborhood, and certainly wouldn't a health issue that would affect an entire neighborhood um, be something that would be constant with the evaluation of every uh, project that would come forth in the city of San Francisco if it was serious, potentially serious <clears throat> enough? Well, uh, therefore, SB 35 doesn't cover a health and safety issue. Um, I, I think that there are circumstances where the, the body can make certain findings, but I, I think the more important point here is that, you know, I recognize that this, that these are serious issues. And I don't mean to belittle that, and I don't mean to, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I, I think that the fear that uh, the neighbors have is understandable. Um, <clears throat> but I think the important point here is that these issues are not uh, unknown to the agencies that have jurisdiction to regulate them. And so there is a process for, for this that, that moves through DTSC and the Department of Public Health. And, and my point here is that there's no legal hook under the issuance of this permit for the board to substitute its judgment for the judgment of the regulatory agencies that actually have jurisdiction over this matter. But, but yeah, And we haven't heard from DTSC and Department of Health, and I have no idea what they're going to talk about, but I, I think they're going to be questioned. Uh, if they come back and they say, whoa, this site is real dangerous and really raises a potential health risk, then that kind of, uh, that, that defeats the whole SB 35 argument, does it not? Because we would evaluate if, if health came to us or DDSC came to us on any building and said, boy, this is a, you touch that dirt, dude, and you're, you know, you're, you're setting off a, a major health problem. That, that SB 35 aside, that it wouldn't matter because it's a health problem and it threatens lives, correct? 
I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to respond as, to, to as that. Opposed to, as opposed to when we had the other, the, uh, the other item, which had to be uh, really disturbance of the neighborhood character and right. more noise, more traffic. I can't remember, but it was more of that, that type of stuff, which is, uh, would, would not be valid in SB 35 argument. Well, perhaps the, the city attorney um, might wish to weigh in here, but um, you know, I believe my, my read of this would be that in order to take the step that that you're proposing, I'm not proposing any step. Well, you'd be in the in the hypothetical, in the hypothetical, um, it would really be the board acting in its discretionary authority to substitute its judgment for uh, the judgment in this case of DTSC. And I think that that's exactly the kind of. Um, so let's, let's let's ask the city attorney since you're pointing in that direction, Mr. Gibner. <laughs> Sorry. If, if DPH or DTSA came came to us tonight, and I don't know what they're going to say because I haven't asked them, uh, and and they say, you know, whoa, this this is this is a major threat to the health and welfare of the of the immediate neighborhood, health hazard, health hazard, health hazard. Um, the SB 35 protection would go elsewhere, would it not? Or, or would it? Because that's not, that would be something that we would evaluate in a standard fashion on, on, on any, we're, we're not picking on the, on the project. We would, we do it on any project if there was poison in the, you know, in the water or poison in the soil, correct? Probably better for me to answer this question after you hear from those departments. But okay. I would say, in general, your your review of this of this type of appeal under SB 35 is much more limited. And and even if you see that there are health concerns that you think should be addressed, that is not a basis to impose a condition on the permit unless it's a condition that would otherwise be imposed by the city, not necessarily by this board ex exercising its usual discretion, but by, city, okay, by the so, city department. Okay, so if the city came to us, uh, th that's why I'm asking. So if the city came to us and said, no, 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 we don't want this because it, it poses a significant health threat, then that's not, we're not interpreting anything. That's a statement and a finding from the from City Health or DTSC. Is it have to be that strong? I because I think that's where we got to know. We have to know. Sure. the 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 question is 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 it the type? Is it would the city the city departments say DPH DBI impose a condition rather than do they do they have a concern? Right. But but it on any other demolition permit, is this a condition that they would, that, that they would and do impose? On a, on a unilateral, consistent, constant basis, if, that, if this condition were anywhere else, correct? That's right. All right, thanks. Appreciate that. Thank you. We have a few more questions. Commissioner Trisvina, Lemberg, and Vice President Lopez. Uh, thank you. On on the uh, on the permit itself, it's pages thirty and thirty one of the record. Um, there's language here that says, pursuant to Article Twenty, certain building permits may be issued only after the permittee analyzes the soil for the presence of hazardous wastes, and where applicable, certifies that it has completed site mitigation. Does that apply to this permit? 
that language? To the demolition permit, um, I'm not 100% sure of the answer to that question, but what I will say is that uh, the soil has been characterized and uh, mitigation has been undertaken. The response plan was approved by the department, by DTSC, and a site management plan was approved by DPH. So, and, and I believe that those were um, actually conducted through the site permit rather than, uh, and rather than the demolition permit. And I, I think that my colleagues in attendance might be able to clarify that. But, but in this case, uh, yes, in fact, those conditions have been studied. So, so when it says certifies that it is completed site mitigation, that would suggest to me that the levels on the site are within the acceptable levels of PCE. Is that the way the property currently exists? Well, perhaps Mr. Grunet should answer this, but I think in a, in a layperson's explanation, uh, the site was evaluated. PCE, the presence of PCE was discovered. Mm -hmm. The fact that there was PCE on the site triggered uh, the DTSC process, essentially, and the requirement to submit a response plan um, in order to address the presence of, of PCE on the site. TNDC submitted its response plan to DTSC, and DTSC approved that plan. So, approved the plan, but but you're, what you're not telling me is that the the permittee has certified it has completed site mitigation. Completed site mitigation. Well, again, I think I should defer to Mr. Grunet on this, but there has been no uh, requirement for mitigation of the soils at the site. Oh, 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 all right. I will happy to hear from, from yeah. your Yeah, and your so colleague. I believe what you're referring to is the provisions from Article 22A of the San Francisco Health Code. And um, Well, actually, according to the permit, it's Article 20 of the Public Works Code, but uh, we could. Sure. I'm, I'm not an attorney, but, uh, but, but yes. Our, so we have prepared what, what would, would constitute the site mitigation plan um, which does propose what the mitigation measures are, which in this case is our site management plan, that has been reviewed by SFDPH, and they deem that that plan was acceptable um, to mitigate the known health hazards that are present at the site. So then, has, have you certified that you've completed the site mitigation? There's, the site mitigation is implemented as part of the redevelopment. So it gets certified at the completion of redevelopment. So it hasn't been completed. Correct. The okay. mitigation is the implementation of the site management plan and the response plan, which will be certified and uh, documented through uh, a report generated by my company and approved by okay. SFTPH and DTS. But what I'm, what I'm reading from the permit that's appealed is that may be issued only after the permittee certifies. And it goes on to say that the city, uh, you, uh, Council, you, you, uh, you seem to be saying the DPH has approved this, uh, or I, but I think it's more accurate that they haven't said anything, they haven't found anything. Uh, the, the permit also says no officer, employee, or agency of the city conducted the soil sampling and, and analysis, recommended site mitigation measures, uh, or checked or verified the reports submitted or work performed for accuracy, reliability, or adherence to protocols. 
So it, it, it is, am I, am I misreading that, uh, that, the, that there's silence from DPH or, the, or, or is there an actual approval from DPH? The approval from DPH came under the Maher ordinance, not under its review of the demolition permit or, or the dust control ordinance. But <clears throat> I, I believe that, in fact, DPH has approved the, you know, they've approved the site management plan, which, um, you know, its implementation, as Mr. Grunet explained, is the mitigation for the presence of PCE on the site. So, yes, I believe that they have discharged their duty in that regard. Great. And I would just add, uh, without asking a question, is the, the, this part continues to say, nor does the city's implementation of this process relieve any person from their duties and responsibilities related to hazardous waste contamination under state or federal law. So I, it seems to me there's a lot of, of pointing fingers that others have blessed it, uh, but I think it really comes down to, comes down to the, the, the permittee. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Commissioner Lemberg? Two hypothetical questions. Number one, if we were to deny the appeal tonight, when would the demolition actually occur? Uh, I'd like to invite Jackson uh, Rabinowicz to, uh, with TNDC to talk a little bit more about the construction schedule. Good evening, members of the board. Um, I mean, the answer to the question is, oh, I'm Jackson Urbinowicz, Senior Project Manager for the project with TNDC. Um, we wouldn't be able to commence demolition until we have an approved permit. So it would be <clears throat> whenever we have an approved permit. Isn't the, I mean, isn't the appeal tonight the only thing in the way of the approval of this permit? That's correct. So uh, if, if we were to deny the appeal and grant, and allow the demolition to move forward, when would the demolition occur? Uh, around the end of this month. It does require some kind of procedural um, elements involved with the, you know, the bureaucratic sure, system. Yes. But um, end of February is the target. Okay, thank you. All right, second hypothetical question, and this is for uh, you, Mr. Rabinowicz, and uh, counsel and the expert. Uh, your dream home was suddenly suddenly appeared at 2548 Irving Street, right next door, uh, and you had to move in during the month of February. Would you allow you and your closest loved ones to uh, to live on that site during the demolition of uh, 2550? Um, not being a soils expert or an environmental consultant, um, I do trust my very highly esteemed consultant. I would. I wouldn't have a health concern. I maybe would wait a couple of months until the noise died down, but certainly I would feel safe uh, given the protocols that we have in place, including the SMP and the attachment. I'm not sure we've discussed it, uh, the the dust monitoring plan or the dust control plan. Was that a question for yeah, all three I, of us? I would like all, all three of you to answer that question, particularly sure. you. Yeah, Mr. I would have no additional concerns with respect to the demolition occurring. For what it's worth, I'll join them in saying that I also would move into that house, and um, in particular because of the opinions of the uh, expert on toxics, who has reassured us that the levels of PCE at this site are very commonly found in urban infill redevelopment sites across the country and throughout the, throughout the state and across the country. Thank you. Okay, question from Vice President Lopez. 
Yeah, this one's for uh, Mr. Grunette. Uh, so, just kind of characterizing the essence of the appellant's uh, position, at least in my mind, you know, they've told us that this is the last chance uh, to determine the source of, of the material and that uh, they also include in their briefing that Miracle is the likely source. And we're hearing from you that you're pretty confident that your site is not the source. So it seems like we have a dispute about the source. So could you tell us what's the basis uh, for your contention that you're not the source? And how does that compare to other similar projects that you've worked on? Sure. So, then, uh, you know, our content. Just one more thing. Go ahead. And then how would you, how would you react to that characterization as the, the last chance to, this being the last chance to determine, determine the source? Sure. So, um, you know, with respect to our site being the source, I think there's two main issues that are at hand. One is when PCE was actually used and when the site was identified as the cleaners. There's very little overlap in that time. And so, you know, the possibility that PCE was used during that short period of time is relatively low. Um, the second is when we look for a source of PCE, we're looking for concentrations in the hundreds of thousands to millions. We have relatively low concentrations here, up to 1,500. They're relatively consistent across the site. And you know, typically we see you know, a bullseye of you know, up to a million, five million micrograms per cubic meter of PCE in soil gas. And especially in this type of geology where it's a dune sand, and the, the area hasn't been disturbed for a very long period of time, everything's in equilibrium. So we would expect to see, even if we aren't exactly you know, on top of where that release occurred, we would see it with, at great distances, much higher concentrations. And, and again, that contention with respect to the source is also agreed upon by the DTSC. You know, they've said in several meetings that they don't see the signature of a source, and they've also said it in writing. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, thank you. We will now hear from the planning department. All right, good evening again, President Swig, Commissioners Corey Teague for the planning department. Um, as you've already heard, the appeal before you tonight is only for the permit to demolish the existing two-story building and surface parking lot to allow for the eventual construction of a proposed 100% affordable housing project at 2550 Irving Street. However, the new construction permit has not yet been issued and is not the subject of the appeal tonight. The project is using the State Density Bonus Program and SB 35 to provide 90 affordable dwelling units, 18 parking spaces, and 90 bike parking spaces through a permit process that is exempt from CEQA review and includes streamlined ministerial review. Um, a February 1st letter from the planning director and director of MoCD um, also provides more background on this project and kind of how it came to be where it is today. Per zoning administrator interpretation, demolition permit, permits are not approved by the planning department prior to the approval of the associated new construction permit, except in limited circumstances. Uh, the subject demolition permit and the associated new construction permit in this case were both initially approved at the same time by the planning department on August 17th of last year 
And then additionally, the notice of final approval of the SB35 project was also issued on that same date, August 17th of last year. The demolition permit was subsequently issued by DBI on November 18th of last year. And because the existing building does not contain any residential uses, no additional approvals from the Planning Commission were required to approve that demolition permit. It's also my understanding that the associated new construction permit is in its final stage of review at DBI and may be issued in the uh, near future. And the process for review and approval of demolition permits is essentially the same as it is for site and building permits, which is you know, the permits are submitted to Department of Building Inspection. It is flagged for which agencies in the city require review and approval or may require review and approval. And it goes through that kind of iterative steps um, to, in this case, receive approval from the planning department, have review by DPH, which you'll hear from them, and then ultimately get final approval from DBI, and then DBI is the issuing agency. Uh, the appellant does not raise any issues specifically related to the planning department's review of the demolition permit and instead focuses on issues around soil contamination and remediation. As already noted, relevant city and state departments are very well aware of this project and a lot of work has already gone into this issue um, and that the issues raised by the appellant will primarily be issued um, at a later stage of development when the new construction permit is issued and outside of this demolition permit. But I'll defer to my colleagues at DBI and Public Health to provide more information related to those specific issues. Um, and as was mentioned, a representative from the California Department of Toxic Substances uh, uh, Control is also in attendance to uh, help answer questions, and I think there'll be references to that later on. Uh, based on this information and looking just narrowly at this demolition permit, um, it's our position that the Planning Department's review and approval of the subject permit met all the applicable requirements, and therefore we respectfully request that the board not grant the appeal and approve the demolition permit. And that concludes my presentation, but I'm available for any questions you may have. Thank you. President Swig? I ask a, an obvious question, but just for the record. So you, you, it, if this was any building sitting on this site without the, the discussions related to what's under the, the ground, uh, according to planning, this is a, a slam dunk. Sure. If um, demolition is typically proposed in association with new, you know, new construction of a replacement building, um, and so we usually move those permits in tandem, which is what we did here. Right. So you would have no other issues tonight. If we probably wouldn't be here tonight if it weren't for potential PCEs under the ground. Uh, from a planning department review perspective, probably not. Yeah. Thanks. Commissioner Trisvina. <clears throat> so the environmental issues are totally with other departments and not part of the demolition permit process? So two parts to that. Um, because this is an SB35 project, it is exempt from CEQA review. Um, that doesn't mean you know, there's no environmental um, issues related to the project as has been discussed, but it's not um, those issues aren't reviewed under CEQA. Um, so the permit, this demolition permit did not require any uh, CEQA analysis or clearance before the planning department could approve it or the permit could be issued. Of course, as been discussed and will be discussed by my colleagues, the environmental issues that are um, being discussed tonight have been under review by DPH and by the state. But as for planning, it, it 
the environment, environmental issues don't don't matter. It's not that they don't matter. It's just that they're not under our purview as the planning department because CEQA is not. Um, so CEQA they is don't a, matter. They they could be great environmentally or it could be poor environmentally. That's not for you to opine on. Um, again, I'm not saying they wouldn't matter. I'm saying that there are other agencies locally and state who are authorized to address those issues um, instead of the planning department. Thank you. Sure. Okay, thank you. Sure. We will now hear from the Department of Building Inspection. Um, good evening again, Commissioners. Matthew Green representing the Department of Building Inspection. Um, the permit before you is to demolish a two-story Type 3 non-residential building to make way for a new seven-story building with 90 dwelling units. Um, this demolition permit was issued on November 18, 2022, after review and approval by the relevant city departments, including planning, DBI, DPH, and DPW. Uh, since the appeal brief is concerned uh, with the DPH review and approval, I've asked Ryan Casey from Health to address those concerns, and I will have a few more comments after Mr. Casey speaks. So I'd like to defer to Mr. Casey here. Good evening, my name is Ryan Casey and I work within the San Francisco Department of Public Health as the Site Assessment and Mitigation or MAHER Program Caseworker for the proposed development at 2550 Irving Street. The MAHER Program's authority is derived from San Francisco Health Code Articles 22A and 22B. The DPH reviews demolition permits specifically as it relates to our limited role with construction related dust mitigation under Article 22B. For projects over half an acre in size, submission of a site-specific dust control plan is required if sensitive receptors are identified within the 1,000 feet of the project. If a project is less than half an acre in size or there are no sensitive receptors nearby, the site-specific dust control plan does not need to be submitted. Dust control must still be implemented to prevent visible dust from leaving the interior of the site with enforcement provided by the agency issuing the permit for the work. The size of the project at 2550 Irving Street is less than half an acre in size. Therefore, no site-specific dust control plan was required, and the health station on the demolition permit was completed with the comment of N.A. Our comment of N.A. on the demolition permit was not issued in error, but was correctly noting that a site-specific dust control plan was not applicable. Having said that, the applicant voluntarily included a site-specific dust control plan as an appendix to the SMP, the uh, site management plan, which was approved by our program in a letter dated February 2nd, 2022. The Maher ordinance under Article 22A requires DPH oversight for the characterization and mitigation of hazardous substances found in soil, soil vapor, and groundwater for projects located within the Maher area. The proposed development at 2550 Irving Street is under the oversight of the California DTSC through a CLARA agreement. The MAHER program defers environmental cleanup authority to the DTSC, a state agency, and has reviewed and approved all submitted items that were specifically applicable to Article 22A. Our oversight role has been captured within our review of the separately submitted building permit. Our program continues to work closely with DTSC on this project, as well as other projects within the city. I believe the DTSC caseworker Parag Shah is joining this meeting via Zoom. 
also my uh, program manager, Veronica Slattengren, uh, and they're available to answer questions. Uh, Parag specifically related to his oversight of this project. Uh, and as an FYI, demolition activities are not covered under Article 22A. Thank you. Thank you. We have a couple questions. Sure. One from uh, President Swig and then Commissioner Lambert. Uh, this is directed to whoever, uh, you're either yourself or your associates who may be uh, standing by. Uh, first and foremost, um, how often are you brought in by DBI for an opinion uh, on uh, a location that may have been a dry cleaner or a location that may have uh, suffered impact from uh, PCEs? And what is the general protocol when that happens? Yeah, so I would say uh, sites that had former dry cleaners as uh, a historical use are common in the Maher area. Um, so when the applicant applies for a building or a grading permit and they are planning to disturb 50 cubic yards of soil or more, they have to apply to our program. We look at the site history if it includes dry cleaners, which is common in San Francisco, uh, we would ask for samples. Uh, depending on the samples, we'd ask for site mitigation to occur, just following down the process. So I would right. say it's a common uh, historical site use in San Francisco. And, and how many of those uh, on a percentage basis um, get a, a, a red flag that that goes up and says, uh-oh, this is really, really dangerous and a hazard? Uh, I would have to get back to you on the specific numbers, but... Um, Maybe one of your associates may, might have that answer as well. So, yeah. okay, you can, you can uh, pass on that. Um, who, who of your associates should answer the following question? Uh, is this a dangerous site? And does the Department of Health have any significant uh, concern about proceeding on demolition or building on this site? Let's cut to the chase. Yeah, I would say uh, the determination of it's, if it's dangerous or not, I would defer to DTSC, who we have deferred environmental cleanup authority to. Um, is, there, is there any, then let's change the question. Uh, is there any anticipation uh, that the Department of Health would pick on this site as a dangerous uh, as a dangerous site, uh, which would cause uh, great harm to immediate neighbors of the neighborhood upon any action taken on the site, such as a demolition and certainly construction? I would say um, I would not classify it as that, but I would defer a characterization of the site and the risk to DTSC. Okay, so so as far as DPH, um, this this site is not of significant concern because if it, if it was, I would I would be kind of expecting a uh, an answer that we that would be yeah we're really concerned that this site has possibilities for for deep problems that would harm the citizens of San Francisco especially those uh, next door in the, in the immediate neighborhood but so I'm what I'm hearing is therefore that the DPH isn't particularly concerned about uh, uh, this site as a threat to the health of immediate neighbors 
the immediate neighborhood and the immediate region of the sunset. Yeah, I'd say that's a correct characterization. Um, that's fine. I could. Okay. That's, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's all I wanted to hear. A yay or nay? Thank you. I'll pass it to Commissioner Lemberg. Thank you. Um, my, my question's not terribly different from President Swig's, but I, I what what I'm hearing now is multiple city departments kind of saying this isn't our responsibility. We heard Mr. Teague say it on behalf of planning. Uh, we are, it's very clear what MoCD's position is. And now we have the Department of Public Health, which to me sounds like the city agency best situated to, uh, to deal with the situation, considering that its purview is public health. Um, also saying that we are, you know, there's, there's a regulatory agreement with the state agency uh, and, and we're passing the buck on this. Um, is, is that always the case? Do you, whenever there's hazardous substances, does DPH always defer to DTSC um, or does DPH have jurisdiction over issues like this? Yeah, I would say in this case, because there was an existing agreement with DTSC, when we got our Maher application, uh, we deferred to DTSC. Also, given that there's multiple cases on the corner of 26 and Irving Street, it's a complex site with multiple responsible parties. Um, as an example, if there was a development two doors down at another business, uh, we would take the case and ask, you know, since there's a nearby dry cleaners, we would ask the applicant at the neighboring property to assess any risks to those tenants. They're not the responsible party, but we would still be overseeing the Article 22A Maher portion. And if there was a risk to those tenants, we'd ask them to include some mitigation measures as part of their development. So to answer your question, if, if there is an existing state case, we, we defer to the state. We don't want to overlap authorities. Uh, we did receive a site management plan, which included provisions that were in addition to what DTSC requested. So uh, things like soil management procedures, uh, worker health and safety, uh, those were included in to satisfy our requirements. So it's not that we didn't do we didn't do anything related to this case. It was we requested things to satisfy our local requirement in addition to what was required by DTSC. What I'm really struggling with with kind of everyone's testimony here tonight is I. I, I I, I hope you hear my frustration, and I, I, I've heard similar frustrations with, uh, from my fellow commissioners here, that um, we, we're taking the, the, the facts presented by the appellants very seriously, and we're not really being presented with any evidence that, that uh, contradicts their evidence. And we, as, you know, as, as a body imbued with some authority, are looking at this as in a holistic manner and I, I'm finding myself increasingly frustrated with each city department saying this isn't our responsibility but I can't you know I, I can't stress enough that this is all of the city department's responsibility is the safety and well-being of the residents of the city that is the primary function of city government and we're all sitting here asking questions trying to get to the bottom of this and we're not getting answers that satisfy this curiosity at all and I'm 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 getting I, I don't usually get flustered like this, but I, I'm just, 
it's 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 very frustrating that I'm I'm just hearing it over this over and over and over again, and and I, I certainly look forward to hearing from the DTSC who apparently has the the primary you know involvement uh, with with the oversight of this project, but um, I, I'm just you know. When I hear, I'm president of my neighborhood association in the Castro, I hear people frustrated all the time with, uh, you know, how city government passes the buck all the time. And I, I just feel like we're seeing this in action today. And to hear the Department of Public Health representatives say that our, our involvement in this is limited only to the, this little tiny sliver of this plan is kind of baffling to me. That's not a question, but uh, I'll, I'll pass to Commissioner Appler. Thank you. Um, per perhaps uh, this is a question better suited for the DTSC, but I'm hoping you can answer. Um, we've heard the appellants contend that the PCE concentrations that are, you know, in the in the you know high hundreds to low low thousands, mid mid one thousands are high. We've heard the um, permit holders say that really we're only concerned whether they're in the hundreds of thousands to millions. Um, what's uh, concerning PCE concentration? I would say that this concentration at this site is common for other similar dry cleaner cases. Okay, that's, that and wasn't if my... there was a concentration in the millions, and especially if there were multiple parties identified, our department would seek out the state's assistance sure. with their resources to assist us in making sure public health is. So, so common, um, that, that's, you know, could be concerning, could not be concerning. Millions, I understand, that's the, you know, five alarm fire. What, what is the threshold of concentration that becomes an issue for the Department of Public Health? It's difficult to say for me because these judgments are risk-based, so I couldn't tell you a specific number. We do have the ESLs, which is an environmental screening level. Those numbers are in a table and, and they're easy to point to and say these numbers are above the ESLs. That number is what we look at first to screen in as a conservative measure sites. So if concentrations are above ESLs, we would take a closer look at that. But we would need a lot more information to make a risk-based determination. So it's hard to say on, on any site, a general rule. Yeah. And it's been a while since the slide was up that showed the ESLs, but this, these concentrations are in multiples of the ESLs. Is that, that correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's my, that's my question. Thank you. Commissioner Trezvina? Uh, thank you. I appreciate your, your testimony. Uh, I'm not totally offended by DPH deferring to a state agency. Their work-sharing agreements on equal employment on a variety of different elements where different agencies take over uh, for, for, for the states, for the local, or, or, or vice versa. In this case, though, you do, you do say that you would, um, you, you would defer to the state in part because the state has other open cases of concern in the, in the immediate area. And that suggests to me that Migration uh, of the chemicals and the plume is, is, is significant. Is that reasonable? I don't know if I could make that determination just because I'm not uh, the lead agency for all of these environmental cases. Our jurisdiction is for the proposed development at 2550 Irving Street, 
and also we deferred environmental cleanup authority to DTSC. So although we're, we're tracking what's going on, our main uh, concern is that they satisfy the MAHER requirements that are in addition to what the state has already required. And uh, as a note, the building permit, we have completed the health station there. So they're in compliance with Article 22A in that we aren't requiring any other submittals until following building completion. That's specifically for Article 22A. So the current state of DPH's absence of concern, not that you don't care, but you don't have a concern over these levels, is it because you haven't checked or because you've checked and you're okay with it or because you've deferred to the state? I would say it's because we have deferred to the state and they are leading the environmental investigation and determination uh, of what should be done on site. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Vice President Lopez. Uh, yeah. Thanks for your, for your testimony. Um, on the half acre threshold, and the, the NA designation for, for the project or for, uh, or for the permit. Um, you mentioned that there was voluntary assessment and reporting uh, done by the permit holder. Was that of the same you know, type and nature that you would uh, expect to receive if they were not below the half acre threshold? Um, you're saying if, if they were above the half acre threshold, would that plan they attached be similar in nature? Right. Uh, yes. Some projects we have due to applicant uh, voluntary, volunteering to do this for any number of reasons, uh, we do receive those even though we aren't requiring them. And so in my letter, I, I, I do mention that they're part of their mitigated measures on site include dust control. Right. And so the, the size of this project isn't, uh, you know, it, it isn't dispositive for, you know, your review of, of, uh, of those issues because they still submitted something that, that you would ordinarily expect if, if they were above the threshold. Yeah, it's something we didn't require, but, you know, it's appreciated that they're going volunteering and to submit it. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Trisvina. I have a question for Mr. Green. Your time. Just you can ask questions. <laughs> I had a few more comments. To, could I finish my statement before the? Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, it, it should be noted that this is a demolition permit of an existing building. There will be a grading addenda under the replacement permit. Uh, this um, addenda is also being reviewed by by health, and that's where the soil concerns would be addressed. Um, there was some asbestos found in the hazardous building material survey produced on March 25th, 2022. The material will be removed under a separate permit prior to demolition. The permit to abate the asbestos was obtained on November 8th, uh, 2022. Uh, this require, obtaining this permit was a requirement for the issuance of the demolition permit. Um, there's also a requirement that the debris from the demolition will be disposed of properly. The demolition debris recovery plan or DDRP will be administered by the Department of Environment. Um, DVI believes that this permit uh, was reviewed and proved properly and recommends that the board deny the appeal and uphold the permit. 
I'm available for any questions. I will remind you that Parag Shah from DSTC, DTSC is available as well. It, Commissioner Trisvenia, did you? My, my, question, my question goes directly to the permit itself. Okay. And I, I read earlier the, the language regarding Article 20. Uh, and it and it says certain certain building permits may be issued only after the permittee analyzes the soil for the presence of hazardous wastes and where applicable certifies that it has completed site mitigation. Is that language applicable to this permit? Well, well that'll be under the replacement permit. This is an existing building. There, there's no exposed soil at the moment. They're demolishing the structure. So then. This language doesn't apply to this permit. Not to this permit, but it does re apply to the, the the permit to build the, the 90 units. So by that time, we would expect that the permittee to have certified site mitigation. Correct. Thank you. And that, that permit, should, it's under the final review stages at DBI. Uh, the fire department and DPW also have to review the site permit, so I, I would say um, within a couple months, it should be issued. We'll probably be here again under that permit under appeal. President Swig, do you have a question? You certainly are insightful about predicting that we'll be here again. <laughs> I wonder how that's possible. Sorry for my sarcasm. It's getting late. Um, based on past experience. <laughs> yes, based on past experience. Um, yeah, are we going to hear separate testimony and presentation from the, gen the gentleman or gen uh, no? If you if you want to ask him questions, you should do so now because after this, we're going to go to public comment, and I'm not sure how long Parag Shah can stay here. It's yeah. already nine yeah. o'clock. No, I'm, I'm I was just asking: are, yeah. Is he next, or he's part of he's part of DBI? Yeah, he's part of DBI. So if you have oh, questions, okay, you should great. ask them just now. Just a quick question, then I'd like to address some questions to the. Uh, Representative from DTSC, um, I, uh, how many laundry ex uh, dry cleaner uh, opportunities have you been exposed to, and uh, and what have been the uh, the issues related to dry cleaners and re replacement of those buildings and PCEs and things like that? Uh, at the risk Hi. of upsetting a Commissioner Lemberg, I don't have that information. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't no, I mean, do you, do you, just top of your head, have you been involved or, you know? I, ha I have not, but that would okay. be the health department. Review All right, uh, then I'd I, I love to chat with the gentleman from, uh, or the representative from DTSC, please. Is he available? All right. Thank On you. Zoom right now, he's available. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you the same basic question. You've, um, you Can we spotlight him? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'd love to see him. Oh, I see him on a, on, the, on a different screen over here. Okay. Okay. You can put him up there too. I, um, handsome guy, um, Mr. Shaw. Is that that's there? We go. How are you tonight? Doing well. Good. How are you doing? Uh, fine. Thank you. Uh, so, in can you tell us your level of involvement in this case so far? Um, the depth of your study, the depth of your knowledge and uh, findings related to uh, the safety and protection of the citizens of the, the immediate block, neighborhood, and region, please. Absolutely. Hi, my name is Parag Shah. I'm the DTSC project manager for this 2550 Irving site, or uh, the cluster of Irving uh, street sites 
for the related to this project and um my involvement started um uh last april uh so about 10 months i am taking over for um the previous project manager arthur machado um and i am i i have been uh reviewed and and i've i'm uh i'm yeah very well uh caught up on the site so can you please tell us about this site uh the level of your concern uh your findings uh and your attitude towards the level of threat or uh or risk of uh a security threat or risk of health uh hazard to uh the immediate neighbors the block and uh, the immediate and the the subsequent neighborhood. Absolutely, the there was a there was a response plan that was submitted. Uh, that I mean, there was a response plan that has been approved by DTSC, and uh, that was followed under the Clara process. Uh, to answer your question, uh, there was adequate site characterization for this particular parcel, and that site characterization um, based on the levels that we've denoted is um, very low risk uh, it does not it is safe and does not pose a hazard to the neighbor neighboring sites that does not mean that the investigations complete for the neighboring site there there will be continued off-site investigation but for the parcel in question it has been adequately characterized and it does not pose a risk and and your comments are made based on current uh february uh whatever date this is ninth uh or eighth um and includes all updates uh since june of last year correct okay and so 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 in that uh, if you were being asked uh, whether this is a, I think you've already stated it, but I want to be real clear on it. Uh, if you were asked, is this a dangerous site or not? Is this site uh, uh, present a threat to the immediate neighbors, uh, the immediate neighborhood, and the Sunset District in general? Your answer would be? No. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Lemberg? Thank you, Mr. Shaw, for being here tonight. Um, I sorry I, I didn't mean to turn off the video sorry about that oh, no problem um, so kind of a follow-up to President Swig's question uh, how how can you be sure there's no uh, there's no risk to the neighborhood if the investigation is still ongoing at the site directly across the street so that that investigation is outside of that parcel, if that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, there will be investi uh, continued investigation on the on the offsite, just in general, and so that will um, reveal like whatever's happening outside. But as far as this particular half acre parcel, there is a very low risk of that um, being uh, that posing a hazard. Uh, to the neighboring residents. Um, I'm not sure if that answered your question. Um, 
I guess I guess so. Um, okay. I, I want to ask you a similar question that I asked uh, the the permit holders earlier. Um, since the uh, the October 20, uh, 2021 order of remediation uh, for the twenty five eleven Irving uh, project. Uh, that was pretty clearly and strongly worded, in my opinion, uh, by the DTSC. Um, what further work has been done on that site since uh, since October of 2021? I, so there was a there was a, a samples taken. There, I mean, it was a site. Um, forgot the exact title. Uh, like a site investigation. Yeah, there was a site investigation uh, taken there, and there was uh, samples taken, and um, that's not by any means uh, complete. Like there will be continued um, additional um, work to be completed that we're in the middle of uh, responding to and um, getting back to our right cleaners. But currently, there was, um, as of now, there has been. I mean, after that order was, there was. Um, soils that uh, were uh, soil vapor samples that were taken. Thank you. And then I, I, I want to ask specifically about the materials presented by the appellant's expert here uh, showing the uh, showing the, the proposed contamination of uh, of the entire 2500 block of Irving Street. Is that map is, is there any reason that that map should be called into question or is, is there any reason those numbers should be called into question uh, and are those numbers not concerning for some reason that I don't understand yet those uh, numbers are accurate those are based on our findings um, the the levels of those numbers are low risk. Um, yes, they do uh, exceed the screening level, but they are considered low risk. But those numbers are, in fact, accurate uh, based on the uh, findings that we've received. And and so you know the the neighborhood association is coming to us and saying uh, with with an expert in tow saying. These numbers are, you know, are far above the residential guidelines of, of what's acceptable. Why, why is it acceptable? Why, why are those numbers acceptable? And why should the, you know, probably hundred plus neighbors who have come to us uh, with concerns based on a report that you're saying is accurate, why should we tell them that you have nothing to be concerned about? So, well, that's two different questions because the right now the current question is, does the levels of the, and I think the current question right now is the parcel, um, the 2550 Irving Street, and your question is, does that pose a risk? And the question is, and the answer would be no, because uh, there is a response plan. Um, but. Uh, go ahead. That's not my question, though. My question okay. is whether it poses a risk to the entire block and whether the appellant's contention that a block-wide remediation effort needs to be made that is seemingly supported by some of the DTSC's documentation itself, um, why that shouldn't be a precondition to this project moving forward. Okay. Um... Hmm. 
I think uh, actually, yeah, um, yeah. I apologize. I'm. I I, I would need to get back to you on that. Um, there there's actually a risk um, person that uh, there's a risk assessor that is staffed on this project that would be uh, better suited to answer that question. So uh, I would have to get back to you on that. So that means we have a continuance. I, I'm, yeah, I, I but, but, um, agree with President <laughs> Swing's utterance. I, you know, if, if, if that's the case, I, I, I don't. Okay, um, I'll pass to Commissioner Epler and come back with more questions. Um, thank you, uh, and, and, and thank you for, for being here tonight. I, I can imagine, um, you know, this is your first time doing this, and it, it can be quite a thing, so, so thank you for bearing with us. Um, I have a question about the site across the street. It was recently uh, categorized as a Cortese site. Is that, that correct? Yes, that's correct. All right, and, um, you know, we heard, heard uh, rationale for why it was made a Cortese site, but could you explain why that parcel was put on the Cortese list? Yes. Um, uh, well, I can answer why um, it was, and uh, why we placed an order which triggered the Corteza list. So, the applicants, um, as was stated earlier, um, the for that particular site had become unresponsive, and so in order for us to, uh, in order for us to enforce our actions onto the site, we had to. Uh, uh, create an order as a mechanism. Normal, normally, there's a voluntary cleanup agreement, which is our normal way to go because the responsible party is responsive and uh, we would work together. But um, sometimes, like in this particular instance, the applicant, uh, the responsible party had become unresponsive. And so an order was the um, was the right way to go for them to be responsive to take uh, for site characterization. Um, but uh, yet the mechanism there is called an imminent and substantial endangerment order. But um, that's, that would be the uh, go-to tool for us to go ahead and get them to be more uh, involved into the project. And. and and with the site that um, we're considering tonight, um, we have uh, we have a mitigation plan. We have a dust plan. Um, are are you comfortable with the mitigation plans for the current site and the level of cooperation you're receiving from the developer? Yeah, I mean the response plan that we received, uh, and that I mean we've uh, approved the response plan. So yes. Um, we, since we do have high concentration surrounding this site, um, and this is, I mean, I, this is a technical question. I don't know the answer of it. Um, is there, um, we've talked about dust mitigation. I, I doubt that will measure PCE. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there a way to monitor PCE levels during the, uh, during construction, during, during demolition and construction and soil grading and management and other things that may, you know, kick up dust and or volatile organics from the ground? Right. So uh, the there is a, there's two different things. So there's what's called a perimeter dust monitor that just measures the dust in general. And then what would be a little bit, a um, little bit more uh, involved is what uh, they'll place uh, canisters um, 
outside of the perimeter and then um, that canister would be submitted to a lab and then analyzed and um, we would um, then analyze them for PCE. And, and the latter one, the canister, is not currently part of the plan, or is it? Uh, for the dust control plan? Yeah, the the, the current uh, the mitigations and plan for the development of the site. Uh, you know, I um sorry, I'd have to get back to you on that as well. And 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 um, the one last question: What would be the um, level of PCE that would be found in the canister that would cause some sort of new mitigation by the DTSE? Sorry again, I'd have to get back to you on that. Um, what levels? Um, yeah, I. Yeah, I, I don't have that in front of me either. I, that, uh, but there are, uh, but I will say there are levels, and there are action levels that um, would be agreed upon, and uh, those action levels would be um, acted upon. Uh, yeah, but um, I, I don't have that in front of me. Well, thank thank you again for uh, hanging in there with us. We appreciate. Okay. It. Yeah. Commissioner Trisvina. Yeah, I have just a couple of questions. Can you uh, share with us? Uh, DTSC's efforts uh, on this investigation have how many times have they been out to the site? What have they done? Oh yes, um, well DTSC was actually just out like last week actually for the indoor air sampling, uh, the second round of indoor air sampling uh, for the six residences. Um, DTSC was also uh, previously out to the site. Um, for investigation for a neighboring site. Um, that's actually not part of the Irving sites, but um, uh, I mean, actually they are, but they're not part of a source, but they were at 1326 Avenue. Uh, but, um, and then previous to that, they were out for that first round of indoor air sampling. And then, um, and 20, uh, actually after- and uh, I'm talking about the indoor air sampling for the uh, six residences. Um, I and then before that was um, my pre, uh, pre predecessor, and I actually can't comment on uh, what his uh, level of involvement are in terms of site visits are. But I do understand he did make site visits um, as well. I'm I'm just trying yeah. to understand. Everyone is turning <laughs> to your agency. And everyone, and we're, we're this is really, really important for mm -hmm. everyone involved, uh, the future residents, the the current residents, uh, this board, your your other agencies, and I'm I'm I, I'm concerned, President Swig, that we don't have all the information, and it seems like everyone's deferring to DTSC. I I would like to know when DTSC was on site at 2550 Irving what they found, and an explanation of how the uh, PCE levels could be above what is expected and still it be considered a low risk. So if it requires us to come back, I would ask President Swig to consider that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I can say for certain that um, my predecessor did make it out to 2550 Irving Street specifically. Um, and um, and uh, in terms of like what um, 
how they deemed that it was um, low risk. Uh, there, that was that wasn't based on coming out to site. That was just based on the data that we received, and we have a risk assessor uh, staffed on this site that um, reviewed the data, and they had particularly deemed that this was considered low risk. Thank you. Commissioner Lemberg. Thank you. I, I thought of some more questions while my fellow commissioners were asking, uh, asking theirs. Um, first of all, I want to ask what I asked of, uh, of the parties previously as well. The appellants have presented uh, a proposed solution of soil vapor extraction. Uh, we heard from the permit holders agents uh, regarding the potential infeasibility of that plan. What is your take on the feasibility of soil vapor extraction uh, as a potential solution at the on the entire 2500 block of Irving Street? Yeah, uh, we agreed. Uh, we agree uh, with what uh, David uh, had uh, mentioned, which was that um, a soil uh, a soil vapor extraction wasn't warranted for the levels of uh, contamination that was found. Um, a soil vapor extraction is only normally recommended if a source was encountered in, in these levels that um, that was encountered was not um, like significant of a source, nor did we find like any traces of like there would be a source nearby. Um, I'm not saying that um, like our investigation's over, we will still continue investigation, but just based on the levels that we found, there was not any signatures nor evidence of there being a source. And a soil vapor extraction is only effective if there was there is a source um, that was encountered. And then, you know, we could design a proper system around that particular source. But in this particular case, there was no source. That source is, I mean, obviously way um, way larger in concentration than the levels that were found on site. Thank you. Um, next question. Uh, as I, as we've previously mentioned, the Sunset District is somewhat unique in that it is built on sand dunes, uh, which is a, a fairly unusual way for neighborhoods to be built uh, when it was built back in the 1920s. Um, does the fact that the soil underneath Irving Street is sand make any difference in this analysis? Well, uh, it is... Um um uh the the way the soil is uh doesn't make a difference we look mainly at the concentration yes the soil did make a must have made an impact in terms of like if there was any um contamination then how it dissipated there i mean yes it does um affect that and a geologist can probably um uh, explain that a lot better than I probably just did, but um, uh, but it doesn't uh, to answer your question, uh, your question verbatim. Like it doesn't affect our current analysis because we just base it on the concentrations that we found. Okay, thank you. Um, can you explain what a Clara agreement is and what the scope of the current Clara agreement is uh, as to the specific site and, and what DTSC is, uh, uh, I guess, contracted to do uh, under this project. 
Um, I can explain that on a very high level um, that um, it, it's been the California Revitalization and Reuse Act. Um, it, I guess what makes this uh, Clara different is that it um, makes it that they, uh, it's just focused solely on that particular site and that's it. Uh, and um, and I, I think that's like the uh, main point that makes it uh, different. There's a lot of other um, nuances to that, uh, but I think uh, I think that's the answer that uh, I think you were looking for. Okay, thank you. And then um, after the uh, the September twenty third, twenty twenty two meeting, uh, that I guess was uh, prompted by supervisor uh, supervisor Mars resolution encouraging the DTSC to do a, a full block remediation. Uh, what actions have the DTSC taken since September that September twenty third meeting? So. Um, it is the department the DTSC's belief that uh, um, we have already been doing that of uh, uh, looking at the DTS uh, looking at the site on a block-wide basis like in terms of the um, f uh, different sites that we see and um, I mean if you saw like uh, the progressing like how this site it started off as just 2550 and then there was the Albright cleaners across the street. So then we had two sites, and then we had um, uh, TPCU, which was uh, like the lot. Uh, and so that's the third. I mean, TPCU in general was the third site. And then we had um, another um, fourth party, 1326 Avenue, that was also part of this Irving Street sites that joined in. So, I mean, just those four sites alone, I mean, is, I mean, we're looking at this at a off on a whole block. <coughs> Um, basis in general, and then we've also um, been on analyzing the offsite, um, like the six residences as well, indoor air. So we've, in our, it is the our belief that we have already been looking at this on a block-wide basis. Okay. So there was really um, not any changes that was prompted based on that resolution that was passed, because okay. we've already been doing that, looking at this on a holistic level. Would you consider the the response uh, holistic in light of the fact that there's an imminent demolition set to occur by the end of this month uh, on the site if uh, if we don't grant this appeal? Uh, what do you mean by holistic? Can you explain that? Um, for, for the whole block, for the uh, that addresses the whole neighborhood. Uh, so no, I mean no. By definition, I mean no. Like that response plan only addresses that particular parcel, which is what the original intent of the Clara, that uh, state law, uh, the Clara Act is that um, this parcel is responsible for just that particular parcel, and um, this um, does this demolition affect that whole parcel i mean the rest of the offsite no it doesn't um it's just um focused on that ha uh, less than half acre parcel right there okay thank you vice president lopez yeah i also want to thank you for being here mr shaw um and thank you for your testimony so if, if I'm hearing you correctly, 
uh, based on testing and concentration levels that that you've seen, you're you're not uh, you're not concerned that that this parcel is the the actual source of contamination. Is that correct? Oh yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we haven't found any evidence that that was that particular parcel was the source. And with that in mind, uh, in your assessment, would demolition activity of a site that's not a source, would that pose a risk to public health? Um, sorry about that. Can you uh, repeat that question again? Sorry about that. Sure. Uh, mm. With, with, with uh, your view that 2550 isn't the source, if that's correct, then would you be concerned for public health based on demolition at a site such as 2550 that's not the source of contamination? Absolutely not. Thank you. President Swick. Thank you. Uh, I, along the same lines, are we chasing the wrong ghost? Um, I, I mean, what I've heard in your, t uh, although there have been some holes in your testimony, not your fault, you, you're, you're not the one with the expertise and you don't have the data, which you've um, uh, been very transparent in disclosing, but the, the, the conversation that I've heard redundantly, 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 is, is there's more problems across the street. And so uh, are, are we chasing a ghost that lives across the street uh, when we're really supposed to be focusing on, uh, on the subject property? And are, are, let's start with that question. Are we chasing the ghost across the street when there is no ghost really at uh, the subject property? So I'm going to uh, assume when you say the word ghost, you're referring to a source Yes, uh, which exactly. Is what, the, um, a problem, uh, and, an issue, yeah. a danger, a, a, a danger concern. Excuse me. Uh, so we're, while we're um, always, you know, mindful, like there could be a source, we're not uh, fully certain that there is a source, first of all. I mean, uh, for all we know, there's just, um, I mean, it's, very reasonable that this is just contamination just that's been spread around from like multiple businesses um numerous businesses this is a mixed use area just from uh the past couple of decades right um and there's sewer lines that are means of transport like so um this is uh, i'm not saying that's the answer i mean there could be a a source nearby and we're gonna still continue off-site investigation but uh, I'm I'm not going to say that the source is directly across the street now because we don't uh, we haven't uh, found any evidence of that either. But um, we also can't say for certain one way or another. Um, but we're uh, but I also do want to stress that we're not even certain there is a source. Okay, so you know, rapid fire, yes or no? Um, uh, you are not. You are not concerned that the subject site poses a harm and a threat during demolition, yes or no? No. Okay. And um, you you are not, uh, just based on your recent testimony, you're not sure that across the street poses a, a danger or threat, uh, yes or no? No. And um, is the damage 
that is evident in the maps that we've seen uh, that is that uh, that truthfully shows spread of contamination throughout the immediate neighborhood that f seems to fan out from Irving. Uh, is that something that could have been there for decades and decades and decades and long, long since subsided and is just a permanent fixture? Yes. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. If your question is like, if there's a possibility of that, then yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks very much. Is uh, is is there any more testimony before we go to public comment? Commissioner Trisvina. Okay. Sure, sure. I just want to I just want to do a little halt before public comment uh, and and assess where we are and where we're going in this hearing tonight. Thank you. Your microphone. Uh, Mr. Shaw, a couple more questions. You you just responded to President Swig that the agency is not certain of a lot of different elements of this. Will you ever be certain? Are there steps that the agency can take, whether it takes six months or a year or 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 one more visit, that you could you could provide some certainty to the answers that he that the questions that he just posed. Um, there, I mean, there is a possibility that we won't ever be certain, um, but, uh, um, you know what, I, yeah, I guess I can't, um, uh, answer that question one way or another, uh, that, uh, actually, and that's, I mean, I, I think there's, uh, people at DTSC that could probably answer that, like, uh, in a heartbeat, but uh, I guess, um, yeah, I, I I don't think I I think that it's very realistic that you know we could never be certain to uh, answer some of the questions. Uh, like I mean, like if there was ever a source, like I, it's a very realistic possibility that we won't find a source. And ir irrespective of the source, uh, I appreciate that demolition may or may not do anything, but. The property, the twenty-five fifty property, is whether it's off-site or whether it's from the site, it it has some level of 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 uh, PCE, and that currently is. Do we know what it is? Is it higher or lower than what's acceptable? It, I mean, it's low. It's low, meaning it's it's a low risk, but above the state standard, or is it? under the state standard it is above the i mean there are certain areas that are yes they are above the state standard but it's uh low on the risk scale okay thank you commissioner lemberg thank you sorry one more question I, I really do appreciate your your hanging in with us here mr shaw um i i'm i'm looking at the the minutes from the september 23rd meeting uh, and I believe Meredith Williams is the director of the DTSC statewide. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong with that. Um, but she said uh, that she promised to dig in deeper to this issue. She said it is important for the DTSC to push wherever we can to get the most protective remedy. She stated that her legal team should be able to come up with a creative solution to this. She posed the challenge, how can we come up with this holistic solution? 
She will be following up with her team and, based on this meeting, approach the contamination issue in a different way. Um, and then she let the MSNA and its consultants know that she appreciates they've done their homework, legwork, and due diligence. Um, how is the actions or lack thereof since this September 23rd meeting going toward the DTSC director's promise that there's a creative solution, that there needs to be the most protective remedy, that was her words, not mine, uh, and that there needs to be a holistic solution. Uh, I'm, 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 yeah, that's my question. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I mean, we have been uh, we're, uh, in talks. Uh, we've been in communication with uh, uh, Meredith, and we've been, uh, I mean, there's still more, um, uh, uh, there's still more data that needs to be uncovered, one of which being this recent indoor air sample that we, um, we just conducted. And uh, yeah, there's going to be some additional uh, work, um, uh, a work plan for with Albright cleaners that uh, we're going to be working to approve. And until we get more data, um, I mean, that's pretty much um, uh, we'll reevaluate um, and try to uh, strive for what Meredith uh, did um, say, you know, that, I mean, we, we are taking that to heart and try to be the most protective. I mean, that is our mission statement to be the most protective. And in our as DTSC's viewpoint, we've been doing that up till now. Okay, thank you. Thank you, President Swig. Do you have anything further? Your name's up. Yeah, I just want to know if we have concluded this module and we're at the last. Yes, well, we have public comment, then rebuttal. I, I understand, but we're at the end of this. So, my reading on this, and I don't know how to handle it because it's kind of unprecedented in my, in my experience. My reading on this is that the, the DTSC should have been here uh, with more resources. Mr. Shaw, that is not to denigrate your participation tonight. We appreciate it, and it's been really, really good. And you yourself said that person knows it in a heartbeat. Well, that person's not here. And that person has that information. Well, that person's not here. And so, uh, and, and I get a sense from looking at my fellow commissioners or li and listening to them that, uh, that they need primary, uh, that primary information from DTSC, and DTSC should have been on this agenda uh, fully loaded, fully resourced, and ready for all of our our questions because we're gonna we're 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 in, I believe that we are in limbo. Okay, now we can continue to I, and Mr. Givner, I gotta get your reading on this. We could continue tonight. We can spend the next hour and a half in public comment where there will be some people who say absolutely not and some people who say absolutely yes. And then we can go into uh, rebuttal. And then we're gonna run into the same situation where, uh, well, if that person would he, was here, he'd answer that, or he or she would answer that in a second. Blah, 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 blah. And the end game is, well, we're gonna have a continuance. Uh, I, I, I mean, does, is, there any, is there any commissioner currently sitting here who has a difference of opinion from me? Please raise your hand. Seeing none, I, I think we share the, the issue. So w w w can we, 
I hate to do this to the public. Can, can, we, can we suspend or do we have to go through the whole thing and end up where we know we're going to end up in a state of frustration, having to come back and hear primary conversation and, 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 uh, and testimony from DTSC? Because that's, that, there's, a, there's where the big hole is. And then I don't know whether that, of course, serves the purpose. Uh, have we gone beyond the scope of NSB 35 special you know, we're, we're spending more time on this than would normally happen, which is why I asked those questions about uh, to DBI, you know, how, how, many, how many cleaners have you come across or who else, or whoever, the Department of Health, how many, you know, situations when a cleaners has been, uh, a building has been torn down, do you, do you have problems, uh, all of which were fairly either unanswered or ambiguous. And now we're going into special care on this item, which breaches, of course, the SB 35 parameters. So help sure. me, John. Okay. N number one, on the procedural question that you asked. Yes. This board must take public comment from anyone who wants to give public comment tonight. Okay. Thank you. And, and if after hearing public comment, you choose to continue this item yes. to a future meeting, the board must take public comment again from anyone who wants to make public comment at that future meeting. So that's on the, on the process question. Uh, I think we'll all be here for, for a while, no matter what. No problem. Um, just, want, just want to know, just want to ask the question so we're all clear on the subject. Sure. On the, on the SB 35 question, I, maybe that's, that's worth discussing after public comment and after rebuttal. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know the standard, and, and I think it's up to the, the board needs to decide whether, they, whether you need to hear the additional information at a future meeting in order to make that determination. Mm -hmm. But I think that's probably a conversation that, you, that the board would have later this, this evening. Then hearing that, uh, it's quarter of 10, uh, and uh, the garage closes at 10 o'clock, and we got to move our cars. <laughs> so, and it's time for a break after an hour and 45 minutes or whatever it's been. So uh, can we have a 15-minute break while certain commissioners like myself move their car? I think Mr. Trisvenia is probably guilty of that, too. You don't have to move your car because, remember, they have after-hours access if you enter okay. that code. So I just want to make sure that you're, that's your guarantee. My car's in there, too. I want to go home. Okay. All right. I'm sure. Uh, I asked them but the I don't parking also, uh, lot Commissioners, today. do you need a okay. break? Or how many people do we have in uh, We have uh, still 20 people here. How many people do we have in the queue? Well, right now we have 67. And I guess where the commissioners are going is that they're going to want to continue this. We're required by law to take public comment tonight, and we will be required at the next meeting. It's up to you if you want to give it tonight. Um, so uh, we are required by law. If you do want to provide public comment uh, tonight, even though it looks like this is going to be continued, we'll have another opportunity, please line up against the wall. And Alec will, uh, Alec needs a speaker card so we know who is speaking. Um, do you want to pa pass them out? So basically, if you come up here, speak for one minute, and then fill out, go to the sides, fill out your speaker card, and then hand it to Alec, and that will help us keep track of the minutes. We'd really appreciate your cooperation. But just to keep it moving, please line up against the wall if you plan on uh, providing public comment tonight. Thank you so much. And then we'll get to the people uh, on Zoom. Right. And in the spirit of uh, uh, human kindness, mercy, and uh, empathy, uh, re remember if you've heard somebody else say what you were going to say, you can, you can walk up there and say, I, I think what the last person said is fine with me, or not, not speak yeah. at all. Yeah, and thank you so much, everyone, and, for your patience. Yeah. I know this, this has been a very long happens. night.
Thank you. Thank you. So, welcome. Hi, my name's Adam Michaels, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible. I live in one of the six houses that was tested. Uh, the first two times they tested, they did find PCE. They recently tested again. I haven't got the results yet, but I've been told that there is gas coming through my downstairs shower. And I just want to say that I feel so relieved, so grateful, uh, especially with Ms. Commissioner Lemberg, that you captured the frustration. It's like everybody's doing their job okay. 30 but, seconds. But nobody is looking at the big picture. And my main question is, if there's you know, so low risk, why is TNDC putting a vapor barrier that costs $750,000 that will only protect the residents of the new building and not protect any of us? And I've lived here since 2000, and you know, five of my neighbors have cancer. So I'm waiting for eight more years. It's long-term exposure we're worried about, not the exposure of the workers. Thank you. Next speaker. You can just give it in the card after. Yeah, thanks. Good evening, Mr. President, commissioners. My name is Mauricio Chavez. I am an organizer at Carpenters Local 22. I, rec I represent just about 4,000 carpenters here in San Francisco. I'm here to ask that you deny the appeal and that we move forward with this project. We've heard from planning, zoning, DTSC, every agency we can think of saying that these numbers, while they exist, they are low. This job would provide livable wages, would provide health care benefits, would provide a retirement, would provide so many great things for us. Uh, San Francisco being a union city, let San Franciscans continue to build San Francisco. Local hire laws will ensure that San Franciscans are in line to build the project. Mayor Breed's executive order to build housing. The governor's proposed lawsuit against San Francisco. Thank, not you. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. Good evening. My name's John Barkan. I live on 27th Avenue, a half block from the site. Uh, have been there 44 years. Uh, quoting from the brief written last week by council. Quote, in fact, the likely source of the PCE in the neighborhood is the site of the former Albright cleaners located across the street from the project site or another unidentified dry cleaner that may have operated within the neighborhood. It's not identified. It's Miracle Cleaners. It did. And more to the point is, as Adam had said, we're not concerned about the contamination from construction. We are concerned. But it's the long-term effect. And if the demolition begins, the forensic evidence that provides responsibility for who's liable for this contamination will be destroyed and not actionable. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. Good night, Board of Appeals. My name is Yurander Amador, Local 22, born and raised in San Francisco. Uh, I did my apprenticeship here since I was a kid, pre-apprentice. I've worked all over San Francisco, Hunters Point, Serpentine Rock, UCSF. Um, one thing about our training and working with GCs that worry about the community is that we know what we're doing and um, we're gonna make sure that none of this pollutant, especially uh, um, PCE, which is kind of minimal where we're going. It's a small area that we're gonna be working on. I worked in areas that are 10 times bigger than this and 
I've been doing it for 20 years, and I feel pretty healthy. And yes, I would move in there, even during construction, anywhere in San Francisco. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next speaker, please. Good evening, commissioners. Andrew Devine, Carpenters Local 22, Sunset Boy. I currently live at 48th and Judah. And to answer your question, Commissioner Lindbergh, yes, I would live at 2548. And I say that as a, a father of a two-year-old daughter and a two-time cancer survivor, went through chemo and surgery. So uh, I'm very familiar with that neighborhood. There are six dry cleaners in a five-block radius. I live next to one. Uh, I used to live next to one at 21st and Irving, Sundown Cleaner. So to say that this is a source, uh, you know, I would just say that's a, nobody knows, as you saw by all the so-called experts tonight. So I would just say, please let this project go. It's going to keep me working in my neighborhood, keep me supporting my family. The price of eggs are hella high right now. Thank you. Hi, good evening, uh, Commissioner. Uh, my name is Wing Tam from uh, Local 22 Carpenter. So I've been uh, the district for 20 years already. So I've been the Carpenter for 20 years. I've done all this kind of project. It's same like a same thing. It's toxins everywhere, but I'm still stay healthy because we do the protection and protect the neighborhood. So please let this project go. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Ramesha Ahmed, resident of 26th Avenue. I just wanted to define the scope of what we're asking for as part of the appellant group. We're asking for data collection. We're not asking for the demolition not to proceed. We're asking for data collection by the defendant's own environmental consultant's um, opinion. They don't know where the source is. And the data may as well confirm that the source is on the site. And if it's not, we are all reassured that we're going to live in a much more healthy environment. So I'm asking for us to have the opportunity to collect the data to basically reassure everyone that there isn't a source at the site and in some ways confirm what the permit holder is actually saying. And finally, we did spend 45 minutes today talking about trees and our empathy for trees. I really hope that the commissioners apply the same empathy to human lives and health as well. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. And if the speaker behind can move up, so then we'll just go a little bit faster. Yeah, thank you so much. Hello, my name is Marcia Grandchamp, and I've lived on 27th Avenue for over 35 years. My home is directly across the street from uh, 2550 um, and three of the six contaminated houses. Um, so this issue is critical to me. I support uh, the appellant's request to deny the permit and I strongly urge the board uh, to consider the outcome of not properly addressing this issue because that would clearly result in further endangerment of the current residents around and near 2550 Irving and any future residents. And I believe the San Francisco Department of Public Health has an obligation to, to help under the local MAR ordinance, um, which was brought to light because of developers building low-income housing on contaminated property. Please consider our health and wellness. Thank, Thank you. you.
Next speaker, please. And ma'am, if you could give a speaker card to Alec. Ma'am, who just, the Mar Marsha, I'm sorry, I didn't get your last name. If you could give him, thank you. Sir, you can go ahead. You can just give him a speaker card after you're done. Thank you. My name is Thomas Soper, and I'm talking in support of the appellant. Uh, I am a licensed architect and master planner for over 40 years, uh, and I am an advocacy architect trying to mediate this situation in the sunset. Um, I want to draw your attention to the uh, struggle that we've all had this evening, talking about the absence of evidence. And uh, what's, what we're missing here is that the absence of evidence doesn't equal evidence. And we know that there has been some evidence missed on the site. The uh, sister agency to DTSC is the State Water Board. And they say mitigation is an interim measure and is not considered a substitute for remediation of contamination. This is the problem because it's been a, a cost oh, you, issue. Fine. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Next speaker, please. Kathleen Kelly, 26th and Kirkham. I'm here in support of the um, appellant. And it's the right thing to do. We should clean it up. Build the housing, but clean it up first. We've heard the experts. We know it's the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners, and thank you. I so appreciate your careful and close reading and follow up on questions. You've spent two hours asking the kinds of questions and getting the circular arguments that we spent two years trying to get. The fundamental ask here is that until there is an agreement to do testing on the site within the footprint of Miracle Cleaners, which we cannot access until they do the demolition, that's all we want, is we want an agreement in place to do testing during demolition. And I sat in a room a year ago and I asked TNDC directly, Jackson and Katie Lamont, and I asked, is it not reasonable to ask for that? And they said, yes. Why haven't you talked to DCSE about that? Oh, well, we'll follow up on it. Well, it's been a year since then, and we don't have an agreement in writing, and that's, that's shameful. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. And ma'am, if you could leave a speaker card, thank you. Thank you, commissioners. My name is Robert Ho. Um, I'm a property owner. I own a fourplex around a block away from the property. Um, it's been two years since I found out about this project and the toxic problem. Still, there's no delineation of the problem by their own emissions. There's no identification of sources. Um, the consultant keeps saying that there's no source identified our DTC says no source identified on the site, but they have never tested Miracle Cleaners. So how can they make that assertion? There's no testing, there's no source. And also, we need to be careful that demolition needs to proceed with supervision, because if it doesn't, the evidence that we need to hold people, the proper people responsible will be lost forever, and we need to, we need to be careful about that. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, good evening. My name is Yiquan Lee. I live in one of the six houses that's been tested. Um, I raised two children and I'm a, I'm a public school teacher. The problem at the heart of this is money. Nobody wants to pay to protect human health. 
the developer will take the smallest, least costly action it can take because it cares about units and profits and not well-beings of those who live in the new development or the neighborhood. I have been in, in contact with Assemblyman Ting's office to seek assistance for two years. Prior to this month, his office aide commented that we overstate the danger. However, now his office indicates that our neighborhood qualified for state funding to do a comprehensive remediation of the contamination due to our continued dialogue with the DTSC. Is the system finally starting to work? This recent progress is what citizens have a right to expect from our government to protect public health. Our neighborhood has suffered and is deeply hurt by the government's policy to force housing policy without a thorough environmental review. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now move to Zoom. Crystal Laredo, please go ahead. You have one minute. You need, yes. Hello. Yes, thank you. Um, thank you for tonight. And I'm just reminded right now of a meeting that we had. Uh, it was at St. Anne's Church in the neighborhood uh, during the fall where we had a hundred, oh, hundreds of residents and the Tenderloin Redevelopment Agency was invited and they didn't even show up. So to ask for uh, other areas of the government to give them more time and to show up later, it's, I, I think it's, it's an insult. It's an insult to our neighbors and, and to 30 this seconds. process. And to this process. So anyways, I, I'm just, this is so sad. This is a health issue, not a building issue. Please support our neighborhood. Thank you. Jenny Wang, please go ahead. You need to unmute yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Jenny Huang. I've been a Sunset resident for 10 years. I live a few blocks away from 2550 Irving by 21st Avenue and Irving Street. I'm urging the board to deny this appeal. This appeal does not have any merit. Um, the MSNA continues to oppose this project at every opportunity because they do not want to live next to a seven-story affordable housing development. After attempting to prevent the Board of Supervisors from funding the project, MSNA filed a lawsuit against TNDC, and after a year of spending time in public dollars defending the project, seconds. the court dismissed MSNA's lawsuit. Tonight, the appellant wants you to wants to mislead you into thinking that the project site hasn't been adequately studied and that the San Francisco Department of Health and DTSC have not done enough to address the PC contamination. So this is not true at all. The site has received an unusual amount of testing and, eva and evaluation, and both of these government agencies have reviewed and, and approved all of the investigations and TNDC's remediation plan. So please deny this appeal so that we can take real steps towards addressing San okay. Francisco's housing thank, crisis. Thank you. We will now hear from staff. Is, is the name of the person attending? Go ahead. Someone named Staff. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. My name is Rafa Sonnenfeld. I'm calling on behalf of VMB Law. Uh, we support the project at 2550 Irving Street and urge the board to deny the appeal. I also want to explain why a denial or continuance is also illegal. Um, illegal. As noted by the applicant's attorney, issuance of permits for SB 35 projects such as demolition uh, uh, are, uh, shall not be uh, done so to inhibit, chill, or preclude the development. Uh, the devel the Demolition permit application for this project was submitted several months ago. Under a new law, AB 2234, the city has only 15 days to determine whether the permit application is complete. Violation of that deadline is a violation of the Housing Accountability Act. 
The appellant argues that the application is incomplete and also argues that the city has not completed adequate review of the application applicant's demolition permit. If that were true, even if that were true, the city is required to make a determination of the application on the application within 60 business days of the complete permit. Failure to make that determination within that time limit is also a violation of the Housing Accountability Act. It is legally infeasible for the city to uphold Thank or continue the okay. Thank you. Jake Price, please go ahead. Jake Price, on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition, urging you to reject this appeal. I will not repeat what has already been said, but I will mention that we have heard from experts over and over again that the PCE levels are consistent with other infill development sites. They have been deemed unremarkable by the experts throughout the hearing, and projects are routinely built with the same mitigation systems and the same unremarkable level of toxins all of the time. Are we going to deny the demo permits for an SB 35 100% affordable housing project due to unremarkable toxin levels because it happens to be located close to a former dry cleaner? That would be a massive overstep and set a dangerous precedent that would be shockingly disappointing, especially in the wake of our city's housing requirements. It would undermine state law and be a blight on the city's goal to build affordable housing at scale. The appeal is another example of a transparent attempt to stop the project and is a last-ditch effort to stall, and I urge you to reject it tonight. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from the person whose phone number ends in 5936. Please go ahead. You may need to press star six. 50, yes, go ahead. Eileen Bogan, Sunset Parkside Education and Action Committee. Speak is a 501c3 incorporated in 19... 70. Speak is strongly supporting the appeal. The point which hasn't been made or addressed is that the previous owner of the property, the San Francisco Police Credit Union, withdrew from its voluntary agreement with the Department of Toxic Substances Control, DTSC, without providing rationale for that decision. 30 seconds. Therefore, currently there are no voluntary agreements. Also, DTSC uh, assessment doesn't take into consideration that San Francisco is a densely populated city, the second most populated, densely populated city in the U.S. Thank you. Thank you. We will now hear from Lisa. Please go ahead. Dear Supervisor, my name is Lisa, long-term resident of Sunset District. First of all, we got so many meetings and the residents has been strongly opposed this project because of the monster height of this building. And there is no infrastructure for our building or for our communities. How about the toxic parking issue? Have this been resolved yet? No. A lot of questions from us or from supervisor are not answered or answered by not clear, 30 seconds. not sure by TD, TNDC or TTSC. All these unsure questions we still want to build a piece for health issue. Please listen to the residents. Thank you, supervisors. Good night. Thank you. Jonathan Bunaman, you, please go ahead. You have one minute. Good evening, commissioners. Um, I think the process tonight demonstrated the ingrained nimbyism in the city and how people can abuse uh, supposedly good laws, such as uh, part of the environmental review uh, to delay projects, in this case, a 100% affordable housing project in the district of the city that has built the least affordable 
housing. As unbelievable as it sounds, District 4 has only added 17 new affordable homes over the last seconds. decade. So this project alone would be a massive uh, game changer here. And besides that, uh, it's been clear by the state agencies, they've ha assured us that these toxins are not uh, of concerns here. And uh, allowing this appeal to move forward uh, would be a violation of state housing law, the Housing for, uh, Accountability Act at SB 35. Thank you. Thank you. Ma'am, did you want to provide public comment? Please come up. Hi, good evening. My name is Nancy Lee, and I lived in Sunset for 53 years, okay? Um, I'm a layman. The neighbors say, we want a cleanup. The developers say, we want to give you a tarp. The neighbors say, well, the cleanup can be just as costly or even cheaper than the tarp. So why can't we listen to the neighbors? I, I don't understand. What's the issue here? If it's cheaper, it's cleaner, why can't we just be open-minded and just collect the data? Thank you. Thank you. Winnie Fung, please go ahead. Um, yes, my name is Winnie Fung, and I have been li uh, living, my house two blocks from Irving, and I always go to um, the Sunset Super to buy my grocery. I have asthma, and also I, my grandchildren walk around there, and um, I feel like if they have to clean the taxi, that means there's, there's something harmful to the neighborhood, uh, our neighbors. And I feel like health is first um, than the building. And the, if the builders cannot build there and can go somewhere else, if there's no toxic can affect people, why they have to protect the employee instead of protect the neighbors? I feel like it's not right. We, when we have health problem, who going to take care of us? Are we suing the, the company or anybody else? I feel like we, we were the neighbor. Please. Thank you, that's fine. Okay, thank you. Ada, please go ahead. You have one minute. You need to unmute yourself. Ada, ADA. We're going to come back to you. You need to unmute yourself, though. Okay, Sam, please go ahead. Hi, um, my name is Christy. I live two blocks away from 20, uh, 2550 Irving. For the past two years, we have expressed reasonable concerns about the projects to both developer and city, but our concern always been uh, ignored. We know that there are unsafe level of PCE con uh, contaminations under the ground on the urban street between 26 and 27. And for the safety and the health concern of the entire neighborhood, please, please do not allow demolish the building without a comprehensive plan to investigate and clean up all the toxic contamination. Please restore the community the community trust in the government by requesting TNDC to come up with a comprehensive plan before start any work. Like tonight, we hear a lot of uncertain, unknown data from the uh, DTSC. Please, 
protect our neighbors too. Thank you. Thank you. Wendy W., please go ahead. You need to unmute yourself. Wendy W. Okay, we'll come back to Wendy W. Mena Young, please go ahead. Hi, yes, um, my family have a house uh, close by and I think uh, there's a lot of uh, inconsistency right now that we hear, very unclear about the uh, status of all the questions out there and the, um, the people involved have not been doing well on um, addressing them. So I think for people's safety and uh, future uh, um, certainty, I'm thinking of the project. Please uphold the appeal until things are clarified. Thank you. Thank you. Wendy W., please unmute yourself. You have one minute. Okay, I'm not sure about Wendy W., so we will now hear from Lenny Siegel. Please go ahead. Lenny Siegel, yes. Lenny Siegel, Executive Director of the Center for Public Environmental Oversight. I'm former mayor of Mountain View, one of the South Bay's most successful advocates of affordable housing. I am concerned that the failure to clean up this site will not only put the neighbors at risk, but the people who live in this building for decades. Um, <laughs> The, the idea that the PCE has occurred there out of thin air amounts to don't ask, don't tell. I urge you to, to support the appeal as a, as a way not to stop the project, but to make sure that we have all the evidence about whether there's a source, because as the representatives of the developers said, you need to know if there's a source if you're going to do soil vapor extraction, which is the presumptive remedy for this kind of contamination. PCE causes cancer even at low levels. And no, yeah, this isn't the worst site in the world. It just happens to be one that is putting people in this neighborhood at risk and future residents at risk. Thank you. The person with the name L, please go ahead. Hi, um, I'm one of the nearby neighbors uh, speaking in support of the appeal by MSNA. Um, my family lives just a few doors away from 2550 Irving. We live here in our, with our kids and elderly parents. Um, our home is one of the six houses that is being assessed by the DTSC for indoor PC vapor intrusion and investigation. The whole area is still ongoing with no clear conclusions about the source, except that there are definitely lots of areas on this block where, where PC vapors are above the residential screening levels. Um, we ask you to put yourself in our of the city. We're very concerned about the health impacts of this contamination on our families. Clearly, DTSC is concerned as well, which is why a future TNDC building will have a vapor barrier. Uh, nobody, uh, are, but the neighborhood is not afforded such remedies at all. So there needs to be a complete investigation and remediation as outlined in the Board of Supervisors resolution. We're simply asking you uh, that the TNDC demolition plan be modified to include considerations for the investigation at the site. Thank you. Thank you. Richard Chewy, please go ahead. Richard, yes, hi. I'm, I'm right next to the, the, the parking lot, which is 2550. I am the healthcare worker. I'm also overseeing safety at work. And I see this is a serious risk for our family. About a year and a half ago, my mother-in-law passed away, possibly due to the contamination from PCE uh, unexpectedly. And also, 
I think we support affordable housing, but we should do the right thing, make sure they clean up the contaminant. If they have why not just collect data? Thank you. Thank you. One last try for Wendy W. Please go unmute yourself. Wendy W. Okay, she, she may have left. Is there any public, further public comment? Please raise your hand. Okay, I think that concludes public comment, so we'll move on to rebuttal, and we'll, we will hear from Mr. Uh, Wong. You have three minutes. Um, just want to be clear here. Th there is a source on the subject property at 2550 Irving. Um, there's a soil matrix sample that I pointed out to that's adjacent to the former footprint. That shows there's a source there. A primary release occurred at that location. There's a data gap that it needs to be addressed as part of the demolition process. Um, also, to talk about soil vapor extraction, it's funny that everyone discounts that soil vapors can be remediated by soil vapor extraction. I mean, it's it's 100%, and in fact, the response plan we put together um, as an alternative to the TNDC response plan was prepared with, in combination with me, with DTSC's own contractor, RMD Environmental. They supported the approach, and they helped me design and cost it out to show it's, it's cheaper to SVE to remediate than the vapor barrier. And let's be clear, DTSC screening levels are health-based, based on cancer risk. The highest concentrations beneath Irving are more than 35 times the commercial ESL and 160 times above the residential ESL. Uh, as I said before, I've consulted with number, numerous colleagues, the, the PCE levels that, these, that, my, that the neighbors are breathing are above health risk levels. They're at levels on every other project I work in in California, and I've worked on hundreds. Um, these levels warrant remediation or mitigation. So uh, one thing that's really come out is, is that we don't know, uh, and uh, the Miracle Cleaner site hasn't been tested, and uh, we need to do the testing to to get the information for uh, remediation, the appropriate remediation. Um, there's no, there's very to, uh, little to no cost to do the data collection that we're proposing. Uh, we've set out a protocol. Uh, Mr. Moore has a protocol to do uh, borings, collect data, just like they did at the Albright site. That worked. Uh, it's it, works as part of the demolition. That's really the remedy that we're uh, asking this board, and this board is uh, is fully uh, within its jurisdiction, within its power to issue, uh, to deny the appeal uh, with that condition. So okay. um, that, that's all I have open to answer any other questions. Thank you. We do have a few questions. President Swig, Commissioner Lemberg, Mr. and Wong. Commissioner Trezvino. So, um, I, you know, I, I, that's why I love public comment because the helps me frame what, what we're really here for. What we're really here for is and, and not only to hear from the public that they are fearful uh, and they are scared that, you know, it's like a little heart attack. There's no little heart attack. You got a heart attack. There's no little cancer. 
you got cancer or you don't have cancer. So um, I just want to let you know by making that statement, I'm, I'm clear on your, your subject. I don't take it lightly. Uh, a little heart attack is not so good. A little cancer is not so good. But, Mr. Wong, what I hear from testimony is that what we're here really about is, is not only those issues, but that, that you want the site tested during the demolition or as part of the demolition to preserve evidence that may hold the original perpetrators accountable. And so what, what I'm hearing is from, and I heard it from more than one, and I, and I, I heard it in your own testimony or your own, your own discussions, what you really want to do is preserve evidence in case there is a lawsuit for, for some reason that, that, that is trying to hold somebody who did the damage in the first place accountable. Is that true? No, that, that's not where I'm coming from. I know that various... Yeah, but I heard that from, in public comment. Would that, is that, sad, is that a, a satisfactory solution during demolition? I, I, I also know, yeah, I just heard from my brain, yep, we'll, we'll, hear, we'll see you again uh, when, the, when the, the permit comes out to build this building because you're probably going to appeal that permit on, on the, same, the same issues. We're going to hear again that the site is, diff, uh, is difficult, that it's dangerous, that there are PCCs in the soil and disturbance of the soil and the process of building this, uh, this building is, is dangerous. I, I just hear the ghosts in my head. But let's, let's deal with the, let's deal with the, uh, the issue at hand. Um, in, in the demolition, we've heard testimony from the experts, and it's been insufficient, and we may continue it for that reason. But we, we, you know, we heard that okay, there's a little, there's a little cancer possibility. Now there's a little PCE, and but it's it's sure it's above state levels, but it's not really dangerous. Uh, I'm taking that as seriously as you are, okay? But what I what I heard, real, but but I but what I also heard is that it's not the process of demolition is not going to be be harmful. They do not consider it harmful. The health department said it's not harmful. DTSC said it's not harmful. I got to believe the, uh, some experts here. But what I, what I heard furtively and redundantly is that this site needs to be evaluated and tested be, before the evidence is damaged. So can you move forward? Would you be comfortable in moving forward? If, as part of a, a an approval of a demolition, that the the site can be tested properly before in the process of demolition, before any evidence is uh, affected for 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 further use, is is that something that you could live with? Because I know we're going to hear from you again. I I just know we're going to you're going to appeal the the building permit. I mean, come on, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I just, and you you got a concerned citizenry, and I'm not putting them down for that. I'm concerned, too. But but could we move forward with a demolition permit with a condition that you're, that there's an allowance to enable that proper testing to prove one point or the other, or for for put to rest that the, the, the soil is preserved, and the, the sorry that the evidence is preserved in a in a fashion so that it can be used in for further evidence or or the next stage. 
Yes, absolutely. The, the answer is yes. Yes, okay. that, that's exactly the uh, what we're asking the board to okay. do. What, what I asked the board um, in in my brief, which is to for for the demo permit to condition it on uh, the protocol that Mr. Moore has laid out. Okay, so you're uh, comfortable with us approving a demo permit with that condition. I'm not saying that's going to get done because I got four four other people here that I work for, but. Uh, I, I just want I, that that's just came roaring out at me that seems to be the the primary issue along with just a little bit of cancer or a little heart attack which is really really serious okay thank you we have a question from Commissioner Lumberg uh, my questions are for mr. Moore um, I guess uh, president Swig kind of asked one of my questions um, you mentioned yeah, <laughs> it's, we've been going a while. Um, I, you mentioned hours ago at this point that you took this project on pro bono. I don't question your qualifications as, as to this matter, um, but what I want to ask you is why you decided to take this case on pro bono. Um, I, I took it on because uh, I, I live at 18th and Irving. I'm down the street. My, my wife <laughs> tracks the community groups. She said, hey, Don, this this is... They're your thing. They, they need you down the street. And I looked at the situation. I saw the way the DCSC was ineffectively managing this site and the other sites, which is, as everyone said, it's complex. I mean, the different agreements, the commingled contamination, it's difficult. Um, but what really struck me was the fact that um, DTSC was not, is being inconsistent with their treatment of human health. Um, in this situation than other projects I'm involved where I have my clients that are paying tens and hundreds of thousand dollars to remediate and mitigate at levels that are similar to these. So I'm just seeing this as, I, I, it's like the DTSC is living in a different world. This risk assessor they have is coming up doing this risk modeling that I've never seen before that is disregarding human health. It's inconsistency in state oversight. So I, I just saw this as an egregious, um, just like disconnect with you know what I'm used to seeing in my you know when I'm working for my private clients. So it, it's just it's beyond me. And DTSC is failing to do their mission, which is to protect human health by cleaning up contaminated sites. They sent us a public community notice, and it says that at the top. Yet there's no cleanup being proposed in this neighborhood when it's completely feasible and cheaper than mitigation. Thank you. Uh Kind of a, a brief follow-up question to what President Swig asked. I, I, I just want to, I guess, hear what Mr. Wong said from your mouth too. That you know, the the timeline, if if demolition were to proceed, that all that needs to be done is testing on the site during the demolition. And well, in, in yeah, in, in the scope of what we're talking about tonight, that's the data gap that I pointed out. You know, a year and a half ago, that needs to be addressed in the demolition process. Like I said before, it is the last and best opportunity to address this. But really, in my mind, is what I said before, um, consistent with the, the board of supervisors resolution unanimously passed is the fact that um, we want a comprehensive cleanup in this neighborhood. It's not only these six homes, there's 40 homes that are sitting above this PCE plume that, like I said, 
more than 35 times the commercial ESL, 160 times the residential ESL. We don't make up the ESLs. Those are DTSC's numbers, not ours. And, and just to be, so I'm crystal clear, there, is there a way to do this test, this, uh, this soil testing before demolition? That's really when it should have been done. It should have been done years ago when the police credit union owned the site because they ran out of town. Once they sold this property and banked the profit, they ran and they ran from their voluntary cleanup agreement and they're just sitting there probably laughing at this whole situation. They're the ones who are missing in this room. Um, you know, they're, they're the ones who are really the responsible party for that contamination. So th they're definitely a missing ingredient. And like I said, this is a complex situation um, with all these clear agreements, this whole notion that, you know, someone's responsible offsite and someone's responsible onsite, you know, th that just doesn't fly when, you know, my neighbors are breathing unhealthy levels, you know, decades of exposure Adam raises children in that home breathing PCE at undoubtedly higher historic levels. How would that make you feel? Thank you. Question from Commissioner Trisvenia. Uh, th thank you, and I'm, I'm not sure who this is addressed to among the two or three of you because I'm hearing different things. So as you can tell from President Swig and um, some of my colleagues were trying to fashion we're trying to get a sense of what a remedy should look like. And I'll ask you two questions. One is, I've heard that testing is desired. Testing by the state, testing by the city, testing independently. What was? What is your, given your indictment of, of, yeah. of the state just now, who, who do you recommend should be doing this testing? Well, Really, it should have been the police credit union under their voluntary agreement. Um, yeah, that, that's done. Yeah. Do you want, so do you want yeah, the so, property Yeah, so right owner? now the current property owner, it, it, should, it should be, you know, TNDC. Um, right now DTSC is spending taxpayer dollars sampling the indoor air um, of, of the neighbor's homes when that's the responsibility of the police credit union. Well, um, well, and I, I know I, that, yeah, again, they I, left the I building. Know you, I know you can't predict the future, but would you accept the property owner's uh, analysis and, and, and data? Yeah, no, the, the data, well, let's be clear. What data are you talking about? Oversight. Wait, I, let me, so oh. in, our, in our papers, and what we ask for is to have uh, our people, probably Mr. Moore, um, to to be part of that process of testing. I mean, we're asking it, the fees, we, we looked at you know, how much it, co it would cost. It's not gonna cost them that much. It needs to, the, there's a certain way to do the testing. They should be capable to do it, but we wanna be there at least while they're collecting the data and make sure it gets sent to the proper laboratories. If there's a protocol for that that, that you've outlined. So would it, it, would it be fair to say a mutually agreeable testing plan with participation by your organization? Well, no, no. I, 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 it's just like the sampling that was done at Albright Cleaners. That was an appropriate source investigation with six samples on the footprint of the, of the former dry cleaning. It multi-depths, five and 15-foot samples, soil I, matrix, soil vapor. All right, I'm not, I'm not asking for the details of how to do it. I want to know who should do it. What's your preference as to who should do it? 
Do you trust the state? Do you trust the property owner? Do you? Yeah, if the, you know, if there's an appropriate work plan prepared that is reviewed and is consistent with the Albright cleaners, yeah, that that's an appropriate. That was done by Stantec, who's a, a very well qualified consultant. The roadmap to do this testing. Oh, is it the state? So Stan, now you're saying Stantec. I asked you yeah. the state, and you said yes. Yeah. I, look, I, I, I'm just either the state or the either the state or the TNDC. I mean, who else is there? There's independent uh, experts. Well, who, who's going to? Property owner should pay. The for property it. owner the should property pay for it. For yeah. It. We, we get a we get a, a, a testing. Uh, uh, is somebody like Stantec that we uh, we approve and and they uh, they do the test. They send it to the labs. So mutually agreeable plan by a mutually agreeable expert. Correct. Great. And the other question I have is. Um, timing. Is it prior to demolition or during demolition? It's during. Um, it could be either. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I don't see any further questions, so we'll now hear from the permit holder. Thank you again for the time. Um, a couple points based on uh, some of the feedback that we heard that I just want to be absolutely clear about. We believe, the DTSC believes, uh, that there's no source of PCE on our site. We have no data that shows there's a source of PCE on site. And this is not something we're questioning. We don't have uncertainty about it. We don't have a source of PCE on our site. So we just want to be absolutely clear about that. Now, with respect to the testing, testing is already part of our scope. Part of our site management plan, as on any infill redevelopment site, is to have procedures in place should unexpected conditions be encountered. So if we are digging down and we find some stinky soil, some discolored soil, you know, wet soil where it should be dry, we find a pipe, there are procedures in place to notify the agencies and collect samples. And this is the normal course of business. So the scope of work that they're proposing is what we would call site characterization. And we heard from the DTSC, who's the preeminent authority on site characterization in the state of California, that the site's been adequately characterized. This whole idea that the sampling has not been conducted in the um, Miracle Cleaner's footprint is not true. We have collected samples in the Miracle footprint. And we also have to be clear that it's in the believed Miracle footprint. Uh, cleaner's footprint. It's based on very, very old maps that are overlaid on current drawings. So nobody even knows for sure where exactly on the property it was. But with their argument, where the maps are showing it, we do have soil samples and we do have soil vapor samples. And finally, I just want to point out that with this type of soil, we don't have to be right on top of it. We have samples that are five feet away. If you're five feet away and there was a source down there, we would have found it. Um, I had two other points that I just wanted to point out. You can come on up. One, uh, there was a question of the DTSC about uh, VOC monitoring, and he talked about, you know, we have dust monitoring for dust. We did include VOC monitoring with a PID in our site management plan that was reviewed by SFDPH. 
So we're short on time, so I'm going to keep this really brief. I mean, I respect the frustration that uh, Commissioner Lindbergh pointed out and that others have pointed out, but I think that a few points have been made very clearly here by DTSC and, and others, which are that the levels of PCE seconds. that exist on the project site are not a, a threat to, to public health. And the other point that I want to make with just a few seconds left is that Many of the issues that have, we've been discussing over the last few hours here are way outside the scope of the inquiry into whether the issuance of the demolition permit was proper. The soils evaluation program is administered through the Maher ordinance, which is triggered by the site permit. And you might say, well, you know, the, we all know what all the right, real issue you. is here. I'm sorry, your, your time is up. Do you want to let him finish the sentence? What I want to say is that, uh, you know, you might say that, uh, well, yeah, we're, you know, if, if you want to be overly technical about it, we're talking about the demolition permit here. But the real issue are the soils conditions that we're talking about. But I want to push back on that and say that these jurisdictional issues matter, because otherwise we're here tonight having this conversation for, you know, going on four hours. Okay. We'll be back here when the site permit is. Thank you. That's, you've exceeded the time. So you'll, you'll, you'll have this. Let me ask a couple questions. Sure. Okay. Do we have a, a further questions from the commissioners for? Yeah. Okay. No, I, President Swig. Further questions. That's okay. Me. I didn't know if you took your. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. No. Didn't do it. Okay. So tonight we went to the jurisdiction, the 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 state agency that's supposed to have jurisdiction, to give us definitive, sure, complete answers on whether this site is good, bad, or indifferent. We, we, had, we had a representative from that firm, who that uh, department, that made best efforts to answer our questions and answered several of our questions. Well, I don't have that. I got to get back to you. Oh, that guy, he'll know it in a heartbeat, except he's not here. All right. So uh, you, you can look at half full. Half empty. If you're half full, don't worry about it. We've heard from everybody else. We'll just make the assumption that everything's okay. But we can't do that. We can't do that. So we don't know. All right. Um, so, second of all, um, we we have heard tonight that testimony from in public comment, and then. I, I clarified with a question to appellant counsel. Uh, what's, your, what's the real issue? Well, the real issue is the gathering of data. Okay, we want we want we want data. We want um, uh, um, we want evidence that everything is okay, or we want evidence that that who's responsible or evidence that it exists or we just want we want evidence because because i can hear either a lawsuit in the future or a relief from uh from angst so um and so we're at we we could be at a crossroads here we could either tonight and i'll ask your opinion on this um the uh, opposing counsel said all we want is a, is a study. All we want is a is a gathering of the evidence before the evidence is destroyed, so that we will never know. Um, 
And I and you heard me ask him, okay, and then we could approve the demolition permit and you'd be okay with that? You're the appellant. Yes, that's what I heard. And, and so the crossroads is, if we don't do that, then uh, we will probably, because DTSC didn't perform fully, just went through that, and we're probably going to kick this down the road and wait a few weeks and continue hearing the, the uh, and I'm not guaranteeing this is going to happen because I've got four other people I work for here, uh, but there is a possibility that we could wrap this up tonight with, you, with your acceptance of the condition that there, that there will be a, uh, a gathering of evidence necessary to satisfy the appellant so you can, your client can go on and get the demolition permit. Uh, will we see each other again? Absolutely, because they're going to they're going to appeal the the building permit because that's just the way of the world. We've seen it before. So um, now your your uh, your your expert who is swearing up and down that it's going to happen. Those things are going to happen. It's going to be studied. It'll be fine. So there shouldn't be anything to worry about. Because shouldn't be anything to worry about if he's going to do it anyway. So let's form. Why don't we? Can would you be opposed to formalizing the situation so that that for your benefit we can possibly again with the acceptance of the other board persons on this panel so that we can approve the demolition permit with the condition that a that the evidence would not be disturbed and a full study be completed to the satisfaction of the appellant. You win, you get your demolition permit, you don't have to wait anymore. They win, they get their evidence and their study. And we're gonna hear about it anyway and you know, when they appeal the permit, the, the next permit. So how, how do you feel about that? Can I answer as- You may, yeah. <laughs> Saved by the bell. Sorry, um, as you know- trying to, trying to move you along. The here, property guys. owner, I felt the need to you know, respond given right. that we would be accepting more cost scope. Um, I guess my question and concern is that we, as David just mentioned, have already characterized the site in the location of the, the former Miracle Cleaner. And so I guess my question is what would, what would we get out of that beyond what we've done? And are we just adding more costs and complication to delivering affordable housing um, which, by the way, we've been through this for over two years with this group, and it has resulted in nothing but objection at every step, not even just things pertaining to environmental issues, but the population that we're serving, the density, removing trees from the site, serving veterans, Would you, everything. There, there's no doubt. Listen, I, I spent seven or eight years on the redevelopment agency. I'm all about... Uh, low-income housing. I'm all about seniors' housing. I'm all about housing in general in San Francisco. Please don't. You don't have to preach the the gospel. I can give it to you. What I'm proposing tonight is you. There is an option. I, I can smell the option. The option is that you simply do what your your expert is saying you're going to do anyway. Wrap it in a nice box. Say here's the evidence and 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 get your your permit to do the demolition yeah. permit. If if not, and this is not a quid pro quo again, there are four of the guys here. Uh, if not, what's going to happen is we're going to say, okay, 
we got to hear from the DT, DTSC. We have to hear from the guy who knows that in a, in a, in a heartbeat. We got to know the answer to this. We got to know the answer to that. And we waste another uh, week, two, three, four, five. I don't know the schedule, sure. so I don't know when we're going to put this on. So we could wrap. We already got affirmation, I believe, from the appellant that that would be okay. From the property owner, uh, you you now ha you could have the opportunity of wrapping this up tonight and doing no more than you're going to do, except for formalizing it in uh, in a nice little report that says here's the evidence, here's the study, and we're moving on, folks. So, what do you think? I, I truthfully believe that we are doing what they're asking for anyway, and I think that it has been formalized by virtue of the site management plan. That's what I truly think. Okay, so if we were to, and I'm not saying we're going to do this, I obviously have a bias and I'm going to propose it, but if, if we tonight move to, uh, to, to uh, what, approve the appeal and issue the permit on the condition that... Uh, the study be done to gather proper evidence in in consideration of the needs of the appellant are are you okay with that if you're going to do it anyway i mean I, you're do it I anyway. think um, the challenge said. is that there hasn't been a lot of definition around what they're looking for i think it is one of those bottomless pits honestly it is it's a request without boundaries I would be happy to if it was well-defined and was not just another opportunity to cause future delays in cost for this project. We have spent an inordinate amount of money on council being sued, on DTSC fees, on our esteemed environmental consultants fees, and this project does not have higher incidents of PCE than others. I have another project in SOMA that's using a VIM system, the same exact system, same levels of PCE. It was approved, reviewed by the applicable agencies who tonight shared that this site does not pose a risk to human health. And I am very confused as to why we are not listening to the agencies who are charged with protecting human health in our community. <laughs> Which which would be a, which would be a shared issue, okay? Um, uh, there, there would be that would be a, that would be a shared issue. But well, we heard part of public comment tonight. If you guys, uh, you know, you spent forty-five minutes talking about the health of the trees, don't forget about human beings. I think that's the under that's the underpinning of your issue. You have people that are living in a, a, a you know four, five, ten blocks square block area who who are scared to death to get just getting a little cancer. Right, and just getting a little death, and so I, I we kind of hear that, and we got to pay attention to that. I understand. I'm I'm I sympathetic it. to your 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 plight. I have a real estate background. I know exactly where you're going, I, and I've had these experiences too, and and, and I'm supportive of, of what your company has done in in San Francisco for housing. That being said just a little cancer not so, not such a good idea and and there has to be and there's been no definitive if DTSC would have come here tonight with the guy who knows that answer in a second and said there's no problem here's the data if the other guy who oh he has that data but oh, I can get it from him later would have been here tonight and and delivered that data 
I'd have no problem su supporting your position. But you're, I don't think you're going to get that support from this body tonight because we don't have that data. The solution is, I believe, is what I am proposing is that we, we give you, we allow the, the permit to go forward with the condition that a, uh, that a study uh, be completed and your own expert told us you're gonna you're gonna do everything anyway. So you know I, I don't see any grievous harm or uh, or any further duress on your your part. Although I understand from your point of view, if I was sitting in your position, I'd be saying the same thing. I yeah, we'll need to confer. Um, I think it is um, the question is, would you sign an agreement? that had no limit to it, that had no definition? Would you agree to something that had infinite amounts of scope and cost? I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. We're gonna have a little uh, discussion. You, you all are gonna finish your rebuttal, and Mr. L uh, Commissioner Lemberg is going to ask his question, then uh, DBI is going to finish their rebuttal, and then we're going to convene, and, and I, I promise you that I will raise this question to my fellow commissioners and, and also to the appellant sitting there that says the same thing. You want to move forward? Can you come up with a concise uh, <clears throat> uh, bundle of what you want done as far as the gathering of evidence? No, no, no BS, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm really trying to move this forward. That would go a long way. Okay. Um, so I'm, I, I'm not. Fully transparent. I'm, this is what I'm going to, uh, you know, nothing up my sleeve. This is what I, I'm not fundamentally opposed to, you know, a win-win situation. Um, I want to make the point that we have um, applied for financing. This project is moving forward. If, if we encounter delays, that could throw us into another round of financing the way that these funding cycles work. And the impact could be in the order of a $10 million loss in state tax credit equity. That's, that's state dollars that we're leveraging. And so I want to be very mindful of, of delay tactics. And we've, we've been through this road for about two and a half years now. And so I know you're sympathetic to it. I just want to you know, make sure that this board is well aware of yeah. Or on the, the other, impacts. Or on the other side, what we could do is we can <coughs> delay a decision tonight. This is not a, a delay a decision tonight. Wait for DTSC to show up and be a primary testifier. Come back and say everything's clean as a whistle. And then, you know, according to SB 35, we have to give you your demolition permit that way. Yeah. And what we have there is you're going to have crankier neighbors, number one. That doesn't matter. They're going to be back anyway, appealing your your next permit, and uh, but you're gonna you'll lose the time anyway. So I'm trying to accelerate yeah. this uh, the situation right. possibly. I appreciate. It. I think I think we we should. Yeah, yeah, I think we should confer. <clears throat> Excuse okay. me, and and I I really appreciate the board's you know sensitivity and listening to the community, and we have been too. I want to point out that a lot of what you're looking for was cited in our brief. Mm -hmm. There was a response plan with a, a very extensive responsiveness summary that discusses the amount of sampling we've done, including on the Miracle Cleaner site. Also, DTSC has said 
in writing that the indoor air sampling conducted at the six residences north of the site has resulted in a finding of no risk for habitation, including for vulnerable populations. So I'm not belittling the fact that PCE is a potential carcinogen. I am just trying to reiterate points that have been made by experts about the incidence of PCE at this been, site. It would have been a hell of a lot easier if DTSE would have shown up. They, they've made a lot of these statements the, uh, in writing. So, yeah. but not, I, not arguing with you, not arguing your point, not arguing that you have all the information already ready to present. I'm just trying to find resolution here, possibly if we, we can confer ourselves up here and move towards resolution rather than causing you uh, further delays. Sure. If, if we, right on this side, say they got an agreement if, if you'll deliver a, uh, you know, a, a, the evidence, or protect the evidence for them and give them the evidence as part of your demolition process. That's all. Sounds fair to me. It also sounds like we can cut a few weeks off of your, you, you can start demoing pretty soon, end of February, as your own expert said. Let's do it. Uh, so we'll see. Thank you very much. Uh, I think uh, Commissioner Lemberg may completely disagree with me and, and blow it up, but we'll find I, out. I, I'm actually quite aligned with you on this, President Swig. I, I, I want to just kind of highlight something that I heard uh, your expert say, which was uh, in, in the site uh, management plan, there is, uh, you know, basically if uh, we're, we're going to do the testing and if we find something uh, that is untoward or unusual, we will, you know, act appropriately. But what I, what I heard when you said that was a lack of accountability to the very concerned and potentially very legitimately concerned neighbors. Um, and so I, I really do, you know, I was actually expecting the appellant's ask to be much greater than it was. Um, and I, I consider their ask to be quite modest in that they're allowed to have access to this this evidence um, that may be nothing and it may be something. And that accountability is what's, I think, lacking uh, in what the the plan you have presented is uh, there is no you know I'm not saying you would do this but if you were if you did want to cover up evidence of that there's no way anyone else would ever know um, without some sort of plan in place and and I do think it'll go a long way with the neighbors and you know it will go a long way with us too I, I certainly I can't speak for all of my fellow commissioners but it certainly would go a long way for me and if we were presented with a few you know we have to consider each appeal on its own merits but you know if we for me at least you know if the neighborhood association comes back with another appeal on the same issue making the same arguments I would be less inclined to to work with them on a on a on a mutually agreeable solution, um, but I do think what they've asked here is quite modest and wouldn't really be of any additional cost to you necessarily. It's mostly just sharing information, as far as I understand, um, uh, on work that you say you're going to be doing anyway. Um, so you know, and and I I do very much agree with President Swig's comments as to the 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 timeline issues here. Uh, because if we don't come to this agreement, and I, and I would suggest that before we uh, enter into deliberations, we give the parties a little bit of time to confer with each other, if that's allowable. 
Um, but uh, uh, see if they can come to some sort of resolution uh, that is can, can be presented to us. But if uh, you know if that's not the case, I, I do think that the the result will be a continuance of this matter until we can really get all of the information because. The DT, you know, d despite your uh, allusions to the contrary, the DTSC did not give us all the information that we needed tonight to make a decision based on just the evidence on the record. So, um, or at least for me. So uh, that's what I wanted to say. I guess there wasn't really a question in there, but. Thank you, President Swig. I don't want to get ahead of this, but just because the board is talking about the two options that, that President Swig mentioned, um, just going, hearkening back to the beginning of the, of the meeting, the board really, uh, just I wanna remind you of the, the limited authority you have here and so that if, you are, if you're inclined to impose a new condition like the appellants requested, uh, the board would need to find that it's a requirement that is imposed on project, other projects that are not subject to SB 35. And, and that should not just be a finding that is stated, but a finding with support in the record, potentially from the city departments. Um, and if you can't make that finding, you, you can't impose the condition. That, that's one piece. The, the second is just uh, on the continuance. Just to, I understand there's more information that, that several of you are interested in, in receiving from DTSC uh, when you're, and maybe this is a conversation for later, but just wanted to note that the board should, should be thinking about the timing of that continuance, how long, you know, we have a busy schedule coming up in the next couple weeks, um, but uh, a, con a continuance can't, under SB 35, inhibit chill or preclude the project. Uh, so you may, if you're going to con consider a continuance, uh, inquire further with the project sponsor about the, the timing financing issues that were mentioned about delay. Yeah. Um, so l let me ask some, you some questions about that. Uh, what we had was uh, in, unsubstanti un insubstantial testimony from uh, a key agency that could, could give us the key evidence to, that, would, uh, that would generate a finding of this is a dangerous, uh, a, a dangerous situation for the public or not. They did not perform tonight. They did not have the answers that we needed to, to reach an, an agreement. Uh, for me, that's, that is super valid in reaching uh, the re reaching that level that we need to 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 make a finding all right that's that that is that is an that is an an issue uh and for the continuance piece all right the the uh, the the other piece is that if we were doing if we were having a hearing on a Name your property, doesn't matter. Residential, commercial, retail, hotel, doesn't matter. And, and we discovered that there was a significant health issue. Uh, that, that would be grounds for saying, sorry, game over, time out. 
DTSC tonight in their lack of testimony and giving us what we needed to make a decision didn't allow, didn't come to, didn't provide the data, the information, the testimony that allowed us to get to that. Is it dangerous or not? Well, we don't think so because, and that's what we heard a lot. We heard it from health. We heard it from DTSC. So, you know, I, I fully understand and agree with your point of view, and, and I'm sure that we can find a project, if we ask planning or we ask DBI, where, a, where there was contamination and therefore a project was stopped. And we can conjecture the same way that DTSC is conjecturing. We can, con we can conjecture the same way that the health department's conjecturing that uh, it, it, to the fact that, well, it just may be a contaminated site because they surely didn't tell us that it was an uncontaminated site. So, it, you know, uh, we, can, we can make that finding, John. So I, 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 I think we have a, a very good solution that moves this forward where there is... Uh, you know. I, I don't. I. I. Ultimately, of course, it and, is up to the and board. And the project moves forward, and and there isn't duress to the project developer, and he gets his financing if we can if we can get this done. I do not. I. I am not. I. I'm not suggesting an outcome for the board here, and I. And I'm not. I'm not suggesting that that the that 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 there's not a potential solution amicable helpful solution as the parties have been discussing. I'm, what I'm suggesting is that if the board wants to make, add a condition that, the, that there be additional soil sampling, that, that condition must be based on a finding based on the record that non-SB35 demolition permits are treated the same and subject to the same condition. Okay. Um, I think given the DBI is uh, now about to give their rebuttal, a key question to DBI would be exactly that. Can you give us an, an example of a property where uh, this has, a, has occurred for the protection of the health and welfare of the community? Okay. Uh, you got that, Mr. Green? We're going to hear from the planning department first. Anything further, oh. Mr. Teague? Okay. Oh, he's... We'll hear from DBI. Thanks. Wait, I have something for for Mr. Teague. Hey, thanks. Um, sure. I just wanted to to clarify something uh, based on when you were last up here. Mm -hmm. uh, just clarifying that under SB 35, there isn't a pre-clearance requirement for CEQA review, but SB 35 isn't uh, preventing a CEQA claim in the future, right? They, they, they could still get uh, a private cause of action. So for SB 35 and the CEQA exemption, there is um, eligibility thresholds that have to be met. So there are certain conditions where a project isn't eligible for the CEQA exemption. So things like um, sensitive habitat and certain like flood zones and uh, fault lines, you know, areas of greater sensitivity where you aren't um, exempted from CEQA review. 
Um, this project m cleared all those thresholds, so they weren't there. Anything beyond that from a legal perspective in terms of kind of CEQA claims, that would be outside of my kind of understanding of the law. Got it. All right. Thank you. Thank sure. you. We'll now hear from DBI or DPH. Who would you like to? Oh, I guess you had a question for um, <coughs> President Swig. You wanted to ask if this is the type of condition that DBI would impose on a non S. Let's, let's go through okay. the proper protocol. If DPH has something to say that can. Uh, Thank you so much for staying time. so late. And then yeah, Mr. No Green can answer the question. Uh, I would say that uh, in my time working at DPH for the past three years, working on several hundred cases, we haven't imposed that type of condition uh, on a demolition permit. And we have approved demolition permits with similar contamination. Uh, if we were the lead case on a similar site, uh, we would hold up the site permit for those types of environmental conditions. If we wanted, say, more sampling, we wouldn't hold up the demolition permit because our purview as a health department is only to review it per dust control if it's over half an acre. To repeat my question? I, uh, no, no, you don't, sir. But is the parameter that it has to be a demolition permit where you, you've uh, provided these conditions? Ask Mr. Givner. Because just a couple couple weeks ago, you you did um, ask at 146 23rd Avenue for both engineers to observe the work. That was an agreement between uh, both parties. I'm not familiar with the specific demolition permit with this requirement. Thank you, Mr. Green. That would set the precedent. I think that's just. Okay. Thank you. There you go, John. Okay, we have some questions. President Swig, are you done? No, I, I got my question answered. Okay. Commissioner Epler. We just we just had a we the, the question was answered and we satisfied Mr. Givner's question. Sorry, I was going to ask a question real fast, and you know maybe it's actually a question to, to Mr. Teague instead of you, unfortunately, um, that I, I did not ask. But um, I'm thinking particularly in the term of large project authorizations in the eastern neighborhoods, which are sites that while may not being MAR or occasionally are MAR sites, we get enhanced levels, environmental um, uh, remediation, sampling, uh, communication to neighbors uh, as part of the large project authorizations. We get uh, enhanced uh, dust sampling. We get enhanced uh, observation to ensure that there are no environmental pollutants leaking into the surrounding neighborhood. Um, are you familiar with uh, those sorts of conditions being put into the LPAs? I would defer to the other parties there. Sorry. <laughs> Good evening again, Corey Teague, Planning Department. Um, I'm not super familiar with what you're referencing. It could be a couple of things. I mean, obviously, with Eastern Neighborhoods, there was a programmatic EIR for the entire area that had certain requirements that all projects that triggered certain requirements are going to be subject to. Um, and that could be part of those requirements that were simply part of the, the programmatic EIR. Mm -hmm. um, 
is that is that where is, no, it, is I, that the, where those... these were were in addition to what was strictly mandated under law? And I'm thinking, if I my memory serves me as it's forced to mm -hmm. right now, projects such as Wendell Harrow, 1601 Mariposa, 1301 16th Street, uh, were all projects that um, had heightened environmental scrutiny above what was strictly required under the Eastern Neighborhoods Plan. So that. In terms of heightened scrutiny, I mean, they all had to go through a CEQA. Right, analysis. but more, but more ongoing maintenance as part of the the demolition and construction right. of you know um, more reporting to the neighbors, more right. sampling, right? The sorts and of I things that we're that, talking about in this case. Sure, and so that would have been something that would have come about. That would have been an improvement measure or a mitigation measure through the CEQA review and determination. Um, Again, whether or not those came through uh, the, the programmatic EIR for projects that triggered them, and those are projects that triggered it, or those were one-off independent environmental analyses that determined that these improvement measures were helpful and necessary, I, I, I wouldn't know. I'd have to look at those. But, but my understanding is that would be something that would come through the, the CEQA analysis process. I, I think they were added at the commission as part of the LPA approval. Okay, so the, you're saying these were one-off conditions of approval for each project by the Planning Commission. That, that yeah. would be another option, okay. potentially. Okay, thank you. Sure. Thank you. So, commissioners, this matter submitted. So, commissioners, I, I think, uh, oh, first of all, I'd like to ask a question, please. Um, no more questions. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, we... <laughs> Are we having more questions or? No, 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 no. As far as deliberation, if, to start de deliberation, okay. I need to ask a question. Sorry. Um, uh, so you heard testimony from the, the, the permit holder about, well, and it's a good question. Uh, how can would you enter into an agreement, Mr. Swig, if, you, if it was if it was open-ended and and non-specific? Non uh, we also heard uh, testimony from Mr. Green that said we have we set a precedent where we had uh, uh, we required as as a a condition of moving forward that um, uh, that experts from both side, in this case engineers, uh, work together during during a study process uh, to mutual satisfaction to 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 get their their job done. Um, first first question would be, I, I guess it's to the gentleman who is is providing the pro bono services. Uh, do, do you do you have a a, a pre existing uh, l a bullet point list of what your requirements are in uh, to preserve evidence in, in as part of a study. Yes, we have a very specific Could you step to the microphone, please? Sorry, the world has to hear you too. And while you're while you're detailing, while you're answering that affirmatively, uh, can you can you detail that as much as you possibly can? And if you leave out a couple bullet points, uh, we, we get the point. Yes, it's uh, the work plan that was implemented under DTSC oversight at Albright Cleaners across the street was, was an adequate uh, collection of evidence, a source area investigation, six, six locations in the footprint of the former dry cleaners, multi-depth, 5 and 15 feet, soil and soil matrix sampling for VOCs. I mean, there's, there's, a, it's, there's a template for it. It's not open-ended. It's very specific. That's what we need to see happen here to address the data gap. 
Okay, thank you. Um, uh, who do I want to see from uh, the, the other side uh, that's that's going to accept this this as realistic and, and a potential? So, I can't sing my environmental consultant's praises too much. He has informed me that this actually would take at least two months, mm -hmm. including drilling permits, all the characterization, analyzing, <clears throat> excuse me, samples. And that's before sending it to the DTSC. I think you can guess how quickly they analyze things. So we are talking about potentially significant delays for the project with potentially significant cost impact. Okay, but that, what he just described was closed and did not, uh, that was definitive. That it, was your major question. It was, and I would obviously need to see, do, do you feel like that was pretty comprehensive? Sorry, do you, do you feel like you've got a good sense of what was requested? Yeah, I mean, I, I would really need to see dots on a map to understand the science-based approach for why the samples are located where they are. Again, there's been a significant amount of investigation, and so we, we would want to understand why the locations are where they are. And I, I'm gonna, you know now I'm at, I'm I'm off I'm in my danger zone because I don't know have any clue what I'm talking about in this area. You guys are the experts. Uh, I'm just trying to get resolution and move you forward. Now the other the other part of your decision tree is that it, um, you, you you heard uh, Mr. Givner. He said I, I I'm looking at the schedule here. And we're gonna this, you know, if we have to delay decision as we're waiting for the the aforementioned and and uh, and not so loved DTSC tonight. Uh, that this may be this continuance might be a, a long time as well. So, uh, and as one of my fellow commissioners said, uh, you know, the, the neighborhood would love you a lot more um, if, if you threw them this olive branch and went through this process. So, just saying, you have a definitive uh, study parameter. Uh, yes, it takes more time than you would like, but if we continue this, that would take more time than we would like all of us in this room. So, you know, can we can we comfortably come to an uh, to an agreement tonight uh, to to move forward to get your demolition permit with the condition that you that the two specialists work in conjunction with each other? That is a precedent which we have set as as something as Mr. Green said only recently. So we're in the SB 35 realm, and or do you, or we're gonna. I know what we're gonna do. We're gonna, just gonna say, okay, we'll wait until the DSC is DTSC is ready, and everybody can come back at uh, when we have time to hear this thing again. What do you think? I think as a project manager, I need to know what the schedule impact looks like. That's what I think, because I don't want to sign on to something that jeopardizes the feasibility of 90 family affordable housing units in the sunset, which has. Yep. As you heard, not developed affordable housing for families historically. Uh, as I as I that, said to the Parnassus to the to the UCSF people about six weeks ago, when they didn't satisfy our needs necessarily on a tree issue, none of us on this panel want to stop housing in San Francisco. I mean, we're we we know we're in a housing crisis, housing emergency, 
and we know we need housing. None of us want to stop it. At the same time, a little, bit, a little cancer, a little heart attack is not such a good thing, and we have to protect those, those interests as well. So that's where we're torn. We, we're, on, we're on the appellant side, and we're on the, the permit holder side. And we're just trying to figure out how we can move this thing forward, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to the financing issue because <coughs> financing is right now in a, a, a high on the difficulty level. In the how about a third option? Yes, sir. What I understand is that this board did not find the DTSC's performance to be satisfactory tonight. That would be an understatement. We also know that it is uh, incumbent on this board to approve this demo permit. I would recommend that we move forward with approving the demo permit. In the meantime, we can set up the proper personnel from the DTSC to brief this board. We'll come back and do this all again when the site permit is issued. And at that point, which as I understand is really the more appropriate point to be delving into issues of this nature, you can ask all of the questions of the qualified personnel that you would like. And I'm quite sure they'll assuage you because one thing that was unwavering was, does this site pose a human health risk? No. That was the answer. He didn't waver on that. There were some very technical questions, which, honestly, I can't really fault the guy for not having in front of him at 10 p.m. No, as, I, as I said to him, he, he, he had his answers, and, and his experts weren't, weren't there, weren't provided to us, and, and, and we didn't identify them uh, uh, fully as, as, a, as a key witness with and ask them for all the answers. So, you know, there was, there were, there was a. President was a Swig, one suggestion is we could continue this to March 1st, have a representative from DTSC available and prepared to address the board on all the questions. And, yeah. it, 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 and additionally, maybe the permit holder can work with the panel and see if they can come up with some kind of agreement. If they can't, fine, but we'll know by March 1st and possibly we would have a DT. birds with one stone? Yeah. Uh, commissioners, I'm, but we'd I'm have all, to make sure DTSC uh, is available. The expert. Yeah, um, we we now have three options. Commissioners, uh, can can I stop talking so you guys can use your much better brains and and come up with suggestions? Uh, Commissioner Epler, why don't you start? Um, question to the uh, project sponsor: Would a continuance to March first put the project at risk? I believe it would. Uh, the reason I say believe and not definitively is that our critical path is demolishing this building. Then um, upon demolition, which takes about three months, we need to perform a significant amount of underground utilities, joint trench work. Following that, we're relying on PG&E to make some connections. Their schedule is inherently unpredictable and therefore delaying it a couple, and, and I just want to back up for a second. This permit was issued in mid-November, so we're already in a four-month delay, potentially, due to this appeal. I, I would not suggest continuing it from a um, project risk standpoint. I can't say definitively that it would, you know, tank the project, but it would pose some risk okay. that I would not like to... Um, I understand. Thank you. Welcome. 
uh, we can continue conversation as a result. My motion would be that we um, uh, uphold the appeal and issue of the permit um, for, for demolition on the condition that the, the two um, uh, specialists, environmental specialists, uh, work together to uh, fact uh, to ensure that um, s study evidence is preserved during the demolition process. That would be my on the basis uh, that uh, the, uh, the the public uh, is adequately protected from uh, open-ended health concerns. And you're talking about the specialist for the permit holder and the appellant? Yes, just, just like we did in the in the case that Mr. Green... And what if they don't agree? <laughs> then I get... Well, I'll tell you how I see it. Um, and I, I have a feeling I might be standing alone on, on this one, but um, but I would deny the appeal i think uh you know based on what we've heard about our scope before us based on the fact that we've heard from from dph that you know in similar situations they haven't put these conditions in place and i also heard from mr green that uh the, that any conditions that that you know he he could point to were on on site permits, not on demolition permits. Um, it feels like an extra condition to me that's not allowed by SB 35. That's how I see it. And I think, you know, generally, I, I, I do think that, again, I'm, I might be alone, but, but I, haven't, I haven't felt the same sense of frustration at the the agencies before us that I've sensed from other members of the of the board, um, you know, I do think that the the DPH uh, representative, for example, and apologies, I I don't recall your name, but but uh, but he did say, hey, look, you know, we're deferring to to the state agency, but we're not concerned, and I heard. Uh, you know, a couple of times from Mr. Green that for this type of permit, you know, this, they've gone through the proper measures. Uh, from DTSC, uh, I heard to questions that I posed directly about is, is there reason to believe that there's a source here? No. Are you concerned based on that? No. Was every last question answered to everybody's satisfaction, mm -hmm. no. Uh, Can you speak but, into the microphone? I'm sorry, we had a request. Sure, so. but but I but I w was every last question of DTSC answered to everybody's satisfaction in a thorough manner. The answer to that is also no. But I think, uh, from my perspective, those were questions about. Uh, okay, I heard you say that that the risk is low and that you're not concerned. Tell me why. And I think the answer to that was, well, the risk assessment guy is not here, and that person has more detail on, on why. But I think if, they, if DTSC is making a categorical statement about, you know, informed by many projects, 
and then I think it's reasonable to take them, uh, you know, on on the basis of, you know, their expertise in the area. And I know that we have uh, conflicting testimony from the appellant's expert, and you know, respect, you know, the effort that that's gone into, you know, preparing those materials, and certainly respect uh, the input from the public in support of the appeal. Um, but I also think that, you know, we have to, uh, look to, you know, the agencies that are, that are staffed and, 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 and composed of, you know, folks who are elected representatives have trusted with, with those responsibilities and designations. And that's DPH and DTSE. And so that's 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 where I see it. I think that the the 35 does tie our hands considerably. And based on that very narrow scope, the 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 the, the proposal that's been floated uh, in my mind feels like an extra condition that's uh, that runs counter to 35. Uh, would you like me to revoke and take away my motion uh, and float your motion, or, or sh uh, should we investigate any support that might exist or not exist on your point of view? No, I think Mr. Chosvinia or Mr. Uh, Commissioner Lemberg. Um, thank you. Um, first, I'll say I would support your motion, President Swig. Um, second, I will say. Um, and I'm not saying this to, to pat myself on the back, uh, but I, before this hearing, I, uh, I made a request of Ms. Rosenberg and Mr. Givner to have the TSC present at this hearing because they were not actually a necessary party to this hearing tonight. Um, and, uh, and I thought that their testimony would be very valuable, and that's why I asked, uh, was because I thought, you know, there's this third-party agency who seems to have all of the... Um, you know, all of the answers and all of the responsibility in this matter. Um, and ultimately, as President Swig said, I don't think we got sufficient answers from them. Um, and, uh, and if I hadn't asked, we may not have had them here at all tonight, and we would have had only the testimony from the city agencies, which was uniformly, we don't know, we, like, kick this can down the road. Uh, to the state agency, and we would have been continuing it anyway, uh, because we wouldn't have had any useful information necessarily. Um, from my point of view, I, you know, we heard significant testimony tonight, and also received hundreds of pages of documents from the appellants that was both compelling, professional, um, and thorough, and none of the other parties were able to poke holes in it in from my point of view and we um you know i i, I asked the representative from dtsc are these numbers accurate and he said yes 
Um, and I've heard the characterizations by the permit holder and by the city agencies and by the DTSC that no, this isn't dangerous, but the fact is the numbers that we've been presented with and that the DTSC agreed with are above the guidelines. And that to me is enough to consider this a public health safety hazard that warrants overcoming the SB 35 preemption issue and warrants um, you know, uh, findings based on this record that just were not sufficient to give us the information we needed to say, let's move ahead with this project uh, as is without any conditions uh, and without any changes. Uh, and I, you know, I took an oath when I, when I entered this office to protect and serve the, the, the people of San Francisco and I could not in good conscience vote for anything that did not provide some oversight over this project, considering the massive neighborhood response and the very compelling evidence that we've received and has not been uh, counteracted. So uh, I, I think I've made my position clear. Thank you. Um, Mr. Josefina? Yeah, I, I, for all the reasons, uh, Commissioner Lundberg stated, I would support your motion as well. I believe it is uh, appropriate. And one of the things that I'm, I, I am particularly concerned about is safety. And there have been other matters where uh, I was in the dissenting minority on a matter because I felt public safety was not fully addressed. And I think in this case, we are talking about health. We are talking about safety. The 88-year-old grandfather-in-law uh, of one of the people who, who, who submitted testimony lives across the street. The various neighbors are all affected by this. The residents will, will be affected by this. So uh, I don't think, I, I, given that, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't put enough stock in the government testimony here tonight. For the most part, it was one agency deferring to another. And I would disagree. I think that I, I, I'm very pleased that we asked that Commissioner Lemberg asked for uh, the, the state agency to be here. They are dis they are very indispensable to this process. And if it's not in the work sharing agreement that uh, the, if they're being deferred to by our own city and county agencies, then they should be considered as part of this process, and they should be here, and they should be able to say uh, what what the numbers mean. Now we've heard. We heard them say it's a low risk, not no risk, but a low risk. And that low risk is undetermined, but it's the, the, the numbers are higher than what exists are higher than, higher than the state levels. So I, I, I believe it is appropriate uh, to take the steps outlined in your motion, and I would support it. Uh, Mr. Epler. Yeah, this this case is is extraordinarily difficult, and it's made difficult by the overlay of the state law. And you know, I I tried in my own you know very poor way to establish on the record an opportunity, uh, the finding that we have uh, mandated uh, enhanced uh, environmental monitoring on sites where it was not required, and I. I'm not quite sure that I got there, and that gives me pause because we are very limited in what we can do. I, I, I thank Commissioner Lambert for getting DTSC here. Um, I am 
uh, frustrated that um, while we could get qualitative data and information, it's like, oh, it's fine um, when we ask, okay, you know, to tell me where the line is between fine and not fine. We couldn't get, get a good answer there because we don't know how fine theoretically we actually are. Um, that said, I have to look at two other things. One is the risk exists, the risk has exists, the risk is independent of what's going on on the site right now. And then the question is, does the change of this permit and the demolition increase the risk? And if it does increase the risk, is there any way that we'll know that? And one, I the experts said that whether you know the risk that we have right now is fine or not, it will not increase uh, as a result of the demolition permit. And while I think that it is fair to be frustrated with the agencies in not just this project, but in other projects uh, throughout the city where we have environmental issues, um, not necessarily in terms of the outcome, but in terms of the process that's followed and the timing at which those outcomes are determined by the agencies, I have to give that a little bit of credence. Um, the second question is, does the dust mitigation plan and the plans that are in place, will that help catch any increased risk? And I think that we heard that it will. And so is there a health issue here? Yes, there is a non-zero health issue that currently exists. Does the plan for the demolition increase that materially? I think the answer is no. I wanted to support your idea. I don't think we made the finding that we can necessarily, and that's where I'm leaning more towards uh, Commissioner Lopez's position despite all my other desires because the state has taken my ability to find differently away from me in this circumstance, perhaps. Um, so you want to float, float my motion for a vote and see how we end up? And can you repeat the motion, please? Yes. Did you, and you basically wanted to grant the appeal and issue the permit on the condition that it be revised to require that the two environmental specialists for the permit holder and the appellants, uh, work together to ensure that the public is protected. With a, with, with a, with a scope, because this was the concern of the permit holder, with a, the scope as defined uh, by the... The same testing and sampling that took place at 2511 Irving Street. Thank you very much. Okay, and on what basis is this uh, motion made? On, on the basis that, uh, the, that there is a precedent for, uh, for doing this uh, and with, uh, with great concern uh, f as uh, with great concern and for the protection of the, uh, uh, of the neighborhood of the neighborhood's personal health. Okay. You can do whatever you want. Can, uh, I'm, su I'm flexible suggesting additional findings on that, uh, hopefully to uh, <laughs> assuage my uh, my fellow commissioners. I think the the findings uh, based on the record, uh, as Mr. Givener said, the findings based on the record that non SP thirty five permits would be treated the same. Is that the correct standard? Okay. Yes. So the findings that I would base this motion off of is that were any other project that. 
uh, presented with similar environmental concerns that have not been sufficiently addressed by go the appropriate governmental agencies, we would end up finding the same on any other project. Okay, so that's the second basis. So on that motion. I have a question. Okay. Uh, is this the sole dispositive motion? If it, if it passes, are we done? And we if it done. fails, are we done? Uh, if it fails, we are not done. Someone else can come up with another motion. If that doesn't pass, ultimately, then the underlying determination permit will be upheld as a matter of law if there can't be a consensus. Thank you. So on that motion, Vice President Lopez? Nay. Commissioner Trisvina? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. Commissioner Appler? Okay, so that motion fails. Do we have another motion on the table? Okay, without... I have another Okay. Um, given that we are um, required to follow the state law and the difficult condition we find ourselves in tonight is a result of the presentation from a state agency uh, that did not provide us the information that uh, that gives us a basis to go forward, I would move to continue this matter uh, at a date to be set by President Swig uh, to have the state agency return with the uh, prepared to answer the questions of uh, that have come up tonight. Okay, I did get word from DT, uh, Mr. Shaw, that the particular risk assessor that who is the expert is not going to be available on the next two dates, the 22nd or March 1st, but he said he could try and get someone else and at the very least try to commit to be better prepared. What about the director? Ms. Williams? Is there, Dr. Mr. Williams. Shaw, would the director be available? I, I don't know if she is so available or is so is an expert. I mean, know she attended that one meeting. I actually would have to get back to you. I don't know if um, what her availability is. Okay. Thank uh, you. Well, we know that the person can't be here that we need is not going to be here for the, as, as you just discussed. So put it on the, the following date. I mean, that was the other, that was the other option that we were clear about to the, uh, to the permit holder that um, it's either we resolve this issue by the failed motion, or we continue it, and uh, and it's, which is going to result in an unfortunate delay that can put the project at risk. Uh, just want to make that clear uh, again, so in case anybody wants to change their vote. Um, President, President Swig, I, I would support your motion, we but I just want to I just want to put it out there right. that if we do this on March, the what? Julie? Well, March 15th, and we'd have to confirm if DTSC was available. The, Mr. Shaw, would the risk assessor be available on March 15th? Are you still with us? Hey, uh, yeah, I'm still with you. I was looking at his calendar. Uh, his calendar shows he's available, um, but I mean, I, I mean, he's fast asleep right now, so I mean, I'll 
check with him tomorrow morning. Can you morning. call him now? No. Why, yeah. why, should, why should he be fast <laughs> well, asleep? It's only quarter of midnight. Well, pr 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 we, we, we now have, we now have uh, multiple levels of the state agency not being helpful. <laughs> so uh, with all due respect to the individual and, 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 and the, uh, Mr. Shaw, who has been with us all night, yeah. I believe that a state agency can get the, has heard the hearing, can watch the proceedings again, can figure out the questions, can figure out the answers, and be well represented at an <laughs> earlier date than, than waiting for this person, because it is unfair yeah. to, to, the, to the permit holder to have to wait all that time. Mr. Mr. Shaw, I would be very comfortable with Mr. Shaw um, uh, delivering the messages on behalf of his agency. The issue with Mr. Shaw tonight is, is not his expertise and his willingness to testify in a forthright fashion. The Mr. Shaw's issue is that the, that the folks who have the information and who are the experts are not him. So, so if, if Mr. Shaw can be consultative with his fellows at the DTSC, get our questions answered based on your suggestion, then we can do this on March 1st. Mr. Shaw, how do you feel about that? That sounds, um, that sounds fair. I can be better prepared and I'll go, I will be consultative with the uh, people uh, who do understand the matter. Hey, our our city attorney is about to throw water all over my my suggestion. Go ahead, no, no, Mr. Gibbs. I, I hope not, President Swig. I, I just considering the 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 restriction in in SB thirty five that the decision, including a procedural decision, uh, can't inhibit or preclude the project. Maybe the way to frame this continuance motion is to delegate to the president the authority. To, to schedule the continued meeting at the earliest date that DTSC is available. Uh, and so that, that President Swig and, and the executive director can consult with DTSC as soon as tomorrow, and maybe, maybe you can get it on March 1st, maybe you can get it on the, the, the week before. Uh, and what on. is our week before and when do we have well, our I, I think Mr. Shaw said he would be the representative and available. Right, exactly. I mean, next, so, I mean, February 22nd, we have a very busy calendar, but if we can be efficient, then... We also have a budget that's about discussion that's also going to be uh, loaded onto the next calendar as well. Pardon? We also have a budget discussion that's not going to happen tonight. Well, it has to because we have to submit it by February 21st. Oh, fun and games. So, so that goes against our... <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, so, then, I mean, we could try to squeeze it on the 22nd, but again, it's going to be a long night, but uh, I think with SB 35. Hey, when you're having fun, why not go for it? Uh, yeah. So let's just confirm, Mr. Shaw, would you be available on February 22nd? Yes. And prepared? Uh, yes, I, I can be prepared. And I will also say that um, I'll, uh, we'll make the effort to make sure that if there is somebody else available to have them also uh, uh, come that would be able to also answer the question. Great. Thank you. Okay. So do we have a motion? You said you wanted to continue it. So should we try for February 22nd? Yes. I move to continue this matter to the earliest possible date. Which I think is we should specify 20th, for the record so we don't Which have... is February 22nd. Okay. But I also want to specify that it is the earliest possible okay. date in deference to uh, Mr. Gifter. Okay. 
Thank you. So, um, and just confirming all the parties are available, I'm assuming. Okay. So on that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Lumberg? Aye. Commissioner Epler? Aye. President Swig? Uh, I'll vote aye and, and suggest also that the uh, both the, uh, the appellant and the permit holder use best efforts to follow our leads to resolve this issue so we can make it easy. Okay, uh, aye. Okay, thank you. Thank you everyone for your patience. <laughs> We're now moving on to item number eight. Thank you everybody for staying so late and um, going through the, this process. Deeply appreciate it, especially the members of the public who hung in there for public comment. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we're on item number eight, the adoption of the budget, discussion of possible adoption of the departmental budget for fiscal years 24 and 25. So commissioners, I'm not going to give a presentation. You've all had an opportunity to review it. Did you have any questions? We will need a motion to adopt it, and I need to take public comment if there's any. Could you go, leave as quietly as possible, please, without any dialogue so that we can continue our hearing? Thank you very much. Uh, commissioners, do does anybody, we've all reviewed it. Anybody have any questions, comments? Uh, Ms., uh, Commissioner Lemberg? I, I guess I just want to, uh, this is just a lack of understanding on my part, but w when we have deficits like are being presented here, where does the, where, where does the, the money come from General when fund. we... Okay, um, first off, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you'll, have, you'll be here, you'll still have a job. No. <laughs> I'm not worried about that. <laughs> no, I know, I, I'm just kidding. But uh, now typically at the six month mark, um, we just report what our projected revenue is and that often changes and some of our deficit is attributed to exceeding our budget for city attorney fees not john givener not the wonderful john givener but uh we do have pending litigation that may be resolved so then we won't have uh those fees may be less um if there is a shortfall that would be covered by the general fund okay so all right that was yes that was my question. We Thank try you. not to have that happen. That's why uh, the, when the controller's office uh, determines what the surcharges are going to be, the purpose is cost recovery, and they do their best. So. Yeah, I mean, the common, common sense is everybody, I think, on this panel is involved in some level of business. You want your revenues to exceed your expenses, uh, and, it's, and it's problematic when you're approving a budget which uh, projects that you're not going to do that. Um, but uh, the, the best guess of putting together this budget is recent history. The most recent history is, is the last six months. We've had the aberration of ha having a... Uh, a, a lawsuit that is uh, where the legal fees have been uh, charged to this department, which is not a recurring issue. It's it's, um, it's a, hopefully a one-time uh, situation, um, and uh, so that's unfortunate. Uh, a couple of years ago, yours truly suggested that uh, certain fees uh, not be uh, reduced be, uh, for the excuse that, oh, we were running a surplus and had a surplus, and in the wisdom, uh, the um, 
the administration decided that they were going to reduce the fees. And then what, what happened? The surplus was eaten up, and we go into, into negative. It comes out of the general fund anyway. Um, so, um, and, and we can't predict how many people are going to make uh, appeals and at what level, what circumstance. So it's, a, you know, it, it's, it's not a, a negligent thing that we are doing. It's the best case um, a projection that we're, we're, we're approving, hopefully, tonight. Um, one more question. Uh, on, as to the surcharges, I noted some of them went up for planning and DBI went up significantly and others decreased. Is, what's the, the logic behind uh, that? The, the controller's office does a surcharge analysis every April and they base the fees on uh, the number of cases that are heard by the board, so. Okay. In part. So since DBI and planning have the most cases, they pay a higher percentage or a higher fee. Okay. All right, that makes sense. Uh, anybody want to make a motion to uh, uh, accept the, the recommendation for the budget and move it? I move that we accept the recommendation for the budget and uh, approve it. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? Please raise your hand. I don't see any. So on that motion, Vice President Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Trezvina? Aye. Commissioner Lemberg? Aye. President Swig? Aye. So that motion carries five to zero, and the budget's adopted. Can we go home now? <laughs> yes. Well, no. You All actually right, we're done. <laughs> yes, we we have we no we you have to because you're the one who has the phone number to get the person <laughs> to let us in.